Opinions are changing, so if yours are outdated, you might have changed how you feel since then. But we'll still find your tweets from 2010. Better watch everything you say, but more importantly, what you've said. 'Cause as soon as it's put on display, the internet doesn't forget. There's no coming back from this. Now you're on everybody's shit list. The good you've done here doesn't matter. We're gonna put your head on a silver platter. Even though we aren't sure if it's true, we've already unfollowed you, and that's not even the worst part. We welcome you to your over party, 'cause we can't stop this cancel culture. We bring you down to take us high, 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 but will it help us sleep at night? And when you try to give us answers, the whole world seems to jump from side to side. How do we ever know what's right? We can tell you've been changing. Did you move to LA yet? And things will never be the same for you. Just look at your social blade. It's true. I don't act so surprised. You chose to be in the public eye, but now it seems like you're overrated. So we're gonna find a reason to hate you. There's no coming back from this. Now you're on everybody's shit list. The good you've done here doesn't matter. We're gonna put your head on a silver platter. We don't care that you're still so young and that you haven't finished growing up. There's nothing you can do to be saved. We welcome you to your social grave 'cause we can't stop this cancel culture. We bring you down to take us high, high, high. But will it help us sleep at night? And when you try to give us answers, the whole world seems to jump from side to side. How do we ever know what's right? Can people really change their minds? Can people really grow in time? Will we ever give second chances, or do we let them get lost in the masses? So do what you can to win us back over. With your luck, you'll need a four-leaf clover. It's looking like it's too late now. Someone's already got the crown. Uh. Oh yeah. Somebody's already got the crown. Can't stop this cancel culture. We bring you down to take us high, high, high. But will it help us sleep at night? And when you try to give us answers, the whole world seems to jump from side to side. How do we ever know what's right? Can't stop this cancel culture. We bring you down to take us high, high, high. But will it help us sleep at night? And when you try to give us answers, the whole world seems to jump from side to side. How do we ever know what's right? That was the cancel culture song. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Telus. This is being recorded live and broadcasted live on March 12th, 2021. Right now, the time is 9.46 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Actually, the second to last night of Pacific Standard Time. We're going to go to daylight time after Saturday night. But we are here on Friday, just six days after our last program on March 6th. And reason we're doing this is, number one, I prefer the show on Friday. 
And number two, I can't make this Saturday anyway. It's one of the rare times during this pandemic when I actually cannot make it on a certain night. So we're back to Friday, and I wondered if we were going to have enough to talk about because we're one day short. But fortunately, I thank Poker Twitter because Poker Twitter provided me with plenty of material this week and plenty of drama to discuss and talk about. Uh, Trader Ruski, I don't know where he is. Partially my fault. I didn't remind him that we are doing the show on Friday this week instead of Saturday. So he may be expecting us to do it tomorrow. And he may wake up this morning and uh, or tomorrow morning and realize the bad news <laughs> that the whole show passed and he didn't get to be on it. But uh, hopefully he pops up somewhere. And if he does not, then we will handle it alone or with whoever joins me. So this is Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We do this every week, usually Friday, usually Saturday, one of those two days. And we have a free roll each week. We have a free roll, typically a minimum of $50, sometimes more, sometimes a lot more. This week, a little bit more. This week, the money was donated by Painless One, a longtime listener. I've met him many times. Nice guy. And he donated $53 to be our entire prize pool. So we're giving away $53 this week. I can pay you in various ways. I can pay you by Cash App. I can pay you by Zelle. I can send you cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. Though with Bitcoin, the transaction fees are high, so you're probably better off taking Bitcoin Cash. Or I can send it to you a variety of other ways where payments can be sent over the internet. You might be able to guess some of them. Just uh, PM me on the forum, Dan Space Druff, or text me 775-372-8355, or email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, to claim your money. To know if you qualify for the free roll, which takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, you can find it near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account there. You need a separate account there in order to play. And the official rules, which you must know and understand, are at PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll will explain the rules to qualify for the free money that we give away every week. And because most of our listeners listen in the archives, the live listenership is fairly low, and of those live listeners, only some of them play the free roll. So as a result, it's a pretty small field each week. So you got a good shot, even though we only pay three or four places each week. You got a much better shot to win the free money than in basically any other free roll you're going to play out there, where the chance of winning anything is pretty small. So with that said, the prizes are first place, $27.00. Second place, $16. Third place, $10. 27, 16, and 10. All from Painless One. Thank you very much. It began at 9.45 Pacific Time. It is 9.49 right now, but don't panic. You still have 21 more minutes to get into the free roll because there's 25 minutes of late registration. And you start with a full stack. So get on over there. You do need a validated account. So if you don't have a validated account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, you will not be able to play tonight, but uh, next week is a possibility. You never know. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. There's also the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston has gotten a bunch of snow this week. In fact, even Las Vegas got snow yesterday. But Mount Charleston is a mountain about 45 minutes away from Las Vegas. Chicago Joey, Joey Ingram, has recently discovered Mount Charleston. He's been going there to hike and to unwind, and he loves it there. 
And I said, see, I've been talking about this for years. Mount Charleston, we have a phone there, an old 70s rotary phone, which is in a cabin near the top of Mount Charleston. Forwards to me wherever I go. I posted a picture of the phone uh, fairly recently on Twitter. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. You can also text the main phone number to the show. Do not text the Mount Charleston line. That's an old 70s rotary phone. Can't get text. But the main number can. 775-372-8355 can get text. You can text me before, after, or during the show. If you text me during the show, then I might read your text on the air. So make sure to state at the beginning you don't want me to read it on the air. If you don't, if it's during the show. If it's before or after, then that's pretty obvious to me because we're not actually on live. Speaking of being on live... You can listen to the show live in various ways. You can go to the radio tab on Poker Fraud Alert. We have a player there now which does not require Flash. It will work with any device. You also can use the TuneIn app. We have two entries on the TuneIn app. One of them is live. One of them is for the archives. And you can also use the call to listen line. The call to listen line is a phone number. You just call up and listen to the show. It's very simple. It does not require a smartphone or an app or a data plan or a computer or the internet. No, 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 no. All that modern technology can go in the garbage, in the garbage. To listen to the show through the call to listen line, it just requires any phone that can dial and you can just call up and listen. It's very simple. The number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736, or the alternate call to listen line, which works the same way, 641-741-1095. Those are the call to listen lines, and if you have anything but T-Mobile, it's free. T-Mobile will charge you one cent a minute. Everything else is free. I don't make any money from it, but T-Mobile decided to charge because they're greedy. Nothing I can do. We do have more than a million minutes listened to on the Call to Listen line since I put it up about five years ago. So it's been a big success, and the best thing is it never buffers and never freezes. You don't have to worry about that. doesn't matter how bad your connection is. It will never buffer. It will never freeze. It will never stop. It will just work. When we are not live... You can always listen to our streaming reruns where the system just picks a random show from our library of episodes, which is getting close to 400 episodes we've done, and just picks one at random over the years. We've been doing this show for nine years, and it plays the shows in full. And then when that show's done, it picks another one and another one and another one till we come back live on the air. That is always on the call to listen line when we're not live. That's always on the radio tab when we're not live. Always on the tune-in app when we're not live. Now, if you want to listen in the archives, which is most of you, that's the way most of you listen to the show, we have various ways to do it. We have iTunes. We have Google Podcasts. We have Stitcher. But I think Stitcher is missing some episodes for some reason. That's a little bit buggy, Stitcher. TuneIn. We have Spotify. We have iHeartMedia. So a lot of different ways to listen. We also have an app called Bullhorn, which actually has its own call to listen line. If you want to use a call to listen line to listen to the archives, you can do that through the Bullhorn app. Very interesting app. So a lot of different ways to listen to the show that I provide. And of course, we also provide the MP3 file that you can download or play after every show. So you can just go to the Radio Archives forum on Poker Fraud Alert and uh, click on the MP3 right there and any device should be able to just play the MP3 without any kind of additional player you have to install. That includes computers, smartphones, whatever. Uh, you can use the MP3. It's the simplest way to play the show. In fact, that's often what I use. 
So a lot of different ways to play the show that has been already recorded. So please let me know if there's anything else you'd like me to add as far as listening options. And if it's easy and if it doesn't cost me a lot of money, I will do it. We will go through the agenda and then we will get going. Remember, if you're listening live, we do have a chat room you can go into. It does not require flash. Any device can get in now. You do need a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing. So that has to be validated and not banned to get in there. But other than that, uh, it'll work with any device. So check out the chat room if you're listening live. But here's the agenda. The main topic we're going to do, the lead story, is about huge drama currently going on on Twitter. When I say currently, I mean like as I speak. Like right now it's going on. It's been going on for uh, about two days now. And it's not going to stop anytime soon, in my opinion. But we're going to totally break the whole thing down. It's a very polarizing drama where there's people on completely opposite ends. And I'm actually kind of in the middle. I'm kind of leaning more towards one side than the other, but I'm kind of in the middle. Whereas uh, most people are not in the middle. But I'm going to explain the whole thing. It involves Vanessa Cade yet again. She's been part of uh, kind of three big dramas. Not big, but three dramas on Twitter since December after really being drama-free for her entire existence for several years in poker. So it's interesting how she keeps getting into these things. Now, this drama that's going on this week is actually an offshoot of what happened back in December. So she had an issue with Dan Bilzerian, and he called her a hoe. Actually, he misspelled it, H-O-E. He called her a hoe, and uh, that spawned a lot of drama. And now we're back. Now we're back to even more drama related to that and related to GG Poker, which hired Dan Bilzerian as a pro back in December, and that's what sparked the whole thing back then. So we're going to go into what happened this week. It involves her being fired as an affiliate. And you may say, I didn't know she was an affiliate for GG Poker. Well, neither did the rest of us, but we know now. And uh, we will discuss the whole thing. It's actually a pretty interesting situation. It's not as simple as it seems on the surface. Then we will go into... More drama that occurred on Twitter, but this drama that I'm going to go into after that is not really related to personality drama. It's more about uh, drama related to a decision at a poker tournament, and that's actually interesting, too. It's very different than the Vanessa Cade drama going on, but this one involves Jared Jaffe and the WPT at Venetian, the main event that occurred at Venetian for the WPT, and he was attacking Matt Savage, the tournament director there, veteran tournament director, Uh, the WPT itself, and the Venetian for a decision for them to play two four-handed tables instead of one eight-handed table when there were eight left. And you may say, that sounds kind of like a boring discussion. No, it's actually not boring at all. It's a pretty interesting thing that happened there. And Jared was very furious about the whole thing, very animated on Twitter. And uh, with that, there's people on both sides as well. So we will go over that, and uh, I'll give you my opinion on the whole thing. At that same final table, a completely separate drama, Roland Rokita, a poker pro, was forced to leave the WPT final table second in chips due to a severe emergency related to something medical to have an operation done. I always wondered when the first time would be when that would happen, when someone would actually have to either leave a final table due to a medical emergency or not even make the final table because they die or have a medical emergency. 
Maybe it's happened before, but it's the first time I remember it happening. I'm not talking about like someone not showing up because they do it to themselves, like from drugs or whatever. I'm talking about just a medical emergency comes up and you cannot play the final table. Well, that actually happened here with uh, Roland Rokita at that same WBT that uh, Jared Jaffe was complaining about. So we'll talk about that as well, even though that's a totally separate matter from the Jared Jaffe thing. A young sports bettor who goes by Parley, Parley Pats has been arrested. And he has been arrested not due to any sort of uh, scam or gambling violation. He's been arrested for threatening professional athletes that he felt caused his picks to lose. Ugh. And when I say threatening, I mean like threatening very graphic and violent stuff. He threatened to murder some of them. So pretty serious stuff. He has been arrested. We'll talk about that strange story. Remember mybookie.ag? Remember we had Bart Hansen on here who was bashing them, rightfully so, for screwing him regarding a bonus. They were just acting nonsensically regarding some uh, extra money he deposited, and they tried to make him roll that over too, even though it had nothing to do with the bonus, and they just would not budge, and they were really just screwing him hard there. We had him on here. Uh, I was outraged enough by that story that made me look into my bookie a little bit more, and I saw that they had a very bad reputation, that they've done a lot of shady things that... There's a lot of people that have been warning against them for some time, even prior to uh, Bart Hansen's incident there. So I actually saw back in November that Ben Shapiro was starting to advertise them. And I actually wrote to Ben Shapiro, who I, I don't know. I've never had a conversation with him in my life. I watch his show, but I don't know him. But I sent him a long, detailed message explaining why he should not take them as a sponsor. And I guess I got through because after my message, they weren't carrying uh, my bookie anymore. Anyway, uh that's not what the story's about. This story is actually about my bookie pulling a very shady action involving the Google Store where they are masquerading as an app for BetMGM. BetMGM being a legalized gambling app and my bookie is not legalized in the US. And they masqueraded as BetMGM in the Google Store. This is according to Jess Wellman, who wrote a good article exposing the whole thing. So we'll talk about that. I have an update to the Venmo hack story. Arguably the poker story that gets the least amount of press compared to what it deserves. This not only deserves poker press, this deserves mainstream press. This is outrageous that there is a hacker on Venmo who has the ability to break into any account at will, bypass any security procedures you set up. Doesn't matter if you have two-factor authentication, doesn't matter if you have a PIN, doesn't matter that they can get through all of that and take all your money. And it's been happening. It keeps happening. It's been happening for months. Well, it's continuing to happen. It just happened most lately to Tim Kramer and Joe Cada. So we'll talk about that. I'll give you an update there. This really, really needs some attention. In fact, uh, I think I'm going to be contacting someone I know at the FBI and see if they would like to investigate this. Because I do have a contact there that is willing to listen to me. I'm not saying they jump at everything I ask them to do, but uh, I, I can get their attention at least. And if they think it's a, a worthwhile story to investigate, then they will a worthwhile crime to investigate. And I would think this one is. It's been going on for months and it's involving a lot of money and it involves Venmo, which is a huge service and Venmo doesn't seem to give a shit. So we'll talk about all that when we do the segment. 
A stock analysis website released a scathing report about the skill game app maker skills. Remember they have those uh, real money skill games like 21 Blitz, and we did a long segment about uh, a lawsuit against 21 Blitz filed by some big winning players on there, and Mac Verstandig was their lawyer. Remember all that? It's not looking very good for that lawsuit, but... I've played on those apps. I'm very familiar with them. It was a very interesting story for me to follow. Anyway, Skills is a public company. And a very, very scathing report was put out. In fact, accusing them of some impropriety. And that was put out by an analyst. And we will talk about whether maybe Skills is a good short play. If you want to short a stock, that might be a good candidate. So we'll talk about that. And I'll read you some portions of the of that report. A Win employee shot another employee dead in the Win employee parking lot. Yes, that really happened. Not in a parking lot you could access as a customer, but yes, in an employee parking lot. They have a separate employee parking lot. One employee shot another dead and then killed himself. So we'll talk about that disturbing crime. A consumer group called Travelers United has filed a lawsuit against MGM over resort fees, basically saying that resort fees are illegal. I've been waiting for action to be taken, legal action to be taken to make resort fees end. I find them to be extremely deceptive. We had an attorney on this show named Lauren Wolf, who runs Kill Resort Fees, which is a group to advocate the end of resort fees, as you might guess. Uh, Lauren Wolf is actually the attorney involved in filing this lawsuit, which, of course, is not a coincidence. So we'll talk about this Travelers United lawsuit. I'll give my opinion as to whether it will succeed and also my opinion of resort fees in general. And I will once again remind everybody that resort fees are not quite what you think. A lot of people don't understand what they really are. And you may think you understand, but there's a good chance you don't, unless you've heard my segment before. Electronic Arts is facing a scandal over a black market sale of virtual FIFA cards by employees. So Electronic Arts has been around for decades. I used to play their games in the 80s. They're a video game maker. And uh, they make uh, FIFA Soccer, which is a very, very popular title. And uh, there's these virtual loot boxes you can buy and open where you can get these cards. You're trying to shoot for these very unusual cards And uh, apparently, there's a way around that. You can save money by buying it directly from employees on the black market who rig your account to get those cards. So we'll talk about that. And it is the first real scandal that EA has faced, to my knowledge, in all their decades of operation. Then we will do some coronavirus news, and then we will be done. So let's get into the first topic. Let's get into our main topic of the week. And that is about Vanessa Cade, Dan Bilzerian, and GG Poker. And it has blown up. It has blown up even bigger than what happened back in December involving these same three parties. You can't get on Poker Twitter right now without seeing that. Vanessa Cade is at the center of this. Vanessa Cade is a female poker pro based out of Canada. I believe she's like in her mid-30s. You can look at her Twitter on at Vanessa Cade. 
That's uh, V-A-N-E-S-S-A-K-A-D-E. And if you take a look, you'll see she's a the very attractive girl. You'll see a lot of drama recently. If you had looked at her Twitter account prior to December 2020, it would look very different than today. Because prior to December, she was always very upbeat, very positive, very happy. She was really one of the happiest poker players I've seen on Twitter. <laughs> Most poker players seem pretty miserable on Twitter. Uh, she was the opposite. She was always, always very happy. I, I called her Twitter rainbows and sunshine, but not even in a derogatory way. It was actually kind of refreshing to see a poker player who was this happy and this positive. And that didn't mean everything in her life was going great, but uh, she always seemingly made lemonade out of lemons when she had lemons. It, it was it was an interesting follow. Not a lot of drama. In fact, no drama. But I was aware of who she was through Twitter, but we did not interact. We had never had any interaction before. I think she knew who I was, and I knew who she was, but that was about it. And uh, I had never tweeted to her, and we had never interacted privately either. Everything blew up with her in December. And by the way, prior to December, she wasn't very well known. Uh, some people knew who she was, but she wasn't like super well known in poker by any means. But what happened was GG Poker signed Dan Bilzerian as a sponsored pro. And then she wrote a tweet criticizing that signing by calling him a misogynist, which is understandable. Dan Bilzerian is someone whose brand didn't really translate that well into the 2020s. His brand is being the hyper-masculine guy who loves guns, who loves having hot women in bikinis around him, which he pays, by the way. He hires them to sit around him. They're pretty much modeling jobs. Uh, and he sometimes uses these hot girls at props. There's even one photo of him like uh, eating lunch on a girl's back in, uh, in a jacuzzi. And these, are again, are all staged. He's not really demeaning the women this way. They're being paid fairly well for this, and they're volunteering for these jobs. These are modeling jobs. But still, I can understand if one were to look at Dan Bilzerian's social media presence that uh, one could conclude he's a misogynist. Now, prior to his interaction with Vanessa, I hadn't seen any direct examples of this, but it's not totally unreasonable to call him that, and it's not totally unreasonable for a woman to be a little disgusted that he was signed on as a poker pro. It, it doesn't bother me. I, I'm also not impressed by the stuff he puts out there. I don't go, oh, wow, look at those hot chicks he's with. I wish I were him. No, I don't. Like, I wish I had as much money as he does, but uh, that's about it. I, um, You know... It, Paying women to hang around with you in bikinis and take pictures isn't anything exciting. <laughs> that doesn't make you someone to envy. If he really had like tons of beautiful bikini-clad women that always just followed him and surrounded him everywhere, uh, yeah, I guess that would be something to be jealous of, but these women are all paid to be there. But anyway, I, I can understand where some women... Uh, wouldn't like to see that signing with Gigi Poker. So she stated that he's a misogynist and she didn't like the signing. Okay, that's fine. That's her opinion. She's very welcome to have that opinion. And I think she should be able to express that. That's what social media is all about. Well, he came back with a very inappropriate comment. Yes, she started it, but he was the much bigger name. She wasn't that well known. He's obviously very well known in and outside of poker. And he came back with quiet ho, and he, he spelled it H-O-E, misspelled it, quiet ho, Nobody knows who you are. So that's known as punching down. That's known as attacking someone who's less famous than you, lesser known than you. And when you're a 
public figure, like Dan Bilzerian definitely is, and someone criticizes you, the best thing you're supposed to do is ignore it. And you're really not supposed to launch nasty attacks, even if it's like a one-liner, against those criticizing you. So quiet ho, nobody knows who you are. That pretty much validates what she was saying, that he's a misogynist. So, (laughs) like, that is pretty much him saying, hey, look, you're right. (laughs) He didn't mean to, but that's kind of proving your point there. So I understood why people were turned off by this. Now, she did start it. Remember, her tweet was, yuck, this guy's audience is a bunch of toxic losers, literally the worst kind we could add to our community. Feels extra gross given how he treats women like literal props. Super disappointing, GG. Lots of us love what you've been doing. Now, I'm not saying I agree with all of this, like calling his fans toxic losers that is opening her up to criticism. It's the fact that it was Dan, the site pro, the guy who's the much bigger name than she is, the guy, the guy who's actually famous in general, not just in poker. The fact that he wrote Quiet Ho is the big problem. If one of the, quote, toxic losers, like if just some regular dude saw this and said, hey, I'm a fan of Dan Bilzerian. How could she say this about me? And then he insulted her back. I'd say, okay, she kind of deserved that because she's basically saying, if you're a fan of this guy, you're a toxic loser. So if one of the, quote, toxic losers wanted to call her something nasty back, including a ho, okay, uh, I can understand that. But uh, Dan doing it, that was inappropriate. He's representing GG Poker. In fact, this tweet was about him being assigned to GG Poker. She criticized it, and he calls her a hoe. That's a very bad look for both him and GG. Now, with him, you kind of expected that's kind of part of his brand, is acting like that. But uh, for GG, that obviously didn't look very good. So this started a big shitstorm, and this occurred in early December. So we're talking about something from three and a half months ago. But this started a big shitstorm, and most people, not all, but most people were on Vanessa's side. Most people agreed that this was inappropriate behavior by Dan. He shouldn't have responded this way, and that it was pretty much validating what she was saying in the first place. And uh, he didn't back down. He didn't apologize, nothing like that. But uh, most people agreed that she was in the right here, and initially she handled it very well because she didn't take herself too seriously. She didn't go in all these feminist tirades and and uh, put people off with, with extreme uh, opinions and extreme examples and extreme consequences. No, no, no. She pretty much stuck to saying how this was wrong, but at the same time was kind of making a joke of it. So she changed her Twitter profile picture, the banner picture, to a picture of an actual hoe, you know, the gardening tool hoe, because he misspelled hoe. And uh, she kept calling herself a hoe, spelled that way. So she was kind of making light of the whole thing while also expressing the serious point that this is bad behavior and this is the type of person that Gigi signed. So she got a very good response to all of this for a while because she handled it very well. But she kept going on with it. She kept pressing Gigi Poker every time they tweeted something out involving Dan Bilzerian and sometimes even when it wasn't involving Dan she would tweet something back that was very critical of them and demanding they fire Dan And I'm not talking about like the day after. I mean, she was doing this uh, consistently ever since this happened. And after a few weeks of this, people started to get tired of it because you know, there's only so much you can say. There's only so much you can keep raising this point. 
I'm not saying she should have changed her mind. She could still hate GG Poker, but uh, this wasn't major enough to keep harping on them. It's fine that she suggested that they fire him, but when they chose not to do it, uh, it's kind of off-putting to see her constantly harping on them every time they tweet about uh, something promotional, especially about uh, Dan, that uh, every time she's giving him a hard time about this. Now, it's her right to do. I'm not saying she should have been stopped from doing it. If she wants to do it, she can. And I would be unhappy if there was any attempt to stop her from doing this. But just in my opinion and some other people's opinions, she kind of made too much out of it. She went on too long with it. She could have. She should have said her piece, demanded they fire him if she wanted that. Then they didn't. She could have expressed her displeasure with that and then kind of dropped it. And if you want to make reference to it every so often, fine. But uh, there's something to be said where if the scandal isn't something super, super major, it's not like they were uh, pulling a UB and looking at hole cards or pulling a lock poker and paying nobody. There you want to keep reminding everybody because there's a constant danger to the community. But uh, just signing a jerk who makes a rude comment, you, know, you, you say your piece, you make the big deal about it, and then you move on. Especially because she got a great reaction. Everybody saw what he did. Everybody agreed with her. Almost everybody agreed with her. So she got what she wanted there, except him getting fired, and she should have moved on. That's my opinion. So that hurt her reputation a little bit because she was flying high initially after this. Like, everybody loved her after this, but... Uh, a few people started to get annoyed with her, but still, overall, she was looked upon pretty positively uh, from the whole situation. Then in January, she put out a tweet that had nothing to do with any of this, but that uh, eroded her reputation a little bit more. She was saying that she and her single friends are looking for boyfriends in poker and the pickings are very slim. Even though she acknowledged that there's way more men than women in poker, that uh, she, she listed this big list of qualities they're looking for and said, like, almost no guys in poker uh, meet these requirements. If you do, let us know. That was basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what she said. So you can imagine how this didn't come off very well. It came off like she's calling all the dudes in poker's losers. And, hey, you know, yes, there's tons of you guys, but we can't find boyfriends in poker because all of you are so bad. All of you are so, such losers that none of you meet our standards. Only a tiny percentage of you can meet our standards. So despite tons of single guys in poker, we're still having trouble finding dates, which obviously was not a good look. So a lot of guys did not like that. And uh, a lot of people put out some pretty harsh messages to her on Twitter as a result of that. I covered that on this show, and I said at the time that I didn't think she meant it badly. I really didn't. Just I, I don't know her personally. I've never met her. I've had a few private conversations with her since the whole Bulzarian thing on Twitter. We've had a few DMs back and forth. But I don't know her well. But from my observations of her and from what others have told me about her that have met her in person, have spent time with her, that this was not something she was doing on purpose. She wasn't trying to put down everybody in poker. She was just really trying to say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a serious guy in poker. I'm looking for someone who uh, be like serious boyfriend material and is stable and isn't a degenerate gambler and doesn't have a drug problem. So like if, if you're like a, um, a stable dude in poker and you've got your shit together, uh, let me know. That's basically what she was trying to say. It just didn't come off well. And she kind of doubled down on it afterwards and wrote something a little bit obnoxious. But overall, I didn't think she meant badly, but she just wrote something kind of stupid. 
And that happens. People write stupid things on social media. I've written stupid things on social media. If you're active in social media, I bet you have written th- stupid things on social media at some point. So I don't want to hold this too much against her because people will sometimes write stupid things on social media. However, that did become a controversy in itself in January. So this is already the second time in a period of about a month that she was in the center of controversy on Twitter. Well, now we're up to the third time. And it's an offshoot now of the Dan Bilzerian thing. And it revealed some new details also that we were not previously aware of. So this is what happened. I had thought all this time, as did just about everybody else, I guess unless you were very close with her and she told you the truth, the full truth at the time, I had just thought that she was somebody who was disgusted by Gigi Poker signing Dan and that she was a complete outsider to the situation, just basically saying, hey, I don't want you signing this misogynist. And then he made that rude comment to her and then she reacted to that and then she wanted them to fire him. That's what I thought. I thought she was just an outsider to the whole thing, just like I am an outsider to the whole thing. I have no relation to Gigi Poker or to Dan Bilzerian or or to Vanessa or anybody. I, I, I have no dog in this fight. I thought neither did she. Well, not quite, it turns out. So this this is what she wrote on March 9th, three days ago. Uh, actually, before I get to the March 9th thing, let me tell you what actually precipitated the whole thing, because there, there was actually a tweet she wrote, which kind of led to the incident on March 9th, which then kicked off the whole shitstorm of drama. So this is what she wrote on the, 9th, on the 6th. The 6th, she wrote, Gigi Poker's International Women's Day's efforts are a little like a cigarette company donating to the Cancer Society. Have to fix what's wrong and stop causing harm before these things are meaningful. Ceasing to sponsor misogynists would be the real worthwhile thing for International Women's Day 2021. That's what she tweeted on March 6th. And she was referring to the fact that they were having some kind of... uh, Uh, little promotional tournaments that made some kind of uh, donation to some sort of uh, women's advocacy group. I I don't know. They were doing some sort of event for International Women's Day. And she's basically saying, this means nothing if you're going to have a guy like Bilzerian on your staff. Okay, fair point. I I won't argue with that one. And I I do believe that their International Women's Day efforts there were very performative, very just... It's a token thing they were doing. Say, hey, look, we're, we're, we're holding these tournaments to, to benefit this women's group. Uh, obviously, we care about women's issues. No, you don't. You're, you're a company that just cares about making money. And I, I know a lot of corporations do that, so I'm not going to say they're the only one. I'm not going to criticize that. I'm just going to say that, yeah, she does kind of have a point that they are not really serious about this and that uh, having Bilzerian on staff is, is pretty much proof of that. So I, I, she's kind of right there. I, I won't argue with that one. But that was written on March 6th. On March 9th is when the shitstorm began because Gigi Poker decided they had enough. And I will read you what they did and what they said. She wrote, Well, Gigi Poker finally responded to the Bilzerian mess by terminating my residual affiliate account from way back, I don't know, uh, a day after uh, women's... Let me start this again. It's, It's a little confusing to read this tweet. Well, Gigi Poker finally responded to the Blazarian mess by terminating my residual account from way back, a day after International Women's Day, not acknowledging any wrongdoing or anything remotely close to an apology, seems about right. Hmm, you may say. What do you mean residual affiliate account? What does that mean? It turns out that Vanessa Cade 
actually had an affiliate account with GG Poker. She was actually an affiliate of GG Poker, not just prior to this, but all this time. Even after Dan Blazerian called her a hoe, she was getting a check every month for about $2,000 for promoting GG Poker. <laughs> Who would have seen that coming? So while she's been bashing them relentlessly for three and a half months on Twitter, they've been saying, thank you very much, Vanessa. Thank you for bashing us. Thank you for uh, insulting us. Here's $2,000. Every month they're sending her $2,000. Now, they weren't actually saying thank you, but I guess in a way they were because they, they said nothing and just kept sending her her checks. Now, they weren't paying her to bash them, but basically, here's the way these affiliate accounts will work with poker sites, is that you have an affiliate link that somebody clicks on to sign up with a poker site. And then from that point forward, if they sign up and then deposit, then you're going to get one of two types of uh, payments, either a one-time payment where you get paid for someone signing up, but you get paid nothing going forward, or you get a piece of their rake in perpetuity. So she actually had the second deal, which is better. She had it to where these people who signed up through her on GG Poker, that she made a percentage of the rake for as long as they play on the site. Now, this goes back two years. Two years ago, she got some people on there. I don't know if she gave this link out privately or if she promoted it on Twitter. I wasn't following her two years ago, so I don't know. She wasn't like a GG Poker sponsored pro or anything. Uh, she was just an affiliate who presumably gave out this link to her friends who were poker grinders, and, and they signed up. And there are some of these guys still playing to this day who are grinding a lot of uh, rake out on GG Poker. So she has been getting a reliable 2K a month or so sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but averaging about 2K a month because of these people that signed up with her about two years ago. So she admits she hasn't promoted them in two years. This is what she says. I haven't promoted that affiliate account in almost two years, which they will know. So basically, it was just a passive means of income at this point, and I guess they want to make sure they punish me the only way they can. If you don't know what that means, I was getting a couple thousand a month from people who had signed up with me when I promoted these guys years ago, a percentage of rake. They've taken that now. Removing that because they don't like someone's opinion is a very slippery slope. So, hmm. She's been getting, for two years, she hasn't done anything, and she's been getting this income. Now, I will say, if that's the deal, that's the deal. You can say, hey, she's getting this money for doing nothing. But hey, that, that was the deal she signed up for. The deal was she refers people if they generate rake for the next 10 years, she gets paid for the next 10 years. So they, they should keep to their agreements. They should keep to it if they were to say, hey, Vanessa, you're not actively promoting us anymore, so we're terminating you. Unless that's in the agreement, unless that's in the affiliate agreement that you have to keep actively promoting or you get terminated, which I don't know if it is or not, but if, if it's not, then they should continue paying her as long as these guys generate rake. Here's the important question. And by, by the way, Vanessa, is, is, she's messaging me on Twitter right now. So I, I, she's probably listening to this. I made reference to this on Twitter. That's how she knows. But I, I will read her responses. I don't want to have to uh, speak for her. And I want to be fair about this. I'm not on either side here. There are people in this whole controversy that are very against her and saying nasty things about her. And there's some who are uh, very pro everything she says and very, very anti-GG in this situation. Some of them are just virtue signalers, but whatever. Um, I'm not one of them either, but I, I'm trying to be fair and, and impartial here. 
And I, I can actually see both sides of this. But anyway, she has been getting affiliate money, and they decided to terminate that. And I think the straw that broke the camel's back was the tweet she wrote on March 6th, but it wasn't just that. She's been bashing them for about three and a half months over the Bulzerian thing. So here's what they wrote, and I will say right up front that this was a stupid thing they wrote to her. Like this was, They really need someone in the PR department who knows what they're doing. <laughs> GG Poker, because this is a mess. This, this message is a mess. This, is, this came from someone named Rachel. I'm not even sure if Rachel's real. Rachel may even be uh, a dude. That just pretending to be a woman. I, I don't even know. But this is what they wrote. Hey, Vanessa, I'm sure you were expecting this message to come at some point. This is on March 9th. Rachel wrote this to her. I need to close your affiliate account. Affiliates are partners, and you clearly terminated that partnership a few months back. I simp- I'm simply finalizing it by closing the account. So that basically means they're going to stop paying her. That's what that really means. It's a shame you can't see all the things we're trying to accomplish and the amazing people behind the scenes who are working tirelessly to make GG Poker amazing. To call us out as misogynistic is completely inaccurate and offensive to everyone that works here, especially the women. Okay, see, that, that's stupid right there. Let, let's stop right there. Um, first of all, it doesn't matter what they're trying to accomplish behind the scenes. That's not her complaint. Her complaint's not, uh, hey, you guys aren't working hard enough behind the scenes. Her complaint is, you signed a guy who is misogynistic and then he insulted me. So why aren't you doing anything about it? And... To say, oh, we're, we're trying to make GG Poker amazing, that doesn't answer that. And also to say, uh, it's offensive to the women working there uh, to call them misogynistic. Wait a minute, like a guy who represents you guys calls her a hoe, so how's that offensive to the women there? <laughs> I mean, if anybody should be offended, if the women there are offended, they should be offended at what Bilzerian wrote, not, not, what, not uh, Vanessa reacting to it. This is such a dumb email. So then uh, Rachel goes on to write, I can speak from firsthand experience to, to the support Gigi has shown me. Like many mothers over the last year, juggling family and work have been extremely difficult. Sometimes I could only work half days or couldn't work at all because I had to be with my kids because they couldn't go to school. And not once did Gigi say anything but, whatever you need, we'll stand by you and support you however we can. <laughs> I mean, this isn't relevant. First of all, we don't even know if this is true. We don't even know if Rachel's real. We don't know if Rachel is a mother. Rachel could be a dude. Like, this means nothing. Why would Vanessa care if they are uh, being flexible with the work schedule of this Rachel? Like, this has nothing to do with any of this. Just, just because you have flexible work schedules doesn't mean that the company doesn't have some sexist or misogynistic practices. I mean, that's a, this is dumb stuff here. This is just stupid fluff being put in to make it seem like that uh, Vanessa's crazy to, to, to have the feeling she does. So anyway, it goes on to say, we're made up of strong women and men who have huge respect for women and value each and every one of us. I've never once felt less than equal ever. I'm sorry you have chosen to take a stand against us instead of rising, riding this awesome wave with us. I really enjoyed working with you and hope we can look, at, uh, look to partnering with you again soon in the future. Regards, Rachel. So, okay, that was a stupid email. Or I, I don't think it was an email. I think it was a Twitter message. It, it was stupid. This Rachel, what she should have written, first of all, she should have written something before they closed her account. They should have written to Vanessa and said, hey, Vanessa, look, first of all, we're sorry for what Bulzerian said. We don't approve of this. We were just as horrified to see it as you. And, uh, you know, we've asked him to not engage in this type of behavior anymore. And we're sorry he did this. 
just want to let you know we don't support this, and uh, we're very sorry that uh, you were treated this way. Uh, however, it's been three and a half months, and uh, you've written a lot of bad things about us on social media. And as you know, you're an affiliate, and we're sending you a check each month. And even though you're not actively promoting us, uh, our terms do say that you cannot disparage us, and uh, you have been doing so. So we, we gave you some time to explain your anger at the whole thing, and we understand your anger, and that's why we didn't tell you to stop. But uh, now it's been three and a half months. If you could please stop doing this and stop uh, dragging down our brand, uh, we would appreciate it. And, uh, you know, that's part of the terms of being an affiliate. We feel we're being more than fair, you know, giving you three and a half months to, to air your grievances about this. But can you please drop it at this point uh, if you'd like to remain an affiliate? And, and you know, then uh, I think that would be a very reasonable letter. But that's not what they wrote. They, 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 what this Rachel wrote was nonsense, and they didn't give her a chance to correct it. They just fired her right there and said goodbye 2k per month so then vanessa responded back happy international women's day eh i like the a in there (laughs) she's canadian Uh, your company has actively recruited a man who has abused women and openly belittled and degraded them it's basically a staple of his brand i have a number of friends who work for gg and how they may treat you as an employee as you serve your interests is pretty irrelevant to the fact that they have very publicly said they don't respect women well they didn't publicly say we didn't we don't respect women that's that's not true but the first thing she said is true that the way they treat employees there is not relevant to this my gg employee friends have family and need an income and whatnot and i understand it's not so simple uh for many for many who just can't up and leave to rock the boat and i don't judge them but let's be clear gg supports misogyny there's no two ways about it. And everyone who partners up with them after that point, after they brought on and kept Bilzerian, is also publicly saying they're fine with it. GG was my favorite software, and I genuinely hyped where you were going. But so long as you don't remove people who hire you to literally represent your image, who act in reprehensible ways, I'll continue to call it out every time it comes up. I'm sorry you're upset with my interference of your attempt to purchase goodwill at the community with the ridiculous 2K free rolls and token donations, glaringly a fraction of what you're willing to spend on promoting your misogynist. I mean, that, I mean, that part's true. I, I understand that uh, little free rolls benefiting women's groups, uh, that's meaningless. It's stupid, like I said earlier. If you, want your, if you want our respect back, you owe the women of this industry a sincere apology, and that starts with genuinely rectifying your mistake. If you don't care about our respect, carry on. You're just piling on in an industry that largely doesn't care about bigotry anyway, so who cares, right? You could be a massive force for good and progress in this industry in addition to being a massive force for profit instead of just the latter. I could not be more disappointed in you as a company. Do better. Vanessa, quote, ho, Cade. It's kind of a funny signature, but... Uh, I, I don't agree with all this. I think some of that's going too far. Uh, I, I do agree that the letter was stupid. I agree that Vanessa has a right to her opinion on this. However, we, we have a call coming in. I'm not sure who this is. It's a number I haven't seen before in the 862 area code. Uh, but I, I will take it shortly. So uh, whoever's calling, uh, just wait and I'll let you know. Could even be Vanessa for all I know. But anyway... Uh, I will give her a chance to speak if she wants to speak, and I'll read what she's sending me. Uh, but uh, here's my opinion in a nutshell before we go on to the reactions from the poker world. When, uh, First of all, I think everybody should have a right to express their opinions. And if Gigi Poker had made any attempt to stop Vanessa from expressing her opinions, even if she was overdoing it, even if she was just relentlessly doing it, whatever it is, I would 
be highly, highly critical of them if they were to be threatening to sue her, which to my knowledge they're not, or something like that. If they said, stop writing this about us or there's going to be consequences, I would not be happy about that whatsoever. I think she should be able to fully express as much as she wants her opinions that they are not a good company, that they're a misogynist company, that's a sexist company, whatever it might be. But when you're an affiliate, when you agree to be an affiliate, whether you're actively promoting or whether you're just collecting affiliate money from past promotions, when you're an affiliate, and this is the way I've seen in every affiliate agreement, I don't know about GG Poker, but I've never seen theirs, but I assume it's probably in there too, that you're basically giving up your rights to free speech. You're basically saying, I'm going to collect money for referring people to your site, and one thing I am giving up is my ability to criticize you. And there's a very simple solution if you don't like that. You just don't become an affiliate. Guess how many affiliate deals I have for Poker Fraud Alert. Guess how many affiliate links there are on Poker Fraud Alert for poker sites? Zero point zero. And that's exactly why. I do not want to be restricted. If a poker site screws up, I want to criticize them. So I do not want to feel like I'm under pressure to not say something I want to say. So on this site, as you can see, there aren't sponsors, so I can say whatever the hell I want. And that's the reason. I could make money being an affiliate of these sites. I, I could put up banners. And I'm not, I'm not talking about scam sites where people are going to lose their money. I mean, like, sites that I will play on myself. I could put up affiliate banners and make extra money. But I don't. In fact, the site loses money because I do not have that stuff up there. So I do not want to give up that free speech. But if you want to take that affiliate money, I don't hold it against you. But there goes your free speech regarding that site. And that's just the way it works. So I realized that when she took this affiliate deal, she was very optimistic about GG Poker. And she thought a lot better of them than she thinks now. But at this point, when she has her criticisms of them, some of which are valid, and apparently uh, there's also some things she was unhappy with two years ago with them being slow to pay Canadian players, which is probably true. Uh, If she has her issues with them now and wants to criticize them, then she's pretty much willing to give up the affiliate money. And if she wants to criticize them and not give up the affiliate money, that's just unrealistic. That's just uh, no company is going to pay you to bash them, whether you're right or wrong. So it's a choice you make. You're either an affiliate and you keep your mouth shut, or you're not an affiliate, and then you can spout off whatever you want to say, right or wrong. I mean, if you, I guess if you slander or libel them, you can be sued, but that's not in play here. There's no slander or libel going on. She's basically expressing an opinion, and it's one that's even reasonable. I do not hold against Vanessa the fact that she thinks that Bilzerian shouldn't be a sponsored pro, or that she thinks that Bilzerian's a misogynist, or that by having him as a sponsored pro, especially after he wrote that she is a hoe and should be quiet. I I think that that whole look is definitely one which you could say that GG Poker supports sexism and misogyny to some degree and that it's a bad look for them. Now, I understand why they didn't fire him because they were hoping to get uh, new market share with Dan's fans who may not have a GG Poker account already. Now, most of his fan base is in the U.S., so it doesn't make a lot of sense to me anyway, because you can't play GG Poker in the U.S. But putting that aside, uh, maybe he has some international fans that would sign up to GG Poker because he promotes them, and that's more important to them 
than taking a stand against the way he behaved towards Vanessa. And I can see why Vanessa is annoyed about that. And if I were in her shoes, I would be kind of annoyed by this too. So I can understand this. But when you're an affiliate at the same time, you know, the, your hands are kind of tied. You've got to choose one or the other. You, it would be great in a perfect world if you could take a stand against them and bash them, and then they still hold to paying you the 2 k per month. But the 2 k per month that she's been getting, part of that has been to speak either positively of them or not at all. And you have to make the decision. Is it worth keeping my mouth shut? And apparently she made the decision, no, I will speak my opinion even if they take away my money. And they did. So that was the risk she took. <laughs> the money's gone. And, and I can understand this from GT's side, all right, so, so, uh, we, we have a caller coming in here. Vanessa's not very happy with this. I'm reading what she wrote me. She's not very happy saying it's misleading. I think, I think I've been very fair here, but someone's been trying to call very aggressively here. Uh, call her on the air. Hey, Drup. Hey, apologies for calling so often. I, um, but I do have a, a, a bit to share. Uh, I've kind of shared my thoughts a little bit on the forum. Uh, I don't post that often, but I do want to kind of chime in here because I feel strongly that you're a man uh, who has very straightforward, honest, you know, consistent opinions. And in here, you seem to be deviating slightly because in, in this instance, I don't know how much you know of Vanessa's past, but she kind of blasted onto the poker scene only through like self-promotion, like shameless self-promotion of chip porn which was great in the beginning because it was like, look at this low stakes grinder running up stacks. Everybody's giving her attention. It um, shines a light on women in poker and it's positive for the community. Um, But as you can tell, it's a little bit self-promoting, a little bit look at me, a little bit, I don't know, attention whore-ish, if you will. And then she later kind of like furthered her fame by going on to Joey Ingram's podcast and then starting a bunch of drama talking about how, she thought he was hot and then making things somewhat uncomfortable. And I don't know the full details of it, but there's quite a bit of like, I don't know, just much ado about nothing. But again, in an effort, in my opinion, to kind of just draw further attention to herself, um, no doubt she's probably a decent poker player. She's winning. That's great. And it's good for women in poker. But now as we move forward into the 2020, 2021 um, year, what happens you know, she doesn't like Dan Bilzerian, and Gigi Poker signs Dan Bilzerian. Now, I'm sure Gigi Poker has some pretty smart people who do some, I don't know, cost-benefit analysis on whether or not you should actually sign someone and, and what that will do to your brand. Um, and I'm sure the number crunchers there knew a little bit about Dan Bilzerian's past and knew that there would be some shit and baggage associated with signing Dan Bilzerian and probably calculated that in. And they then weighed how many of our potential clients are followers of Dan that are not currently on our platform that we do you think we could kind of pull in because we signed Dan. How much money can we make off of that? And does it matter that we're going to get a shitstorm from a bunch of people? Now, I'm sure they didn't take into consideration how big a shitstorm this obvious like poker mob of SJWs that exists could bring about to, to them, but um, they pretty much have – 
have stated, and I think their their half-assed apology to Vanessa Cade was stupid because it's evident that they're they're rolling with with Dan Bilzerian, um, and well, so like to give a half-assed like useless apology is meaningless and kind well, of well, yeah, and I'll, and I'll get to that in a little bit. They did they did put out a statement. They did put out a statement today with an apology, which we'll get to. I'm trying to do this in sequence, but uh, um, I agree oh, it was a stupid apology. Uh, she she texted she messaged me by the way that she's never been on uh, Joey Ingram's podcast, but to me that's not really important. Uh, I. I didn't see her beginnings. I, I kind of fo- just found her on Twitter. I don't know how. I, I guess responding to somebody else, and I clicked on it. And there she was. But um, I, I don't really care if she drew attention to herself. Uh, you know, I think if I if I were a pretty girl in poker, I would probably uh, do some things to bring attention to myself. Also, it's 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 to a girl's benefit in poker to bring attention to themselves, and I, I don't see where that's relevant to to this situation. And and I. Like I can, I, when this happened back in December, I commented this. I, I did a segment on this back in December. I was uh, pretty supportive of her and, and her gripe towards Bilzerian because, uh, as I said, he was punching down. It was a very inappropriate thing he wrote, and uh, it was understandable why she was unhappy about this. And uh, yes, yeah, she started she started the whole thing, but she was making a comment to why she was unhappy with it, and the the comment wasn't completely unreasonable or uh or it's not like she was just accusing a normal guy of misogyny i mean this is this is a guy whose brand is uh somewhat of objectifying women uh, so i i can understand it I'm, I'm not saying i have the same opinions of her on this i'm not a damn fan by any means as i've said before but uh i i can understand why she'd express that opinion at the time and why he should not react that way. And it was very inappropriate. And yes, now you're, what you said at the end was right, that Gigi Poker crunched the numbers and they figured, okay, well, this kind of sucks. We weren't expecting this, but we still want to stay with Dan. We still think he can bring us profit and uh, we're going to just try to get out of this situation with minimum damage. And that's, that's clearly what they did. And they're not sorry about this and they yeah. don't really give a shit. They wish it didn't happen, I'm sure, but uh, they they don't feel bad about this and that's very clear and if if people want to hold that against them uh that's definitely reasonable so that, that that's what i'm trying to say here i don't think she brought any of this on herself i i just uh what i've said so far and i'll get more into this is that yeah she made it she made a choice as far as calling them out and then risking the affiliate money that that's what i feel it's just that uh like yeah. right or wrong she can be 100% right but when you're collecting affiliate money, you've, you've basically agreed, I'm not going to trash this company, even if they are crappy. And and if you want to, then that's fine, but then you're going to give up the affiliate money. 100%. But two things real quick. Like, number one, the way she handled herself in December was admirable and I think perfect. Like, I, she she could have a future in, in uh, you know, media relations if she were to just be consistent with, with the way she handled herself back then. And at that time... You know, I'm I'm still a big fan of hers. You know, it's great. I think we need more women women in poker, and she's a model for them, uh, for women, and to bring more women to the table. However, to then kind of like drag it on at, with how she responded currently is a little bit inconsistent because she took the very funny, you know, um, humorous route, and and you were on her side as as was I, but then to kind of just like you know, beat the dead horse and say, like, misogynistic, this is ridiculous. Um, that's where I think it kind of, like, took. she may have took a wrong turn. This is my opinion. She, obviously, she believes she didn't. But I think it took a wrong turn. And what it invited was all of the people 
who wanted to get on one side of an argument to all gather up on one side and other people to get on another side of an argument and then to just like bitch and moan. And really that does nothing but actually hurt the poker community. And then the second thing, just to kind of like shit on SJWs even further, like Dan Bilzerian, he hires sex workers to follow him around. And some of them I'm sure he bangs like good for him, more power to him if he wishes, but don't say that he's misogynistic in one side of your mouth. And then in the other side of your mouth, say, sex work is real work and women power and all this other BS. Because as soon as you start to drag all this political nonsense that's divisive and like not very conducive to growing a community, you start to fuck up your own money as a professional poker player. And then wrecks like me, who really don't give a shit, either tune out or who have their thoughts to share, end up calling in radio shows like this. <laughs> and that's where I think like, you know, that's what really hurts the community more than anything else. Well, and, and that's all. I just wanted to hear okay, that. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, for, th thank you for, for your comments. Well, well, the, I mean, the community will get past this. This is going to come and go eventually. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks thanks for your comments here, and, and I'll continue to talk about this. She's also messaging me still, still right now, so I, I, I don't want to misrepresent anything for what she says or what she did like if she she puts out a correction i'll definitely uh say it out here too but anyway th thanks for your call and uh and we'll continue here with the Thank show you. and tell vanessa that I, i'm a fan of her still I, I mean i don't disagree with everything i don't agree with everything she does but i love her i love what she does for poker and bringing women into the community i just don't like all of the you know attacks and you know talking out of two sides of their mouth and, and we can agree to disagree on those things but anything that grows the community i'm with i hope she doesn't hate me for it um not that i even divulged my identity. yeah she doesn't know who you are so there's nothing to hate <laughs> okay well th thank you for calling okay so uh anyway uh I will say though, when he said she's good for poker, I, I will say like before this, I, I thought she was great for poker. I, th I thought that, uh, that there were many, many qualities that she brought to the table that were uh, very admirable. And in fact, some of these qualities she had, some of the high-profile women in poker don't have. Like um, she didn't bring any uh, trashiness or overt sexuality. Like I, I didn't like all that from some of the women who were high-profile in poker. She didn't bring that stuff. She was kind of just, uh, yeah, very upbeat and positive, and, and seemed cool. Like that's that's what I saw of her before all the recent controversy, the last three and a half months. And uh, I thought that she, she was a very positive person for poker, and she still she still can be. I'm not saying this has been ruined. I'm just saying that this is uh, now introduced some complications. Uh, but uh, she said on Twitter to me just now in a private message, she said, this is work I completed two years ago. That is the affiliate payments, uh, the affiliate uh, referrals, uh, implying that I should be refusing p payment for my work and putting it in their pocket voluntarily is absurd. Well, okay, I, that's, that's the complication here, and that's what I was going to bring up next. This is actually a very uh, difficult thing to figure out what is right and wrong. This is not straightforward, and there's a big question here which has nothing to do with sexism, misogyny, or Dan Bilzerian, but a very general question, and that is, if somebody does a referral to where uh, somebody clicks on a link and starts playing on a poker site, and the affiliate who provides that link, in their agreement, they're supposed to get paid in perpetuity whatever rake is generated, a percentage of the rake generated that never expires, at what point is it ethical for the poker site to then yank away that income? What events must occur to where that's okay? 
Because she is right that GG Poker is just pocketing this now. Now, every month, they're going to keep 2K in their pocket that they did not have before, that before was going to Vanessa. And so one might say, hmm, well, isn't this convenient for GG Poker? They get to pocket an extra 2K a month by saying that they're pissed at her for bashing them. And they do. They do get to pocket 2K extra per month that otherwise they should not have because uh, she referred these players and according to the affiliate agreement, this is supposed to go to her. So I am not saying that she should just voluntarily hand this to them. I'm saying that uh, one unfortunate part of what was agreed to is that uh, when you agree to get this money, that you're basically agreeing to zip your mouth closed about them for as long as you're receiving money from them, whether it's someone you referred to years ago or referred yesterday. And that's just the fact of the situation. That's one. It's uh, like if you think about, let's say somebody uh, promotes a product on TV and they sign a contract that not only are they not going to bash the product now, that they're not going to bash the product for the rest of their lives. Well, okay. If they, if they understand that's what they're signing to and they agree to it, then yes, for the rest of their life, they cannot bash that product, even if that product turns out to be a piece of crap or even if that company does things that are unethical. And that's why when you agree to these things, you do have to think about, is it worth giving up my silence? Now, some people have said that this makes it even more admirable what she's doing because she is willing to give up, or at least willing to risk that they were going to take it away from her, the affiliate income to speak out for what she believes in. And I will say, yes. If she risks that, in order to say what she wants to say, then that is admirable. There are many people who are shills who will just say whatever the company wants them to say or will not criticize a company despite very strong feelings that would otherwise make them do it because they want to collect the almighty almighty dollar. And the fact that she was willing to throw away or possibly throw away 2K a month that was just rolling in for doing nothing, uh, that does speak a lot about her principles. However, Once you've taken that risk and then you do lose the money, then you knew the risk going in. From GG Poker's side, they say, okay, well, we had an agreement. The part of the agreement was not to bash us, and she's been doing it for three and a half months, so we were taking it away. Now, what I said before, I still stand by, that they, given the circumstances, given that GG Poker had its own rep say something nasty to her and call her a hoe back in December since he was the one who committed the initial wrong. Because she wasn't wrong to tweet out that she doesn't like the signing. I mean, yeah, technically that's in violation of the affiliate agreement, but whatever, we will ignore that. Uh, it was really Dan Bilzerian kind of drawing first blood here. He should, shouldn't have done this. So since it was something that was wrong, it was wrongdoing by one of their representatives, and right when they signed the guy, Uh, They have to make some allowance for that, and I would think one of the allowances would be to give her a warning before cutting off the 2K. I think that's what they should have done. I I don't think that she should be able to get 2K per month and uh, relentlessly bash them for uh, as long as she wants. It would be great for her if she could, but I I don't think that's fair because... uh, she may not feel this way, but part of the payment she's getting is also to never speak negatively about them. That's, or at least never as long as you're, you're getting the residual payments coming in. That's kind of, it's like part of the terms, it's part of the job. It's true that the bulk of the work was done two years ago, but 
the ongoing work is the refraining from bashing them. But because Dan drew first blood here, they uh, gave it some leeway, but I don't think enough. They, they should have given her a warning. And I've, I've written about this on my forum that I feel this way. I will state this here. I stated it on Twitter. I feel that uh, they did not handle this right on their end. They also should have apologized to her. We know Dan's not going to apologize, but they should have written an apology, either publicly or privately, at the very least privately. They should have apologized and then asked her to please stop doing this. And then if she didn't want to stop doing this, then they could say, okay, well, look, we got to cut, we got to cut the affiliate payment then because you're, you're anti-promoting us now. You went from promoting us to doing nothing to anti-promoting us. So we've got to draw the line at uh, consistent anti-promotion of us. <laughs> we can't pay you to anti-promote us. Even if it's a payment for a different reason, it's, it's all along the same thing. You're either promoting us or you're not, and telling everyone we suck for three and a half months is, is a problem. So uh, I understand their point. Like, if I ran GG Poker, I would feel really weird about sending payments to someone who's constantly bashing my company. And I, I don't think, I think if Vanessa owned a company and, and someone was constantly bashing her company, I don't think she'd want to send them payments every month. I mean, that's just being real. That's just realistic. If she was willing to give that up, to say what she wants to say, that's great. Then then I give her a big thumbs up for being principled. And a lot of people in poker cannot say the same. Prahlad Friedman. You do have to give it up. I mean, it's, if they're going to take it away, if you're going to risk that by violating the terms, then if they take it away, that, those are the consequences. And you can't really cry foul about that. You can cry foul about them as a company that led you to this point, but I can understand why they don't want her consistently bashing them. So that's my take on this. And I I do not uh, have the same opinion of most people in poker about this. Most people in poker are one way or the other on this. I've seen some very harsh and nasty things written about her and the situation, uh, pretty much completely taking Gigi's side. And I've seen some very harsh and nasty things written about GG poker and completely taking her side. And uh, I've seen some people who are using this as an opportunity to virtue signal. Every time something like this comes up, you have these uninvolved third parties who jump out and, and try to uh, show off how sensitive they are. We saw this with Jacqueline Moscow, with that whole controversy years ago. And I remember when, when Jacqueline and I uh, talked a little bit privately, and I said, you know, your friends are pretty harsh. I mean, I said, you're, you're not that bad, but your friends, boy, boy, they're obnoxious. And she's like, they're not my friends. I have no idea who these people are. <laughs> I was like, wow, really? I th- they seem like, the, like these people, all they do all day and night is defend you. She said, no, I, they just kind of showed up out of nowhere because I was a female making a, a complaint of sexual harassment against a male. And they just jumped right in there. <laughs> so here's uh, some of the responses people gave. Doug Polk was mocking her about the International Women's Day thing because she talked about how this happened the day after International Women's Day. And Doug Polk did not like this. Now, I want to give a little note before this. Doug Polk was one of her original critics in this whole thing back in December. For whatever reason, he took Gigi Poker's side. He's one of the few, and I didn't agree with him. He took Gigi Poker's side back in December that this th- this is nothing. Nobody should be mad at Bazarian about this. And uh, basically, he uh, was very critical of Vanessa back then. So he's just kind of extending that here. But he said, oh, my God, the day after International Women's Day, those heartless bastards. And I bet they didn't even ask if it was your birthday week. So obviously, he's being sarcastic. So then she 
was uh, kind of sarcastic back, saying, yeah, fuck International Women's Day, and how it calls attention to a group of people who hope to be treated with decency and respect. Ridiculous, am I right? Doug Polk, poker ambassador. So then he responded back, thinking that because yesterday was a day to celebrate a group of people you belong to, that the next day you're owed anything is ridiculous. You just make your own point look less valid by including it. So then she said back, uh, picking at an insignificant part of an important issue to try to topple it just shows how malicious intent is on your part, Doug, and disrespects the entire issue. You know this already, though. So I see the point Doug's trying to make here, that if they happen to fire her the day after International Women's Day, that doesn't really mean anything. And later, Doug brought up a point saying, uh, what, you can't fire an Irish person on St. Patrick's Day? You can't uh, fire a gay person on uh, National Coming Out Day? Like, uh, why, why should this matter? And I agree she shouldn't have brought up the International Women's Day because it, it does kind of cheapen the whole thing. It starts to make this look like uh, it, it's a big feminism argument rather than just directly focusing on what happened. Uh, now, the reason she brought this up, which wasn't, really uh, communicated that clearly. But I, I see what she's trying to say is that they did these token gestures for International Women's Day and then they fire her for criticizing a misogynist. And wow, isn't, yeah, isn't that funny that they'll do these token gesture free rolls and then the next day uh, fire somebody who has been calling them out for having a misogynist uh, promoting them. So, okay. like uh, Yeah, I can see that, but... Uh, it's not so much that this is the day after International Women's Day. It's more that it's the day after they were doing International Women's Day promotions. That That's much more significant. That's the part that kind of should be highlighted. That uh, they're, they're put, And I know she mentioned this later, but this uh, just the, firing a woman who's complaining about misogyny the day after International Women's Day is meaningless. That's just when it happens to be. That, that doesn't matter. Firing a woman complaining about misogyny the day after they're doing token promotions for International Women's Day, that means a little bit more because that shows that uh, this really is just performative on their part. Then there were some various people that really jumped to her defense. Tony Dunst wrote, uh, Bilzerian's misogyny is beyond obvious and tired at this point, but it's also super lame for a site to sponsor a guy whose only relationship to poker players is pretending to be one. Alex Jacob, he writes, I was angry when Gigi Poker signed Dan Bilzerian as brand ambassador, but the way they treated Vanessa Cade has pushed me to say something. I played on Gigi before, but never again. Their actions have been disrespectful to not only Vanessa, but to all women poker players, and it's not okay. See, this is what I mean by the virtue signaling. This is totally virtue signaling. This is, uh, this is I'm going to put this out there to show what a sensitive male I am. I, I don't believe a lot of this. Even it's not even like Alex was like a, a, a super grinder on there and then abruptly quit. At least there he'd be putting his money where his mouth is. Here he admits he like barely plays on there. And he's gonna, and, and now he's never coming back. Great job, Alex. Uh, David Lapin, who's or Lapin, I don't know how to say his name. Uh, usually I agree with him, by the way, David Lapin. But uh, he says Gigi Poker shamelessly tried to buy their way out of the negative blowback by partnering themselves with a well-known document misogynist by. Hiring uh, Deva, I'll explain that in a second, as sort of a human shield. And then he wrote uh, a fairly long article about the whole thing on uh, VegasSlotsOnline.com, which is uh, a poker news site. So uh, he was talking about uh, Deva Byrne and that she's a female poker pro and that uh, 
uh, oddly, the the article that uh, David Lappin wrote about the whole thing it it seems to go after Deva Byrne way too much. Like I don't see what she has to do with all this. She's uh, she's in a very bad position. She's a female poker pro who's currently a GG poker pro, and now she's under all kinds of pressure to say something here. Well, like uh, that's a really tough spot. That's a very tough spot because if she's going to bash them, she, she they're going to fire her. So she's in a very tough spot there. You you can't just put it all on her shoulders or relied on her shoulders just because she happens to be female and working there. So I, uh, I don't know why this uh, is being made made a big deal of by David Lappin. I mean, if he wants to call out GG, if he wants to call out Bolzerian, fine. But, I mean, to call out a female poker pro has nothing to do with this uh, that happens to be a GG poker pro. That's a different matter. It's not like they're a scam site. Like, if they're a scam site that's just uh, not paying people or that uh, is looking at whole cards or something like that, and, and then Dave is uh, promoting them, yeah, you definitely call her out. But if, if it's just that another poker pro on there misbehaved and then they're not firing him and then she's female and the misbehavior was towards a woman, then why is she saying anything? I mean, like, there's only so much you can expect others to take up for you, is the point. So I, I don't think Dave Byrne deserves any criticism here. She wasn't speaking in his defense. Even uh, David admits that she ignored and dodged questions. Well, yeah, she doesn't want to get involved. I mean, that's, I understand that. If she if she defended Bilzerian here, then I'd say, okay, yeah, then she's fair game. But she's, she's trying to stay out of it. and I, I kind of get that. Uh, th- this is what... Uh, let me take a break here for a second. I'll, I'll read some things that uh, Vanessa wrote. She said, if, if I own this company, I would cut off the ability for that person to add additional players to their affiliate account and leave the completed sign-ons untouched. Also, I would never hire someone like him in the first place. Well, yeah, this, the second part I agree with. The second part, uh, th- there definitely was uh, a risk in hiring someone like Bilzerian that he's going to say something to uh, piss a certain segment of the population off, that he's going to say something insensitive or or whatever, that he's definitely not a guy who holds back or worries about saying something that's politically incorrect and uh, you get that along with anything positive that he brings to the table marketing wise uh, so a company that were to stay away from him is very understandable uh, but you know as, as I said part of the whole affiliate thing part of being an affiliate is unfortunately keeping quiet and if you're going to keep cashing those checks that's uh, you may not like that it's it may feel unfair but that's just part of the whole deal that's part of the reason you're getting this much money uh, and that's e- either these terms are ones you agree to or you don't. And if you don't like them anymore and you want to speak out anyway, you're not going to get the money. It's just that simple. And what she wrote about the uh, about Dave Byrne, she wrote that uh, it's because she was specifically hired to be a female community outreach contact. I feel like you need to read more about some of this stuff and come back to, to it. Well, I, I've read a lot about I, I spent way too much time on this, actually, but, like reading about this. You don't know how <laughs> How long I've been going through tweets and all this. I mean, I, I'm sure I know less about this than, than Vanessa does. But I uh, know um, I didn't know that she was hired to be a female community outreach contact. But still, uh, again, if she comes out and says Gigi Poker is wrong to have hired Dan Bilzerian and they should fire him, then he's basically she's speaking against her employer there and she's going to get fired so she's she basically has to be willing to put her job on the line and get fired it's not even like there's a happy medium where she can say something critical of them 
and stay employed there. That's that's the problem. So that's uh, it, it's a conflict. It's it's a conflict of interest, and this uh, again happens when you sign on to something like this as, as a sponsored pro. Daniel Negreanu, who who by the way is uh, the main face of GG Poker, uh, he's faced a lot of criticism not just over GG but with Poker Stars that uh, you know, both companies have done things people haven't liked, and then they want Daniel to speak out against them, and he won't, and it gets people pissed off. And, uh, and they really go after Daniel for this. But Daniel's getting like a million bucks a year or something like that. So, I mean, you got to think, yeah, in a perfect world, Daniel would say, screw the million dollars a year. I'm going to say what I want. But you know, here's the question. Would you do that? Like, w- would you really turn down a million dollars a year so you could freely speak about these companies? I don't, I don't think many people would. You'd like to think you would, but I bet most of you would not. So it's, it's a complicated situation here. Uh, I I can see where this looks bad, that this Dave Abern is supposed to be the female community outreach contact, and then she doesn't want to speak about a matter that has to do with uh, accused misogyny at the company. But yeah, she's not an independent party. She's, she's someone who's been hired to work for Gigi Poker. Uh, Mike Dentali jumped into this. I, I, I don't know why he even jumped in here. It seems like he was just trolling here. But uh, he, he writes, nobody likes a whining, complaining woman serves you right. I don't know if he really felt that way or if he's trying to be outrageous. He's doing this on his new Twitter account, Dentali Michael, because his other one got banned for some reason. I can only imagine why. <laughs> but uh, uh, so then, then he did this weird thing. He And I actually wasn't aware of what he brought up. And it, I was actually impressed by this, not by what he did, but what I learned about Vanessa here. Uh, he tweeted out some old pictures of her. I'm not sure from when, but some old pictures of her playing poker and doing interviews she looked like a different person. She looked much worse in these pictures than she presently does. Had it been the other way around, had she like looked good in the past and looks you know, worse now, I, I would probably wouldn't say anything. But it, when, it, when it's a, a positive change, obviously, that's worth noting. So he, I think he was trying to bash her. He's like, I'm lost. Isn't this Vanessa? What about this one? And this one? Like, this couldn't be the same person. Well, I agree. Looking at the two pictures, there's an incredible difference. It was an incredible difference with how she looks now and in the past. She responded to this by actually posting uh, a picture of herself with like a half shirt where you can see her belly and uh, she's flipping off Mike Dentali and she wrote, completely ignores the issue and tries to make me feel ashamed of how I looked 40 pounds ago before I started taking care of myself. I worked fucking hard and I'm proud of how far I've come. Down 100 pounds total now with abs. Being ugly on the inside is the real ugly. Fuck you. Wow, that's to Mike Dentali. I mean, he was trolling here. He deserved that response. But uh, I, I will say there, there's an impressive transformation here. And it's not just the weight. She looks better in like all ways. <laughs> in these old pictures, she wasn't wearing makeup. Looks like in the old pictures, she wasn't really taking care of her eyebrows and her hair kind of looked funny. And like, like now, like in every way, it's better. Her hair looks nice now. Her eyebrows look nice now. Uh, she looks younger for some reason. I don't understand how she did that, but somehow she looks younger now than she did before. I want to figure out that segment, that secret, do it myself. Uh, she's definitely uh, thinner. Uh, not all women look better thinner, but she, she's one that seems like she does. So, um, I mean, 100 pounds, that's tough to lose. That's that's really tough to lose. That's a lot. Uh, the pictures that he posted, I guess, were 40 pounds ago. I mean, it's a pretty big transformation. And and someone on my said, "Oh, these." My, someone on my site said, "Oh, these are just uh, filtered." I go, "No, no, no." I like I, I know people that have met her in person and told me that she's very pretty. 
they said like the pictures she posts are, are fairly close to what she really looks like, even with a filter. So it's not like someone who is posting filtered pictures that look nothing like them. So she really did some kind of transformation looks-wise uh, in a very uh, positive sense. And I, I'm actually impressed. And like if someone wants to put out the effort to make themselves look substantially better than they used to, and, and they're successful, then yeah, you have to give them credit for that. It's not easy. It, it, it's work. And over time, usually uh, your looks get worse, not better. So, and she, she's not really young. I think she's probably like mid-30s or something. So it's, you, usually you expect uh, her looks to get worse over time, not better. And she's substantially better looking than those pictures. And that's, uh, that's really uh, a success story in that realm. That has nothing to do with the rest of this, but uh, because it came up with uh, Dentali's comments, I figured I'd mention that. So then a big controversy started, uh, continued after Doug Polk further injected himself into this matter. So Doug Polk wrote this. This is on March 11th, yesterday, at uh, about 6 p.m. Pacific time. The recent Vanessa Cade conversation has really shown me how many people are desperate to be woke at any cost. To be the knight in shining armor, to fight battles purely based around identity politics, it creates an atmosphere of anyone against them as a sexist idiot. Vanessa had her affiliate account terminated because the business no longer wanted her as an affiliate. She felt it was necessary to mention this happened on the day after International Women's Day as if this is some hypocritical stance against women. Newsflash, it's not. Businesses operate to make money. Gigi Poker is not letting her go because they hate women. They are letting her go because it makes sense for them as a business. So if it's International Women's Day, the next day now has some rules on what decisions businesses are allowed to make? Can you fire a black employee on Black History Month if, it, if they're hurting your company? If it's National Coming Out Day, do we need to wait a week if a gay affiliate is causing problems? Can you fire an Irishman on St. Patty's Day? It's easier popular to yell sexism racism at the top of your lungs and pretend that's the issue. To add complexity, sometimes it's the issue, and we can strive to li- eliminate these problems when necessary. But other times, you just got to take some personal responsibility for yourself. If Gigi lets Vanessa go because she's a woman, that's a huge problem. But it's not an issue to let her go the day after International Women's Day. That's just sensationalist bullshit and takes away from actual progress. Okay, well, I agree with some of that. I never liked the line of, well, this is a business. If they're doing something positive for the business, that's their right to do. Not always. Businesses do lots of unethical things that are positive for the business. But that doesn't mean they should. And if they are doing something that's unethical, they should be called out for it. I do it all the time. I call out businesses all the time, especially uh, in poker and gambling, when they do something which does help them, does make them more money, but is unethical. And I have called that out tons of times in this show. So you can't just say, oh, well, it's, it's good for the business, so if they want to let her go, they can. No, no, that's, that's not the issue here. The, the big question, which is really the main question here, is should they let somebody go who is getting residual affiliate money that's coming in every month for something she did two, two years ago. Should they let her go over something like this? Should they be able to terminate, not just what's in the terms of service, but like from a moral standpoint, is it fair to terminate her payments over something like this? That's the question. Not, oh, if it's good for the business, they can do it. It's, well, yeah, they can, but we're, we're talking about what's right here. Uh, and about the International Women's Day thing, I explained that. Where, yeah, 
firing someone the day after International Women's Day who happens to be a woman complaining about misogyny, that's not a problem. The problem a little bit is doing this after you perform and hold tournaments in honor of International Women's Day and then letting someone go who's complaining about misogyny, that is kind of ironic and kind of a bad look and kind of hypocritical. So I, I, I think had she framed it that way, there would have been less criticism from Doug. But I will say Doug probably would have criticized it anyway because he's been on their side the whole way. So that's, uh, that's one thing to say here. He, he's not just some neutral guy. I, now, I don't understand why he's taking this side because he doesn't have any kind of connection with Gigi Poker to my knowledge. But that was the position he took three months ago. So, of course, uh, he's going to stay with it today. They continue to go back and forth. She wrote to Doug. Oh, no, she wrote about Doug. This is the, so this is a, a, a tweet that's now deleted, but it stayed up for about an hour, so I'm going to read it anyway. How much do you think GG Poker paid Polk to twist this in order to distract from how they have well docu- a well-documented misogynist, Dan Bilzerian, headlining as a sponsored player and just punished a woman for voicing concerns about his atrocious, sexist, abusive behavior? Uh, okay, now she deleted this, so presumably... She realized that this is a baseless accusation, which it is. And I'll, I'll give her credit for deleting it after about an hour. But uh, I doubt, I sincerely doubt that GG Poker is paying Polk to do this. I think Polk just took this position three months ago and decided to stick with it and decided to needle her. Tim West wrote back, I'm all for equal rights, Vanessa, but this is just ridiculous. You're crusading for, you're crusading for no justice. Bilzerian is a player who pays women to be around him at all times naked. Are you boycotting Coors Light for having those twins commercials? Sex sells. And she wrote, no, I'm objecting to the two-plus women he's already kicked, uh, bragging on it on the two-plus two forums, getting banned from a club or the other, dozens of social media posts degrading women, and the other dozen-plus offenses already mentioned. No problem with sexy pictures. And he wrote, I may lose friends or followers over this. This is Tim West. But hot damn, you sound ridiculous. Bilzerian calling you a hoe was out of line. But what exactly were you aiming for? Personally, I think that DM you shared was eloquently written and accurate. Good luck to you in your quest for selfies. I mean, justice. Okay, so he's, he's getting a little snarky here. Um, and, and I don't agree with all this. I I don't think the, res- the DM that she got from Rachel was eloquently written and accurate. I think that was uh, a stupid thing that was written to her. He writes at the end, good luck to you on your quest for selfies. I mean, justice. I mean, obviously, he's kind of hostile towards her. So I don't I don't think he's as neutral or positive toward her as he, as he was pretending to be. I will say that the wrongdoing that has been alleged towards Bilzerian in the past toward women, a lot of this is exaggerated. Like the thing with the throwing the model off the roof and her uh, hurting herself that was part of a stunt and it was actually an error she made when he was throwing her that uh, she grabbed onto his shirt and it, uh, it it held her back some so then she didn't reach the pool and, and hit the concrete below so that was her fault she shouldn't have grabbed his shirt and th- that was part of the job she was doing a stunt so I mean, definitely his whole brand does have to do with objectifying women not degrading them, but kind of objectifying them. But, you know, that's his brand. And you may not like that brand. But I, I haven't heard examples. I haven't heard of examples or seen evidence that he's actually, like, directly mistreating women. And Except for the thing he wrote to uh, Vanessa about Quiet Ho. That, that was really the only example I've seen 
where he directly was uh, nasty towards women. Now, that probably speaks volumes. That probably says that he does uh, treat women with relatively little respect. So, as I said, that did kind of validate what she was accusing him of in the first place. But I, I do think that some of these accusations about his past behavior are not really valid. Now, she did say that she quit promoting them two years ago because of a completely different issue. She said, actually, two years ago, they offered me double to stay, and I declined because of how they were treating people. When she says double, I assume that means like the commission she'd be receiving going forward. She said Canadians couldn't get their money off the site for four months with no help. So I, I believe that. I believe she probably was getting complaints from people that she was referring there that they were having trouble getting their money off. Remember, she's Canadian. She probably referred other Canadians. And she was probably disgusted after four months that there was issues getting money off. This is back in 2019. So I can understand why she'd quit. That doesn't have much to do with this, but that would explain why she stopped promoting them two years ago. But again, this doesn't really have much to do with anything else that's happening right now. A little uh, side slap fight got going between people who already didn't like each other. Doug Polk has some kind of uh, issue, a mutual issue, with Matt Berkey and his business partner, uh, Christian Soto. Now, Berkey and Soto run the Solve for Why Academy, which is a poker training program. And Doug has Upswing Poker, which also is a poker training program. So, as you might imagine, they already are competitors. And then they also seem to have some personality conflicts. So, they... they don't like each other, to say the least. They've had uh, issues before back and forth. Christian Soto wrote, maybe missing the point in all this, Doug Polk, as has been pointed out, it was an ironic correlation to bring up International Women's Day and not an intentional correlation. You own a mega microphone in poker and harping on the International Women's Day discussion could harmfully detract from the whole argument. Well, see, Doug Polk having a very large following, that doesn't require that uh, he use it the way people want. He can talk about what he wants. He wants to talk about stupid trivia, he can. He wants to harp on a small thing, he can. He wants to have a controversial opinion, he can. Now, he has to suffer the consequences of whatever he says, but uh, I I never liked the whole thing of, oh, a lot of people follow you. You could be making a positive difference. Why don't you say this? Like It's it's up to them if they want to say this. It's up to them what opinions they want to hold and express. So I, I don't really agree with that. Eric Froelich, who once beat me at the final table when he was 21 years old. I finished third, he finished first. He knocked me out of the event, in fact. He wrote, I think much of what you're saying here is true, talking to Doug Polk about uh, Vanessa Cade, while also missing the mark. A woman being let go for business reasons is acceptable any day of the year. I felt the point where she was let go for fighting against Gigi's misogyny, so that's where the timing was relevant. No. It's not. <laughs> um, the timing's not relevant there. there. There's no window where they can't fire her because she's a woman complaining about misogyny and it happens to be near International Women's Day. The only reason it's relevant is because they ran some promotional events for International Women's Day. Sam Greenwood, he went after Doug Polk pretty hard, saying, I didn't think Doug would have a dumber take than the Fedor Victor staged their match week, but here we are. That's referring to Doug last week saying that uh, Fedor Holtz and uh, 
limitless, this guy, Wichter, that they staged their match, which, by the way, I think there's a good chance they did. So Doug Polk wasn't out of line saying that. He also went on to say, Sam Greenwood, that is, International Women's Day is not celebrating the existence of women. It's advocating for better treatment of women. Ending the affiliate contract of a feminist critic privately on uh, International Women's Day uh, while posting about Gigi's feminist outreach publicly shows how, uh, how hollow their outreach is. Well, I mean, yeah, kind of. You're right about uh, them pretending to have a feminist outreach when they really don't. And this being kind of uh, hypocritical and a bad look. He's kind of right about that. But, I mean, he's putting this in a very woke social justice warrior sort of fashion. Again, trying to virtue signal. International Women's Day is not just celebrating the existence of women. It's advocating for better treatment of women. What the hell is that? Who talks like that? How about just their posturing, Gigi's posturing that they support... uh, uh, women that they uh, support International Women's Day and then they do this. How about that? What's this whole thing about uh, it's advocating for better treatment of women? It's not just celebrating their existence. Like That's just that, that's so trying to come off as, as the sensitive new age guy thing. I, I, I don't go for that at all. It's Because it's phony. Because guys don't really talk that way or think that way. They don't. Even, even the so-called sensitive ones, they don't. This is all performative and you know what the truth is about a lot of these male feminists? I don't know about uh, Sam Greenwood. I don't really know him. But uh, a lot of male feminists mistreat women behind closed doors. All the, the guys who say all the right things on Twitter about how you treat a woman, about uh, respect, respect for women, about you don't say this, you don't say that, you, you have to uh, support these feminist causes. Behind closed doors, so many of them mistreat women. A lot of times it's, uh, it's similar to the homophobe who is secretly gay. I've, I've noticed this very consistently. And again, I'm not making accusations towards Sam Greenwood. I don't know him. I'm just talking about the ones I have encountered in my life, going back many years, even way before a lot of this was uh, cool to say. I remember back in college, some of the, quote, male feminists, and then I would uh, hear later about how they treated their girlfriends. And it was quite a different story, what happened when people weren't watching. Very different from what they wrote in the school newspaper. So I've been around a lot of years. And a lot of these male feminists who virtue signal about how sensitive they are, it's uh, the whole thing is posturing and the whole thing is compensating. By the way, uh, for those of you that don't know me, I've been part of poker for 20 years. My first hand in a live card room was in January 2001. And you can ask anybody. I have always been very respectful toward women in the card room. I've never hit on any girls at the table. I've never made sexual comments to any women at the table. I have never degraded women at the table or treated them differently because they're female. The only time I've had any kind of uh, arguments with women at the poker table is when it's over something that actually happens at the poker table. But any argument I've had with a woman at the table is the exact argument I would have had with a man who would have said or done the same thing. So I treat everybody the same at the poker table. It doesn't matter what gender they are. It doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter what their sexual preference is. I treat everybody the same at the poker table. And if you treat me respectfully, I treat you respectfully. And if you don't treat me respectfully, then I don't treat you respectfully. Um, And anybody who's played with me can tell you that. So I... And I see guys... Not that often, but I've seen some guys uh, uh, 
act in a fashion with women at the table that they probably shouldn't. I, I really haven't seen guys degrading women at the table, but I've seen it where they've hit on women or made uh, you know, sexual comments, and I kind of cringe, and I think, okay, they, they shouldn't be saying stuff like this. And I, I've never seen it like a terrible example of it right in front of my face. I'm sure it happens. But uh, like I, I make sure not to be that guy. I make sure not to ever cause an unpleasant experience for a woman at the poker table unless she's being unpleasant to me first. And then I would treat her the same way I would treat a guy. And that's what everybody should strive for. So you don't have to posture like this to be respectful towards women and make their experience in poker pleasant. And I think women should be treated respectfully at the poker table. I think women should be treated the same way as men at the poker table. In fact, I feel that they should be treated the same as men in all ways, which means you also shouldn't do additional favors for women at the table just because they're young and pretty. And I don't do that either. I treat everybody like they're the same person until they behave in a way towards me that uh, I don't like. Then I will say something, no matter who they are. But that's the way it should be. But all the virtue signaling, I don't like it. Matt Berkey, he joined in, of course, for multiple reasons. I, I For multiple reasons, I knew Berkey was going to inv- get involved here. Uh, number one, Berkey hates Doug Polk. So, if there's an opportunity to criticize Doug Polk, he's going to. Number two, Matt Berkey loves the virtue signal. Number three, uh, Christian Soto had already said something. So, he had to kind of support Christian Soto without directly doing so. Uh, Number four, Matt Berkey never misses an opportunity to try to sound intellectual. Every tweet Berkey writes, he puts a lot of effort into making sure he comes off as uh, smart and sophisticated. So there's a lot of reasons Berkey got involved here. I mean, there's no way he was going to let this pass by without an opportunity to say something. So he wrote, This thread is the best example of moving the goalposts I've seen in quite some time. For the nature of being reductive, nonetheless. Come on, reductive. I, I'm sure, or I, I'm unsure if it's conscious or not, but I'm certain Doug truly believes he's on the side of logic and reason, despite being completely tone deaf. <laughs> you like that jab at Doug there? So Doug just wrote back, expected this from you. And then Berkey wrote back, funny, I'd say precisely the same thing about your tweet thread. Yep, standard. Standard uh, Polk and Berkey hating each other. That's never going to change. You know how Polk and Negreanu eventually got along after that match? Like, they don't dislike each other anymore, it seems like. Kind of seems like uh, they are past their differences at this point. Not going to be close friends, but I, I think that feud is over. I don't think this is ever going to end with Berkey and Polk. I think they're always going to dislike each other. Not only do they have competing companies, but they have very different personalities, and uh, I just don't see it ending. So, a lot of this uh, back and forth. Now, in addition to a lot of the virtue signaling, there were some people that were bashing Vanessa, besides Doug Polk. Sam Panzica wrote, so let me get this straight. Vanessa Cade tries to get Blitz, referring to Blazarian, canceled. Doesn't happen, and now she's mad at Gigi for canceling her? The irony is insane. Hashtag cancel culture. Randall Graves wrote, all while cashing, G- all while cashing Gigi affiliate rateback checks. Those two definitely were not fans of Vanessa there. And there were others who wrote uh, similar stuff. 
there were more people on her side than against her on this, but there, yeah, there were a number of people who uh, were on Gigi's side or agreeing with Doug Polk. Well, what does Gigi Poker have to say about this? I know the caller had something to say referring to this, but I told him to hold on because we weren't there yet. I wanted to do this sequentially, and now we are at the present. We're at uh, March 12th. Gigi Poker in the morning today wrote GG Poker's statement on recent issue. First, GG Poker would like to apologize to our community for the recent series of events that have led to multiple controversies. <laughs> we want our community to have the same pride playing GG Poker as we do in creating a great product, we hope, provides a fun and safe platform for everyone. GG Poker recently ended an affiliate relationship with a former partner due to their violation of our terms and conditions. These were ongoing actions over three months. While the timing of our ending of the agreement was poor, we could not continue that partnership when there are over a thousand affiliates who are following our rules and continuing to work hard with us to grow the game. Okay, let me stop right there. See, th- this, this doesn't look good. This is a dumb statement. This is a dumb statement because this wasn't because she was one of a thousand affiliates who misbehaved. This was a unique situation where one of their pros bashed an affiliate. He didn't know she was an affiliate, but he bashed her, and she happened to also be an affiliate. He publicly bashed her, and then she wanted him fired, and they wouldn't fire him, and she was unhappy. So this, this isn't like just she's some affiliate who's acting up, and she's one of a thousand people they had there, and uh, you know, so why is she complaining? That's, that's not a fair way to express this. Then they go on to write, as Gigi Poker has publicly expressed recently... We are doing our best to address inclusivity in poker. These efforts are genuine. We can promise you that we are doing our best to help grow the game of poker for everyone. What? However, there are things we can do and that we cannot. We cannot control everything our ambassadors say on their personal social media. Yes, an ambassador at GG Poker made a derogatory remark in response to being attacked. No, we do not agree with that reaction or statement at all. And we are very sorry it was made. We have tried to move forward in a positive way since then. We'll continue to do so. What? What? How have they tried to move forward in positive ways? What does that mean? That's just token nonsense they're stating, but it really doesn't have any anything behind it to back it up. And yes, you can do something when an ambassador says something nasty to someone that makes the company look bad. You can either fire the ambassador, or you can ask them to apologize, or at the very least, you can apologize for what they said. It doesn't look like any of this happened. They definitely didn't fire him, but it doesn't look like the other things happened either. So this that's a hollow statement. Finally, we would like to request that all poker media carefully understand the logic behind the recent events and remove any public mention of a member of our affiliate department. She has not agreed to release the private chat content to anyone, including the person who made it public. I think they're referring to Rachel. Ironically, she has faced the same level of cyberbullying that is at the heart of this controversy. She does not deserve that. Oh, come on. I mean, what did they think was going to happen here? After three and a half months of Vanessa speaking out about this, and they're saying, hey, Vanessa, uh, we're cutting off your 2K a month. Uh, Did they think she's not going to post that? Do they think she's not going to share that? First of all, Rachel didn't say, hey, please don't post this anywhere. She said, hey, I knew you knew this was coming. Uh, we're cutting you off. Like, do they really expect that now she's going to go quiet? You're going to cut off her money? She's going to go quiet? What? 
So now you're saying, well, she's getting uh, cyberbullying. Well, maybe you should have designated somebody to tell Vanessa this who didn't care if Vanessa was to post their message. Someone, to, someone with thicker skin. Maybe a dude. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's not fair to give a hard time that Vanessa posted a screenshot of what she was sent. She has a right to do that. It was sent to her. Vanessa didn't hack this from somewhere. It was sent to her. It wasn't even asked to keep it confidential. And even if it was, she's not required to. If you send someone a message, they can share that message. That's the way it goes. So she, she wants poker, they want poker media not to share this. Yeah, good luck with that. As one of the leading poker rooms, we believe the poker community expects us to focus on growing the game. That is exactly what we are doing globally. Our recent growth has been a result of this effort. GG Poker will continue to strive for improvement and to be better every day. Come on. Oh, and then they threw in one other tweet. They, they decided they weren't done. They, they decided they had to say one more thing. What did they say as a, as a final uh, parting word here? They said, lastly... We are sorry for how Vanessa Cade feels about our recent ambassador signing. We do hope things improve between you. Once again, there are things we can and cannot do based upon contracts. (laughs) What the hell is that? Was that like a final kick in her ass on the way out? We're sorry how you feel. I love the, I'm sorry how you feel. We hope things improve. What the hell does that mean? Why even say that? We're sorry that Vanessa doesn't like our recent signing. Yeah, we know that. We know she doesn't like it. We hope things improve between you. How? Is, is Bilzerian going to contact her and apologize? Of course not. Like, why, why even write that? So this is a pretty bad statement. First of all, it's too little too late. And, and second, it, it says some stupid things. So this got a pretty bad reaction, and deservedly so. I, I'm scrolling through this and like almost nobody has anything good to say. Even uh, a listener of this show, who, by the way, is a, a pretty right wing guy, this guy, uh, Joker Stars. Joker Stars wrote uh, more farcical bullshit from you clowns at GG. The release of the chat doesn't need your permission, just the one party involved. It's written documentation. It exposes the reality of a, your joke of a company. <laughs> He's right. So like nobody responded positively to this. This is why they need work. Like, they, they really need a better PR person. They should have ended this months ago. They should have come to terms with her months ago. They, this is what they should have done. You know what? Uh, I'm even wondering if money could have solved this months ago. I'm just thinking of this now, but since she was already getting affiliate money, like, what if they said, okay, you know, we're sorry about this. We're sorry you had to go through this. We totally didn't mean for uh, this to happen. We're very sorry... Dan said this to you. We don't approve of this, but uh, you know we're n- we're not going to fire him. But you know what can we do for you? Would would you like a little bump of your affiliate revenue? So you're going to get twenty uh, percent more every month, something like that. So just throw her a bone in, in exchange for her uh, basically ending this issue and dropping it, or at the very least, just start a dialogue privately. Or make a public apology, even if Bilzerian won't apologize, and not one like this, but actually put out that they don't agree or approve of what he wrote. 
And yeah, they'll get people saying, well, why don't you fire him then? But yeah, they don't have to answer that. They can at least apologize to her for it. The statement is stupid. It just made things worse. They should have said nothing. <laughs> like, do they really think people are going to read this and go, oh, okay, well, since she's just one of a thousand affiliates, then no problem. Oh, okay, well, uh, since you're going forward in positive ways, then, well, that, that's, that's fine. That's fine. What they could have said is just the truth. They could have just said, we don't agree with what Dan wrote. We felt very bad when he wrote it. We weren't happy about this. And as you've noticed, he hasn't said anything further. And we're hoping that uh, Vanessa can move forward with this and that uh, we we terminated her payments because she's been uh, bashing our brand for three and a half months. And and one of the terms of the the agreement is that you have to uh, promote the company or at the very least uh, not disparage us and that uh, we've given it a few months. And unfortunately, it seems like she's going to continue disparaging us. So unfortunately, we had to terminate the relationship. Something like that. I mean, there's no way to write a statement about this and not come off bad in some way. But this this one just, it didn't explain it well. Like, where they were reasonable was not explained well. And then where they weren't reasonable is explained really stupidly. So that's a dumb statement. That's a really dumb statement. And it's getting a lot of bad reactions. Justin Bonomo decided to take a shot at me. (laughs) Bonomo and I, it's weird because there was a time when he was kind of a passive-aggressive dick to me at the World Series. And uh, I was really, uh, I'd cringe when he'd show up at the table because I think, oh, he's going to be a passive-aggressive dick. And then after that, For some years, he was much better. Like, he'd show up at my table at the World Series and he'd be very nice and soft-spoken and polite and totally different than he used to be. So I thought, okay, maybe Bonomo grew up and stopped being a dick. So my opinion of him improved. I didn't agree with a lot of his takes. I didn't agree with a lot of his politics and social views, but at least uh, as a person, I thought better of him. But uh, we got in a small debate recently about life extension of all things on Twitter. It wasn't a nasty debate. I thought it was polite. We just disagreed. But uh, I I wonder if this encouraged him to uh, be passive-aggressive against me again. Because he didn't mention my name, but uh, he very clearly was referencing me in a tweet mocking the community's response to the Vanessa Cade thing. Now, Bonomo is a big-time social justice warrior and virtue signaler, so of course you know what side he's going to be on here. But I didn't expect him to bring me into this because I'm not really a major figure in this whole thing. I'm not even a minor figure in this whole thing. I'm just like an observer. But I had written in response to one of Doug Polk's tweets, this is a very complex issue, whether it's ethical to yank someone's residual affiliate revenue after they bash your company. Any SJWs framing this as sexism is just pointlessly virtue signaling. Not sure which side I'm on, but boy, is the woke poker Twitter mob insufferable. That's what I wrote. Bonomo then wrote the next day, Vanessa Cade, GG, you've taken a big step backwards by promoting a huge sexist. That's what he, like, he's kind of like paraphrasing her. Dan Bilzerian, now he's paraphrasing uh, him. Quiet ho, nobody knows who you are. 
And then he writes, Poker Community, colon. This debate is complex and intriguing. I do not have the audacity to be the arbiter of who's in the wrong here. Hmm. Now, the comment he's attributing to Poker Community, who does that sound just like? That sounds just like my tweet. <laughs> right? I said that this is a very complex issue. And then he writes, the debate is complex and intriguing. And when I write, not sure which side I'm on, and he writes, uh, I do not have the audacity to be the arbiter of who's in the wrong here. He's definitely referring to my tweet, especially because like, I couldn't find anybody else taking the position I did. As I said, everybody else seemed to be on one side or the other very clearly. Whereas I was saying, it's hard to decide really who's right or wrong here, but this is really a complex issue. So you see who he's quoting here without directly quoting me. He got 285 likes to this, by the way. But I love how he thinks I'm, quote, poker community. Yeah, I wish. I I, I wish poker community always thought what I did. That would be cool. That would be cool if the poker community just took my lead on everything. Just whatever I say, they just all agreed with me. That'd be sweet. It'd be sweet if I was just like the the leader. But I'm not. (laughs) I don't know why he picked me. He didn't say it was me, but it was definitely me. Look, look at my tweet and look at his tweet. He's basically paraphrasing what I wrote in a mocking way. <laughs> Justin Bonomo. Okay, now Daniel Negreanu, you may wonder what does he have to say about this. The answer is nothing. He's keeping his mouth shut. <laughs> he does not want to uh, have the cross. He doesn't want to be in the crosshairs. Now, it's not going to be from Doug Polk this time because, number one, they're getting along better, and number two, they are actually on the same side here. And that's just because they're getting along better because they were on the same side here back in December before they were getting along better. But Daniel Negreanu, to my knowledge, has not commented yet. But he did appear on uh, Jeff Gross's podcast recently, and he was uh, asked about this, and uh, he, he didn't answer about this directly but he made a statement about uh, women in poker and now he's taking some heat over that right well you look at so let me let me get back a little bit here i starts at the one hour 15 minute mark approximately if you want to go find it yourself let's play negranu's comments about women in poker and what affects them and what drives them out of the game there's really no consensus answer because it's kind of a broken question if you will right yeah. you know one of the things when you think about this right so if you think about poker you go to the world series poker who do you mostly see you see white men okay that's what you mostly see is a sea of white men right there are minorities and there are you know women and, and whatnot but like when you think about that like, why would that be right so maybe an economic uh, disparity in terms of like pay women in a lot of cases don't make as much money as men which is unfair Right. So as a result, they don't have as much disposable income. Right. There's also something to be said about women, generally speaking, not, not in all cases, have slightly different interests than men. Right. Men, you know, if, if you're going to use the, the camps. Right. Well, you look at. So let me ask you this. You know, romance, not romance novels like they sell those romance novels that are real sexy or whatever. Ninety four percent of them are bought by women. Right. Do you think they spend much time asking like. What do we need to do to get more men to buy our books, right? Well, why is it that women buy these books and men don't? Just right. different, you know, slightly different interests, right? Uh, again, and the women that do want do find interest in poker, the games players, whatever, they play. I don't believe personally 
that the idea that like, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a man saying something to a woman is a reason why she wouldn't play poker because she could play online, she play live. And like, I'm friends with Jennifer Harmon who's been around forever. And she dealt with some real shit back in the day. And she just, she's like, whatever, I'll show my tits if it means fucking, you know, you're, you're going to call me here. You're going to fold when I don't have it. Right. All right. Let me stop this right here. I agree with him for the most part. I think he's correct. You can't just say men and women are the same. And that's been going on a lot in society recently unrelated to poker. People are saying that um, gender is just a social construct. There, there's no real difference between men and women. We, we can't say that certain toys are boys' toys or girls' toys. They can't be, you can't write that in the store. It's just toys. It's just a, you can't say anything's for girls. You can't say anything's for boys. You can't acknowledge that men or women are different. In fact, uh, uh, Joe Biden said that uh, trans people, that uh, biological males should be able to compete in women's sports if they say they're trans. And to me, that's insane. So there's been a general push recently in society to say that men and women are really the same and that it's only society that's making men and women different by having different expectations of what they should be doing. And that's wrong. It's just plain wrong. There are innate differences between the sexes. And there are some things that men are naturally interested in more than women. And there are some things that women are naturally interested in more than men. It's not just because of societal expectations. It's because of what interests them. Now, poker, we've seen, is overwhelmingly male. The main event, I think it's like 97% male. But even at the other events that aren't as high of a buy-in, it's still overwhelmingly male. And you go to a poker room, and it's almost all dudes in there. There's some women, but it's a a very high percentage male. And the question is why? Now, some of the feminists, especially some of the male feminists, have been claiming that this is because poker is a hostile environment to women. That if only poker was more welcoming to women, that we would have a ton of women in the game, perhaps even an equal number of women compared to men. And I say in response to that, no way, no chance. There is something about poker that appeals much more to the average man than the average women. Now, there are exceptions, of course. There are women who find poker to be very appealing. There's women who play poker and become very good at it. Vanessa Cade is a woman who found poker appealing and has made a living at it. So great. And there's, there's many like her, but it's overwhelmingly male. I can't tell you for sure what the reason is for this, but my guess would be because with poker, unlike other casino games, you're playing against the other players and not the house. So you're actually beating other players and becoming a successful player means that you have to show aggression. You have to try to take the other person's money. You have to try to beat the other person. You have to try to trick the other person into putting in chips when they're behind you, when you have a very strong hand. These are all strategic aspects of poker. And I think women feel less comfortable doing this sort of thing than men, because doing these sorts of things require a natural aggression. And men have more natural aggression than women in general. Now, this sometimes works to women's favor. In society, for example, guess who commits 
the vast, vast, vast majority of violent crime. It's men. I mean, it's not even close if you look at how many men commit violent crime compared to how many women commit violent crime. That is a result of the aggression. So that's a case where having aggression isn't a good thing. That the aggression that males naturally have causes some males to commit violent crime. And we're with females, that's much less common. So if men were more like women, we would have much, much less violent crime in society. So sometimes having aggression can be helpful. And sometimes having aggression can be something that's a negative. So in poker, it's helpful. And in poker, that also draws people to the game. That's my theory, of course. There's no way to prove it. But that, that is my theory, that poker being a naturally aggressive game where it's a competitive game, you're trying to beat other people, you're trying to trick other people into losing their money to you. This is something that appeals to the natural aggression that men have and less to women. In fact, if you ask a woman who played in the WSOP ladies event about her experience, unless they were at the table with Vanessa Selbst, <laughs> they will tell you that it was a very, very nice and easygoing experience. That this event is notoriously friendly and that the women are all actually kind of trying to help each other out while at the same time competing. That everybody is uh, very nice. Everybody is friendly. Everybody is uh, not acting competitive. That, that's what you'll hear. Go, go ask a woman who's played the, the women's event. That's what you're going to hear. And I think that's very telling. Because that's the environment that a lot of average women would prefer to have in poker. And the successful women in poker, they don't need that environment. They, they're, they're happy, I don't know, happy, but they're willing to play in the environment that it really is, which is very competitive and cutthroat, and some of them are very good at it and, and are successful. And that's great. That's great that they, they can do that. That's great that that appeals to them. But the average woman doesn't have a desire to sit down and behave in that way even if it's just part of the game. That, that's my opinion about why it appeals to men more. So you could try as hard as you want, and you're just not going to get that many women interested in poker. It's just something that naturally appeals to more males. Now, is it possible that some women have been driven out of the game because of men that haven't treated them well? Yes, I'm sure some have. But I don't think that's most of it. I think if every single male poker player was sweet as pie, but still played the same way, still played in the aggressive way, they just were nice, they were just respectful, I think we'd have a small increase in the number of female players, but it would still be overwhelmingly male. This is just an activity that appeals more to males, just like other activities appeal much more to females. So, Negranu's example of the romance novels, while that's not an activity, that's a purchase, that's uh, something that women read, uh, that's a good comparison in that this is something that just simply appeals to females. It's just something that some females like, and very few, fe very few males like. And in fact, it's funny because the women who don't like romance novels or anything like that, 
they tend to be the more tomboyish females. I, like I've I've talked to women who have a lot of male type interests, and they don't like romance novels. So it's interesting. So I thought that's actually a pretty good comparison. But you're making a mistake if you think that poker is a male game for the most part because women are being shut out or being mistreated and pushed out. That's not the main reason. It just isn't that appealing to them. I'll tell you where else we see this, and this is also something I have personal experience in, and that is in computer science and engineering. They have tried and tried and tried for decades to get women interested in computer science and engineering. And just like poker, there are some who are, but the vast, vast majority are male. And the belief was for many years, oh, it's because parents are discouraging their daughters from getting into this, or schools are discouraging their uh, uh, the girls from getting into this. So, and that was true to some degree. There were some girls who would have gotten into this field had they been encouraged, but didn't because they were told that it's really not for them. But that's more of an antiquated thing. That that would be understandable more from uh, the times of like the, the 70s, the 80s, and before that, but not anymore. And if you look at other fields that were once dominated by males, there are tons of women in them now. There are actually more females admitted to medical school than males. So there's tons of female doctors out there. Lawyers, they used to be uh, mostly male. Not anymore. Now uh, there's just as many females, maybe even more, that are admitted to law school. So women have come into these positions that were once uh, traditionally male positions and not just been part of it, but become 50% or more of the participants in these fields. By the way, when I had my colonoscopy back in January, every single person who worked on me there was female. The nurses were female, which you might expect, but uh, the doctor and the anesthesiologist were both female. So a lot of female doctors, a lot of female lawyers, a lot of females in pretty much every position you can find, except for computer science and engineering, where it's still dominated by men. And I said many years ago that this is something that just appeals more to men and to boys. Not completely. There's exceptions. But for the most part, it will appeal to men and boys more just because of the way that the male brain is, the average male brain versus the average female brain, it appeals more to males. And you'll see this sometimes the way people, things people get into, their profession or their hobbies, they are somewhat of a reflection of their personality type. Take a look at, uh, for example, men who are artists, men who are into the arts in general. I'm sure you have noticed that there's a far higher percentage of gay males in the arts than there are in general society. So why is that? Why are so many gay males attracted to the arts? Well, there's a, I don't think it's a conscious choice. I, I think that uh, there must be something different about uh, gay males and their brains that uh, they're more likely to have an interest in that sort of thing and even have a talent in that sort of thing. 
And I'm not saying this to be disparaging to gay males. I'm just saying that's if go take a look. That's the way it breaks out. I mean, I I knew a girl who went to uh, an art school, a school for the arts, and she told me that <laughs> it was hard to find a straight guy there. There was mostly women in the school, and the men that were there, most of them were gay. And I thought, hmm, too bad I didn't go to that school. You know, there's there's no harm in admitting that certain interests attract certain genders more, or certain personality types more. Because we're all different. There's no harm in admitting that some of us have innate differences and that some of these innate differences go along gender lines. You don't have to say women are inferior to say that they are different. You just say they are different. That doesn't mean they're inferior. That means they're better at some things. They're worse at other things. They have interest in some things more. They have interest in other things less. And we're speaking as a whole, not about every single one of them, obviously. So Daniel's right. It's just poker doesn't interest that many women. My own girlfriend, I've been with now for almost 12 years, she just does not have an interest to play poker. She understands poker. When I describe a hand to her that went down or whatever, she fully understands what I'm talking about. She even understands some of the strategy. She has no desire to sit down and play, even at low limits. She just doesn't want to play it. It just is something that does not interest her at all. And that's fine. I prefer that, actually. (laughs) I really didn't want to date people in poker. She has no interest. And the truth is that most women don't. And those that do, uh, a lot of them also don't want to play seriously. Like Some women have interest in playing occasionally, but they wouldn't want to sit there and grind all day or make a profession of it. So I think he's right. Let's go on here. He's taking heat for this, though. The, The... SJW crowd, the woke crowd on Twitter is really giving it to Daniel for saying this. They want to insist that it's because of misogynists like Dan Bilzerian that uh, people that there's not more women in poker. I don't believe that. That's not the main factor. (laughs) So I think the question's flawed in so many ways because I just don't buy for a second. I don't buy this idea that, oh, you know what? If WBT would just not have women that are scantily clad bring up the money, that more women would play poker. It's just complete bullshit. It makes no sense. Like the, the idea that like any woman sees that and says, you know what? Here's the thing. You know what we do? We demean women and we disrespect women by having such a low opinion of them that the behavior of a few men would stop them from doing something that they enjoy. You don't think women are smart enough or tough enough to decide for themselves whether or not they want to they enjoy poker? You think they're going to let the treatment of men or the marketing or whatever of it stop them from enjoying the game or making a living from it. I don't buy that for a second. It doesn't make no sense whatsoever. So what can, what can be done? I mean, like I said, you know, uh, I think ladies tournaments are good. I think they're a good thing. I think it's a, you know, the women having the freedom and the right to sort of play amongst themselves is freedom, you know, and they don't want a bunch of dudes. They want to talk about women's stuff. That's fine. I don't have a problem. I think women, ladies events can be good. Um, I, I love the take. I think you're exactly right. Like it doesn't necessarily, it's just one of those things. Like not everything needs to be equal. Title nine and in, in, in college sports. Right. Well, I was going to say, I think the one, there's a couple things you can do. And I came up with these ad ideas for freaking stars for years and they just never listened. But in order, in order to bring in women, um, there are women like that are, you know, lawyers, you know, in, in the medical field who are really engaged in competition and challenge or whatever, like Maria Konnikova who wrote the book, right? Perfect example, marketing someone like her uh, as, as someone who's a champion in her own field, 
as a writer or a lawyer or whatever, um, showing them like the Vanessa Selps of the world that, um, you know, you know, something like that can be done. I don't think that, uh, I don't, I just don't think that what people are trying to suggest is like, if you took this out, like, I think there was one time where at the WPT at the commerce or whatever, they had like this food display and there was a woman laying on the table with sushi on her, which is a thing. I don't know why people like that or whatever. People were like outraged. Oh, this is why women don't play in poker. No, it's not. No, not one fucking woman. Not one fucking woman says, oh, that woman had sushi on her tits and she was at a poker event. I'm not associating myself with this stuff. It's complete hogwash and bullshit. Correct. Correct. I agree, Daniel. I don't always agree with you, but I agree with you here. Correct. The people who scream about this are the minority. The women who say this are ones who often are in poker anyway. Somehow it didn't scare them out. The ones complaining the loudest, here they are in poker. It's not even like these are former poker people. Like how often have we seen women that have come out and said, well, yeah, I really liked poker, but I just couldn't stand uh, the, the scantily clad women that they, that they parade around uh, uh, the WPT or whatever. Like none of them said that. How often have you heard from a woman, yeah, I really love poker, but I quit because uh, it's a sexist environment. Like I, the worst I've heard is women who kind of don't like the fact that they run into it sometimes and they wish it wasn't happening, but they didn't quit because of it. I haven't heard of anyone that quit because of it or that didn't develop the interest in poker because of it. It kind of seems more like something that's uh, an annoyance, something that's bothersome, something that's unpleasant, but not enough to drive someone out of the game. And seriously, like, Who? If you think people have quit, who has quit because of this? Who has said publicly they quit poker because of this? I haven't seen it. So I think there can be some improvement with how women are treated at the table. And I encourage all men who are at the poker table to always treat women with respect. I'm not just saying this to sound good. That's what I have always done. That's what I always will do. I feel that it's very bad to treat a woman differently at the table because she's female. Just treat everyone the same. And that's the fairest way to treat everybody you encounter at the poker table. And I can understand where that would be bothersome when guys don't do that. I can understand why it's it's kind of bothersome to have guys hitting on you if you just want to sit down and play poker. So... I know I would not like that if I just wanted to come play poker. And, uh, and even, you know, like, let's say I was female. And yes, you know, even if I was attracted to guys, you know, I was a female, the straight female, I still wouldn't be in the mood for this all the time. I'd, I'd probably just want to come play sometimes and I have dudes hitting on me. So I, I, I can admit that as a male, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about sitting down at the table and people flirting with me or hitting on me or making sexual comments to me. Like that never happens. <laughs> so I'm a dude. So yes, that's nice. But... I don't believe this is driving people out. And in fact, and Marley has brought this up before, Marley Cordero, that the young, attractive women who get hit on the most and get the sexual comments made to them the most are often also the ones who are purposely using this to their advantage. Because there is some advantage to that. And I've seen it in action before. Now, if women want to use this to their own advantage, that's fine. 
I think that's totally within their right to do. If you're an attractive female and you think guys are going to soft play you or whatever it is, if you think you're going to get favors done for you at the table because you wear a low-cut shirt, then wear the low-cut shirt. Do it. Like that's If that's going to make you more money, do it. But then you can't complain about being objectified if you do that. I'm not saying the guys can uh, sexually harass you, but uh, you can't complain about guys not taking you seriously with your, your tits out there if uh, you're, you're wearing that shirt in the first place to get the positive benefits of it. And I know Marley Cordero was making this point herself. And she's, of course, uh, a young, attractive female herself. So she personally has experienced it where I have only watched it. And she's right. You know, like she took a lot of heat about this, but she's right. So I, I can see the aspects of that that are bothersome to women. I've seen women who are you know, getting bothered at the table and I kind of feel bad for them. And I think, oh, yeah, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad I'm not having to deal with that type of stuff. I've never seen anything like too egregious. If I, if I saw anything too egregious, I would say something. But just, you know, I've seen guys make awkward comments and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, boy, I'm, like, I'm happy I'm not her. But as I said, I've also seen women get a lot of favors done for them at the table. Especially the ones who are like attractive and under 40. Favors I don't get. I don't resent that. Like, I they they have an aspect about them that they can uh, use to their advantage, and that's fine. But there's, of course, always a, a two-way street with that. Anyway, uh, Daniel's getting heat for that from the uh, SJW crowd. It's just all such nonsense. Here's the bottom line. Then we'll move on. If you're using this to virtue signal, if you're using this to show what a sensitive guy you are, Stop. Stop. It's You're not impressing anybody. Maybe you're impressing the other SJWs, but you're just looking like a fool. You're looking like a white knight and a fool. If you want to provide real commentary on this, then do it from an intelligent standpoint that's really analyzing the facts, not just going on your emotions. Don't just say, oh my God, look how they're treating Vanessa oh, right after International Women's Day. Wow, they're, they're a bunch of misogynists. Like, no, just look at the whole thing. Look at, should Gigi Poker have the right to release somebody that they have to pay, that they've been paying 2K a month to in residual income? Do they have a right to stop paying that income because someone has been bashing them? You know, if that person bashes them, do they have the right to get rid of them if that person has somewhat of a legitimate gripe about the company that's that's the big question here and it's a hard one to answer because if the gripe is somewhat legitimate it does kind of look bad to get rid of them for stating that gripe but on the other hand if you're paid to promote the company you're paid to promote the company not point out its flaws so I'm kind of more on the side of GG having the right to do this, both morally and legally. But I do think they mishandled it too. I think it could have been done differently. I think this could have even been avoided if they talked to her beforehand, if they apologized, if they let her know that this is in jeopardy if she continues. But I don't think a company should be obligated to pay someone in perpetuity that's bashing them on social media constantly, especially if there's a contract saying they won't do that. I'm a big believer in just keeping your agreements. And even if you don't like the agreement later, you got to keep to it. 
I have been in agreements with some people, nothing related to sexism or anything like that, but I've been in agreements with some people where they have wanted to break it later because they no more they no longer like what they agreed to. At the time they thought it was fine, and then when it came time for me to ask them to keep to a term of the agreement, they didn't want to do it anymore because the uh, things had changed for them and they didn't like it now. Well, too bad. That, that's what an agreement's for. An agreement isn't about everything that's going to happen today. It's about everything that's going to happen today and might happen tomorrow or sometime in the future. And when you agree, you agree. And sometimes you're going to agree to things that you later find to be restrictive or unpleasant. And the solution to that is either watch what you agree to, or if you don't like what you agree to and you think maybe the other side is willing to change the agreement, you can approach them and say, hey, I don't like this anymore. Can we change something? Or maybe to completely part ways. But sometimes parting ways is going to cost money. So this is part of life. This is part of keeping to everything that you have agreed to. This is part of keeping to a contract. It's not always pleasant. It's not always fun. It's not always ideal for you. Now, I don't believe people should ever keep to a deceptive contract or an illegal contract or one that they were tricked into signing. That I don't agree with. I'm not a terms of service monkey. If something defies common sense and someone agreed to it because it was buried on page nine in a hundred page terms of service, I don't think they have to stick to it from a moral standpoint. Maybe legally they do, but morally I don't think they should if it defies common sense. So I'm not a terms of service monkey, but at the same time, if it's a standard thing you've agreed to with somebody or something, and then you want to break it later because it's convenient for you or you just feel like you should have the right to do it, Uh, that's not fair. You can't do that. If you fully knew what you were agreeing to when you signed up for something, then you need to keep to it. Or if you should have known what you were agreeing to and somehow you didn't, you need to keep to it. So keeping one's agreement is not always about doing what's perfect for you or pleasant for you. And to me, that's the most significant thing here. To me, the sexism stuff is not as significant. The reason I think this is interesting is because it may come up in other ways later where someone's affiliate payments, their residual affiliate payments that are supposed to go on for years and years in the future are terminated for flimsy reasons. I don't think this was a flimsy reason, but you could see where this would happen in the future where poker sites have the incentive to stop paying someone because they get to keep the money. So if they can come up with some BS reason to stop paying you, they will. And that's crappy. And if a site makes a habit of this, then you should speak out and, and make it known that people shouldn't be making affiliate agreements with them because they're going to violate it later on, even if they can get away with it. But that's not what happened here, in my opinion. I believe here their actions were reasonable, albeit a bit rash and a bit abrupt. And... I know the way Vanessa sees it. She was even PMing me this earlier. I think she turned off the show because I think I was pissing her off. But I think she sees it as, hey, I did this two years ago. These are people I referred two years ago. Why are they punishing me now? Because I'm calling them out for what they're doing. And I I can see why she feels that way. But what she's kind of missing here, or 
maybe she's not missing it, but she's not agreeing with it. But she, if she looks at this objectively, she probably will agree with it because I know she's smart. And that is what she agreed to two years ago applies to the future. It didn't just apply to 2019. It applied to all years going forward that you're just basically not going to bash the site. And again, that's why I have no affiliate deals over here. And I've thought about it. There's been times I have come very close to adding affiliate deals here. And they go, no, I don't want to be in that position. I just don't want to be in that position where uh, I'm going to be under pressure not to say certain things. And yeah, I could just let them kill my affiliate account. Like there's not going to be consequences for me, but like I don't want to put the work into setting up like an income stream and then having that influence me. I, I don't want money rolling in and then worrying if I say the wrong thing, the money's going to stop because I said the wrong thing or how far can I push this without losing my income? I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to avoid the whole thing and not have any affiliate revenue. This way, I just, I'll just say whatever the hell I want. It'd be nice to have. It'd be nice if this site turned to profit. I don't hate money, as you guys know, but I don't need it. So I don't want that to burden me. I don't want that to hold me back. I want to really say what I feel. I want to be open and honest with all of you at all times and never hold back. I'm, for, I'm sure if I was a GG affiliate, they'd be pissed off at me. Like I, The funny thing is, I bet if GG Poker heard this segment, they'd be angry at me. And Vanessa, doesn't. she doesn't seem like she's very happy with this segment. Because everybody wants to hear that you agree with them and not the other side at all. Like, whenever you're in the middle, both sides hate you. <laughs> that's, that's what I've noticed. That's what I've noticed in my life. Whenever I try to, like, talk to both sides in anything and say, well, I agree with you here, but not here, I end up with both sides thinking I'm taking the other one's side and they both hate me. So if that's what happens, so be it. I don't think GG Poker's going to listen to this, but if they did, I'm sure they would not be happy. I'm sure they'd be mad at me for mocking the Rachel message and mocking their statement and... uh criticizing the way they handled this. I'm, I'm sure they would not be happy, but whatever. I don't have to worry about it. And that's exactly why I don't have an affiliate deal. Okay, let's move on. Jared Jaffe is going after the WBT and Venetian over what happened at the WBT Venetian, uh, the end of the main event where he, they were down to 10 players and a decision was announced that he really, really disliked. And this is another one that had some controversy on Twitter and some differences of opinion. I think it was overall less controversial than the Vanessa Cade thing because there was no sort of uh, bigotry or sexism or anything like that involved here. This was just a strict poker decision. But still, it was controversial and uh, especially because Jared Jaffe was pretty aggressively calling this out. Now, some background on Jared Jaffe. He's one of these grizzled poker veterans who came up during the boom years of the 2000s, and he has been able to survive long-term in the poker world. He's now 40 years old, but when you read his tweets, and you can see his tweets at, at Jared Jaffe 21, and Jaffe is spelled with two Fs and two Es, at Jared Jaffe 21, two Fs, two Es in his last name, you will notice that his tweets in general have a lot of cynicism that he kind of seems like often in a bad mood or criticizing things. He doesn't seem like a very happy-go-lucky guy. Let me just say that. And that's actually common 
for formerly young players who came up during those boom years. That just poker kind of grinds them down to where they're just uh, very uh, quick to go off. They they don't have a lot of patience for bullshit, and they they are very opinionated, and there's a lot of cynicism in general. That's what poker does to some people. This may have been part of his personality anyway, but uh, you'll see this if it look, if you look at his Twitter. He has uh, almost four million dollars in lifetime caches. So I know that doesn't mean profits, but still, he's been around for a long time and he's making a living from poker. So good for him. You know, it's a lot harder to make it long term than to do well at a few tournaments in the boom years. A lot of people did that, but then most of them did not survive. He survived, so good for him. And tournament poker, he you know, he plays a lot of that and that's especially hard to make a living at. Sorry, he made almost five million in caches, not for almost four million. I think it's like four point eight million in caches. He showed up on the scene in 09, so he's a little bit late in the boom, but he was still part of the boom years. He'd been playing for 12 years. He decided to call out three entities. Matt Savage, the well-known tournament director, who in fact was nominated for the Hall of Fame. The WPT and Venetian, where this WPT was taking place. He teased on March 8th by saying, just want to send out a huge fuck you to Savage Poker, WPT, and Venetian Poker. I'll be writing a post about the disgrace they all are. So he wrote that at about 9 p.m. Pacific time on March 8th. So that's a pretty interesting teaser. Like, what did Matt Savage, the WPT, and the Venetian do that have raised his ire? He said he wants to send a huge fuck you to them, and they're all a disgrace. Wow. So then he came forward with the whole story the next day. I actually thought he was going to like do it an hour later, but no, he, he let himself cool down for about uh, 12 hours, and then he put out the whole story. March 9th at 9.42 a.m. Pacific, he posted this. Here's the story from WPT Venetian main event. I just hope everyone can understand exactly how awful this was on many levels, and the people responsible take some accountability. These type of things should never happen again. And then he posted one of those like stories he types up on uh, his iPhone notepad. With 10 players remaining in the WPT Venetian $5,000 buy-in, the floor informed the remaining players that when we were down to eight players, the tournament would be played as two four-handed tables. Every player remaining objected to this since this was an eight-handed tournament the whole way and deciding to make us play four-handed with eight players left clearly makes zero sense. Like, let me stop right here. So basically, this is a $5,000 event. This is the main event of this uh, WPT series at the Venetian. So whoever wins this will have a WPT title. It was an eight-handed event. The reason for that is that uh, Nevada law prevents nine-handed games right now because of COVID. So eight was the max they could have at the table, so this is an eight-handed event. And then they announced when uh, there were 10 people left in the whole event, that once they get to eight, they're not going to have one table. That they're going to remain as two tables. Now, with ten players left, it's important to know they were split to five and five. And he's not objecting to that. He's fine with that. He's fine with there being five players at each table. In fact, that's what it has to be. Because you could not have ten players at one table because of COVID regulations. So, 
he said that when there were 10 left, they announced, hey, when we lose two more people, we're not combining into one table. We're going to do it at seven. And he was very unhappy with this. And he said that all players remaining, all 10, said, we don't like this either. We want to combine to one table when it's down to eight. So he goes on to explain why. He says, in the big blind anti-format, this would be crippling for any short stack. Now, let me explain this to people who don't really know. Big blind anti is something that started a few years ago and is gaining popularity. And this is to speed up the tournament in live play to where instead of putting out an anti every time, uh, that just the big blind pays everyone's antis combined. And then the rest of the hands, you pay zero antis. So what happens is uh, you actually get a number of free hands and then you pay your small blind when you're on the small blind. And then the big blind, you put the big blind and everybody's antis at the table you pay. So this does change some things regarding strategy because if you're short stacked, once it comes to the big blind, you're putting out a lot of chips that you have to put out regardless of what your hand is. In fact, it's before you get dealt the hand. You have to put the big blind out and you have to put the antis out. So when you're putting out the antis uh, where every player is putting in an ante, then it's not as dramatic when it gets to the big blind because uh, you're not putting out as much on the big blind, but you're putting out some on every hand. So it just it changes the distribution of when you're putting out the antis. And uh, he's saying that if you're short, that every time the big blind comes, you're putting out a ton and it affects play tremendously, which, which he's right. So he's saying that uh, two four-handed tables... What happens is the big blind comes out uh, twice as often because the big blind, obviously one player has the big blind in every hand that's dealt. And with eight at the table, you're going to get one out of every eight hands. With four at the table, you're going to get one every four hands. So he's saying for a short stack, this is going to grind down their stack very quickly, which he's right. So he said, to be clear, when this debate started, I was either third or fourth in chips. This is out of 10. So I wasn't protesting simply because it would hurt me. We were told that Matt Savage, who was the tournament director, had been called and that he would not budge on this decision. So I guess he wasn't present, but they called him and he said no. The decision maker at the Venetian, uh, Tommy LaRosa, was also called. Not Tommy LaSorda. He's not alive anymore, but Tommy LaRosa. He was also called and he deferred to Matt Savage, saying it was his call. Neither would speak to the players, nor was any person with the authority to make a decision at the Venetian with 10 players remaining in its signature event. So he's already criticizing that there's nobody there with decision-making ability standing at the Venetian physically in this major event, this major WBT event, and that uh, when they called them, that neither of them would speak to the players, that Tommy LaRosa said, nope, Matt Savage's decision, and Matt Savage said, nope, it stands this way, end of story, I'm not discussing it. That's what Jared Jaffe is claiming in this statement he's posting. The structure sheet was completely ambiguous. It stated that the tournament would be played eight-handed until the final table of six, but it said there would be a redraw at seven. I'll explain this shortly, by the way. That was the entirety of the discussion relevant to this on the structure sheet. When I asked if one logical reason could be given to play four-handed, nobody could come up with one. The only answer given was that Matt Savage said this is what to do. Honestly, who the fuck is Matt Savage? Going on a power trip like this when you can't be bothered to even show up at the venue and people are busting their ass playing for huge amounts of money is inexcusable. We played three days straight and there's three quarters of a million dollars in the line and they changed the entire format of a tournament for no reason other than to get it over with quicker? Now what he's referring to getting over with quicker is that 
the WBT has six-handed final tables. No matter how many are uh, at the tables normally, they play down to six, and that's considered the WBT final table. And he he theorizes that they wanted two players to bust faster to get to the final table, and that's why they did it this way. That's his theory. They didn't say this. He goes on to write, Also, the Venetian passing the buck to the WPT is a completely spineless move since they have the authority to override whatever it is uh, Matt says. So, as has become completely standard in poker these days, we see another example of poker venues and tournament directors showing they cannot care less about the players when push comes to shove. For some more context, pre-COVID, WBT would actually go to 10-handed final tables to avoid 5-handed poker, but now at 8-handed event, they decide to go to 4-handed poker as the correct move. It's really a mind-numbing level of incompetence. So then he writes, this wasn't my best writing, but just wanted to get this out and let the entire poker community know what kind of people we are relying on to protect the integrity of the game many of us play for a living. Okay, so pre- pretty harsh stuff he's writing here. What he referred to about the 10-handed thing, he's talking about when there's no COVID restrictions, that uh, when it gets down to 10 players, they will actually make a 10-handed table, when, even if the event's 9-handed, just to avoid there being two tables of five people to avoid... Uh, screwing the short stacks when there's still 10 left. So he's saying, how come they make a 10-handed table? And here, we only need an 8-handed table because that's the most we can have due to COVID, and they won't even do that. Now, to be very clear, they did not split an 8-handed table into 4 and 4. As I said, when this was announced, there were two tables, 5 and 5, and it had to be that way because of COVID. The only question is, what were they going to do when it gets down to 8? Because at 9, they also couldn't combine because of restrictions. At eight, they could combine. And at seven, they were going to combine. So the only point when this was going to make a difference was exactly eight people left. Because when it's seven, they're back at one table anyway. When it is nine, they can't be at one table due to COVID restrictions. So what do you do at eight? It was an eight-handed event. So they were playing eight the whole way. And now it's down to five and five. And they're saying, okay, when it gets to eight players left, instead of going to one table, uh, we're going to keep it at two. So the poker community was overwhelmingly on Jaffe's side here. Then, at first, Savage didn't respond. But then uh, Jaffe continued to press Savage. He said, just so everyone knows, Matt Savage is claiming he did not make the decision. This is a lie, and it can be verified by several people. He isn't even man enough to stand up for his decision. I think the poker world knows it's time for a change at the top. So he's basically saying that uh, Matt Savage shouldn't be a poker director a tournament director of any major tournaments anymore. So Matt Savage popped up and he did take responsibility. He said, I made the decision. I didn't claim I didn't. The redraw was to happen at 24, 16, and 7 as the structure sheet clearly stated. It's the same thing that was done at Seminole Hard Rock in February. I'll get to the 24, 16, 7 thing in a second. So then I jumped in. And I simply asked Matt Savage, whom I have a good relationship with, by the way. We're not friends, but uh, I know he listens to the show sometimes. I know he is positive about Poker Fraud Alert in general. He's always been very nice when I've seen him in person. And and when I've played tournaments that he has run, he's done a good job. So I'll say that. But anyway, I I asked him, uh, is the structure sheet online? I asked this publicly in the thread. Can you explain the logic which went into this decision? And then he responded. And this really kicked off a shitstorm. <laughs> like, like, my question, which is pretty innocent, it was like, just 
you know, can you show us the structure sheet and why did you make this decision? So he answered me and then people jumped on him. So Matt wrote yes and posted a link to the structure sheet. And then he said the poker TDA members, which includes players, TDs, mainly tournament directors, and the poker room managers voted to go with final tables balanced. So from 5-5 five, five to 9 or 4-4 four, four to 7. He means uh, two tables of five to a nine-handed table, or four, two handles of four, two tables of four-handed to seven. Usually, we would redraw at nine, but because of COVID protocols, the table cannot be nine, only eight. So then Jared Jaffe responded back, "Everything for a second. If ninety-five percent of the people tell you that you're wrong, then maybe you're in fact wrong. Just find a new career. You clearly don't want to be here." So I looked at this link that uh, I was given of the uh, of the structure sheet and here's the relevant part about the tables they go down to and the redraws and all that it says seating redraws there will be a full seating redraw prior to the start of each day of play unless the tournament is already at 24 players or fewer in that case redraws will take place at 24 16 and 7 players or at the tournament director's discretion okay so let's break this down a redraw for those of you that don't know is where they take everybody, they give everybody a card and they kind of just uh, randomly shuffle them. And then that tells people where to sit. So it's kind of like a random reseating of everybody. And that's very common at tournaments when there's like three tables left. They'll, they'll do redraws a few times, including at the final table. And that uh, randomizes people's table placement at the end and seat placement. And by the way, that's done somewhat to equalize if people have uh, one table that's easier than another. This kind of shifts everybody around again. So that, that's very standard. So in this structure sheet, it says it'll take place at 24, 16, and 7. Now, except for 7, these are multiples of 8. So 24 means 3 tables. 16 means 2 tables. But why 7? 7 is 1 fewer than 1 table. It means 1 table would be 8. So why 7? So it does not explain anything about the 4 and 4. But Matt's basically saying, hey, this is implied. It said we're going to redraw at 24, 16, and 7. And there's no way to have a redraw at 7 if you're already at one table. I, mean, I guess you can't just shift people's seats around, but, but you're, you're all staying at the same table. If you're, if, you're all the way, if you're already at the same table with 8 left, then why would you have a redraw at 7? It wouldn't make any sense. He's he basically saying you should have known this from the structure sheet. Now, I think that's kind of crap. This is very non-standard what was done here. So if this is going to be the way it is, you need to be very clear. You can't just say we're doing it at 24, 16, and 7. You've got to say uh, we are going to play down to 4 and 4, to two tables of four people, and then the next person to bust, then we will combine at 7. That should have been made very clear, and it was not. But notice it says, or at tournament director's discretion. So he did have the opportunity to change that. And he should have changed it because all 10 players remaining wanted this changed. Now, that doesn't mean you should always change it because you can say, well, maybe the 10 left do, but maybe the ones before 10 left would not have wanted it and their opinions would matter too because uh, maybe they would have played differently. But the truth is, at that point, people were not going to have played differently. So it's not really a matter of changing something which would have changed the way people played. Like, here's an example of where all 10 players may want something, but it wouldn't be fair. Um, Where... All 10 players can agree at, with 10 left that they're just going to uh, split the prize pool totally evenly. Not according to how many uh, chips they have left, but it's going to be a complete chop uh, 10 ways. Usually this is not going to happen 
and in fact, some events don't allow this specifically for this reason, because you can say the guy in 11th place may not know this and would have played differently. He would have, he would have hung on for dear life if he knew that at 10, he's going to get uh, the same thing as the trip leader, that it's going to be a 10-way even split. So this is the type of thing where a unanimous uh, agreement to do something doesn't necessarily mean they should do it. But with something like this, which doesn't greatly affect the people beforehand, they should take into account what people want, especially if this is something confusing and non-standard. Where this is non-standard is that there is no instance I can think of, and I don't care what they did at some other venue in February, that doesn't matter, that was also non-standard, but there's no instance I can think of in normal tournament play where they have it split, where you're playing at two tables, where everybody would fit at one in the same number of handed that it started as. So, like, I've never played a nine-handed tournament where once there's nine players left, we're at two tables. Never. Never seen that ever. It's generally always done that if the number of people less left is equal to or fewer than the starting number of people at each table that you combine to one table. And sometimes even one more than that. Sometimes like in a nine-handed, they'll combine to ten. But never the other way. So very simply, if the event was eight-handed and they have eight people left, they should be at one table. So this was a stupid decision there. And I don't know why they made it. It's really weird. Now, what they're talking about with this TDA stuff, TDA is the Tournament Directors Association, and there are uh, TDA rules. This is a way to kind of standardize tournament rules so you can point to TDA rules if, if uh, people bitch about something they don't like when they're at a tournament. You can say, okay, TDA rules say this, and that means it's that a bunch of tournament directors basically got together and say, uh, these are the standardized rules we're agreeing upon. So this way you can say, look, you, you may not like it, but all the tournament directors have, have basically gotten together and agreed upon these rules. So... You don't have to stick to TDA rules, but that's why these are established. So he's saying that uh, the TDA rules established in 2019 uh, require that um, that unbalanced shorthanded tables shouldn't exist. Now, what do I mean by that? Unbalanced uh, shorthanded tables mean where there is uh, an odd number of people left, so you have to be more, more with one people... One table has more people than the other. Now, you may say, How's that? how can you avoid that? Like with 11 left, you can't cut a person in half. You're, gonna, you're always going to have six, six and five. You can't have an 11-handed table, and you can't have uh, equal numbers if there's 11 left. So it's not saying that. Basically, what they're saying is that uh, they should avoid unba- unbalanced shorthanded tables to where if you can prevent it, do so. So at 11, you can't prevent it. At 11... You're stuck because you can't be 11-handed and you can't cut a person in half. But at 10, provided there's no COVID restrictions, you can. At 10, you can combine to 10-handed. So basically, the TDA was agreeing with each other that we're going to combine at 10. If, if we can avoid the... the uh, uh, We're going to combine at 10 or 9 is what basically what it's saying. T- 10 is still okay. You don't have to combine at 10 because it'll be 5 and 5. But that you're never going to have it at 9 if 9 can fit at the table because uh, that'll be an unbalanced table that we don't have to have. But it didn't say that you have to keep it balanced at two tables. It just said, don't make it unbalanced when you could make it one table. That's a very different thing. So the TDA rules said nothing about that you have to play to something even before you combine. It's just saying, if you can combine, 
then don't play where they're uneven. See what I'm saying? It's, it's totally different. So applying it to this situation, when it got down to eight people left, what do you do? You combine. Now, yes, you could stick to four and four and it's even, but the TDA is not saying you need to do that. It, it has no opinion on that. The, the TDA does not state what you do there. It's just saying combine, if you can, to prevent different numbers of people at two shorthanded tables. That's all it's saying. And that doesn't apply here. It was basically, do you have two even shorthanded tables or one big table with everybody? And common sense would dictate one big table with everybody because it's the same number of people that entered the event. In fact, uh, one recreational player named uh, Aaron Queskin, who seems to be like a wealthy guy who likes to play a lot of these events, he said, uh, I I don't know all this drama, but uh, if all this led to eight people left not being combined into one table at an eight-handed event, that's stupid. He's right. It is. It is stupid. That's uh, Aaron is right there. That's it's just stupid. It is stupid that with eight left in an eight-handed event, you can't be at one table. Period. Now, some people are saying, "Well, they're doing this to avoid uh, uh, people uh, being at an odd number of tables before they combined." That's not that's not what the rules say, and there's no point to do that. Like that's just really stretching it. The bottom line is that this was poorly conceived. I don't know why they decided to do this in the first place like this. I don't necessarily think it was malicious. I don't necessarily think this was a way to speed it up and get people out. Like it's it's really just one spot where they're doing this. Remember, at seven, they're combining anyway. At nine, they can't combine. So it's only eight. So that's not going to significantly speed it up. It's going to speed up one person dropping out. But like, how much difference does that make? So I don't think it's about speeding it up. I don't think it's about screwing the players. I think it was just a dumb decision that Matt did not want to undo, and he rationalized to himself why the decision was not dumb. Because nobody wants to admit their decision is dumb. Nobody wants to admit they planned something stupid. So Matt just kind of stuck to it and and rationalized to himself uh, why he did it. And that was wrong. He shouldn't have. So I agree with Jaffe here. Now, he did say, he meaning uh, Savage, He said that this was in the structure sheet the whole way, so it would have been wrong to change it midstream. That you basically have to follow the structure sheet, good or bad. But that's not true, because it actually says, at the tournament director's discretion. And all remaining players wanted it combined. So it's not even like it was 8-2 to or 9-1, to and they're like, sorry guys, I know the majority of you want this, I know the vast majority of you want this, but there's still one or two who don't want this, and, and we have to stick to the posted rules. Okay, that would make sense. But it was unanimous that they wanted to all combine to one table at eight. And it was within his rights to do so as a tournament director, even according to the structure sheet. Now, apparently only two people were objecting very loudly to this. That was Jaffe and Joe McKeon. Everybody else quietly agreed with them, but these were the only two speaking up. But that's normal. Usually people at poker tournaments... uh, tend to not rock the boat. They tend to not question authority. They tend not to yell about stuff like this. They kind of just put up with it, especially towards the end because they, they want to focus all their energy on winning and they don't want to stress themselves out. So, I mean, that that doesn't mean much that others 
weren't yelling loudly about this. Uh, all of them said they agreed with these two guys, with McKeon, who, of course, is a main event champion of the, of the World Series of Poker, and, uh, and Jared Jaffe. So Savage definitely should have changed this. He, sh- he definitely should have combined it. Here's another thing to consider. If Savage went the other way and said, yeah, okay, let's combine it, do you think anyone would be objecting right now? You think we'd have a single person, either someone who busted before 10th or someone who was there with the 10 left? You think anyone would be complaining right now? Nobody would. They'd look like a fool. Can you imagine? Can you imagine some guy going, hey, hey, you know, I, I finished in 12th place here and this pisses me off that they went and changed this with 10 left. You know, how dare they have a combination? How dare they combine down to one table with eight people left in an eight-handed event. That's terrible. <laughs> Nobody would say that. They'd be laughed off Twitter. They'd be laughed off Twitter if they were saying they shouldn't be combining to one table with eight people left in an eight-handed event. It's obvious they should do that. I don't care what's on the structure sheet. So, especially because, again, this doesn't really affect the way people would have played this beforehand. This doesn't affect your strategy when there's 11 or 12 people left. It just doesn't. So all it affects is that with eight left, it will hasten short stacks having to move in. It just gives them much less play at that point. It rushes one short stack or more than one short stack. You you could have people who go all in and manage to survive, but uh, it, it hastens a lot of short stacks having to make a move. It basically doubles the speed of that. And there's no reason for it. So this is really one of these cases where Matt Savage has been around a long time and he basically runs the show. He doesn't like being told what to do. He usually does a good job. And this time he didn't. This time he made a mistake. And you know what? People make mistakes. People do stupid things. Everybody does stupid things. Even veterans at their jobs will sometimes make a mistake, make a bad decision, do a stupid thing, write a stupid thing. So, okay, for whatever reason, he put the seven... Instead of eight, I don't think it was a typo. I think he had some weird reasoning why he did it, but it was the wrong reason. It was the wrong decision, and he should have just accepted that and said, "Sorry, guys. Yeah, that uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Let's change it." And that's that's why he's given the power as tournament director. Also, to be honest, he should have spoken to somebody. The fact that there was no one in authority to speak to at that point in a WBT main event with 750k up top is a big problem. You need to have somebody there who has authority. And I ran into this once. I won't go into the whole story again, but I once said this once at a win tournament back in uh, 07 where I got screwed because there was no one in authority to make a decision. And the floor man, or it's actually a floor woman who made the decision, uh, wouldn't hear it from me made a terrible decision, I couldn't appeal it. They would not call a supervisor down, they would do nothing. Later on, they admitted it was the wrong decision, but that didn't help me. So, in major events like this, there should be somebody accessible with decision-making power. Preferably on-premises, but at the very least over the phone. So why Savage would not talk to anybody, I don't know. And that's another problem. I mean, maybe he didn't want to be yelled at because he had made up his mind and didn't want to have a debate on the phone, but that's part of the job. So that's something you got to make yourself accessible. And I'm surprised he didn't.
typically I've seen he is very accessible. Like at the LAPC, he's around. Like I've I've played in minor LAPC events that don't have a lot of attendance, like an 08 event or a Limit Hold'em event uh, at for like a thousand dollar buy-in. I mean, these aren't very popular events at the LAPC, but he's right there. And if he's not there, when back when Justin Hammer worked there, Justin Hammer was there and he had authority. So, like I liked the way these were run and that you did have somebody there who was in a position of authority and who knew what they were doing. So this is surprising to me. It is disappointing that here at the WPT main event at the Venetian that uh, he was not present. Nobody else who had decision-making power was present and he wouldn't talk to anyone on the phone. So while I like Matt Savage and I, I don't feel he should retire and I don't agree with a lot of the nasty things that are being said about him by Jared Jaffe and his friends, I, I do feel he made a mistake here and I feel this was not handled right and I think that uh, Jared Jaffe is correct. And there's a lot of debating back and forth. I'm not going to read it. It was on Twitter. There's a lot of discussion of this, but to me, it's pretty simple. They just, they made a dumb plan for eight left and they should have changed it. And that's why you always leave the out, as they did, that the tournament director has the discretion to change it as he sees fit. That's exactly why they put that term in there. Just in case the tournament director director sees a reason, a good reason to change something, he can, to where they're not stuck adhering to dumb rules or to rules which don't make sense for the situation. That's exactly why that's there. Okay, let's talk about something else that happened at that same main event, but that was completely a different matter. In fact, by the time it happened... Jared Jaffe was not in anymore, even though he, he was like third or fourth in chips out of 10. He did not make the six-handed final table. So this is nothing to do with Jared Jaffe and nothing to do with this decision. But this did have to do with one of the players who looked in line to possibly win the whole thing. This was uh, Roland Rokita, who was in second place in chips with six remaining at the official WPT Venetian final table, this exact same event. And uh, something interesting came up, which made people wonder uh, what they were going to do. So here is the story. Fedor Holtz tweeted at 10.51 a.m. on March 9th, Roland Rokita is WBT final table second out of six and just got to the hospital with a severe emergency operation. Do you know who's in charge of the tournament? Can someone help? It's supposed to start in two hours. So I guess the final table is supposed to start at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And shortly before 11 a.m., uh, Fedora Holtz said, hey, uh, Roland Rokita, was probably a friend of his, he just went to the hospital to get an operation and he's having a severe medical emergency. So the question is, what do you do at that point? What do you do at that point? I had always wondered... I'd always wondered in a major event if somebody had to go to the hospital over something that was not their fault. I don't mean someone's in a drunken stupor or someone uh, is passed out from drug abuse. I mean someone who has some kind of emergency medical problem that just hits them right then. Bad enough luck to be at the final table of a major event. Do they just play and blind the person off or do they try to wait a little bit? Now, they can't wait 
a ton of time, obviously. Like if someone needs to be in the hospital two weeks, I'm not saying they should delay the final table two weeks. But uh, if somebody has to go to the hospital and has a chance of returning within a few hours, do you give them extra time or do you just play it and blind them off and that they don't come back this part of the game? The big question, is it part of the game to be present? Even if it's not within your control to not be present. Even if your body just uh, has a major emergency and you have to go to the hospital. If you're sick, you're sick. So that question came up here. And it's the first time, to my knowledge, this has happened in a major tournament. Chad Holloway asked this question a number of years ago of uh, different... uh, situations and what would they would do the question he had asked was what they would do for the november 9 back when they had that for the world series of poker when they had a several month delay between the uh, end of play and the final table it was found that they're just going to play on the stacks were blinded out of the i guess there were two instances of this in the past i didn't even remember these but now that i'm reading about them they it makes sense to me Uh, Miami John Cernudo actually collapsed at a table during an event. I'm not sure what year that was, but he wasn't able, couldn't continue. And then uh, in 1990, this is a little different because this was a drug overdose. That one I did know about. Uh, Stu Unger uh, fell into a coma after having the chip lead in the main event. And uh, he actually made ninth place in 1990, even though... uh, he was out of the event so much earlier physically because he had so many chips. So he was a massive chip leader. <laughs> they just His chips kept blinding out, blinding out, blinding out. His, his chip stack actually made the final table in ninth place. So the question was, what do you do? And uh, he also mentioned, back, this is back in 2016, Holloway mentioned that in Australia that someone allowed a player's husband, a woman who made a uh, final table, to the husband was able to play her stack when she was unable to make it. But here in the U.S., there had, it's never been the situation where they've delayed a final table because somebody uh, got sick or had any kind of emergency like that. In fact, we did have a COVID situation that prevented someone from playing at the 2020 World Series of Poker second main event final table, and that guy just was automatically given ninth place. He wasn't even allowed to blind off. It was even worse for him. Blinding off, at least you can get better than ninth place. Uh, this guy was just disqualified. But that that was right in the rules there because they they knew this might happen. So so back to this. What were they going to do for Roland Rokita, the second chip leader at the WBT final table? So then some players were tweeting that either they were willing to postpone it, these are players at the other five, or people were tweeting on behalf of their friends saying they're going to postpone it. I don't know how many of them did, but according to this article on Poker News, that uh, some people tweeted that uh, they're willing to postpone it. And they were discussing what to do. Matt Savage, remember he's the tournament director, he was discussing with a Venetian whether they want to delay the final table. It is better for the Venetian that all six people are there. To to have the second place person have his chips blind out uh, isn't a good look because they can't even just disqualify him because they, the, the way it works at the WBT is if you can't make it, your chips just blind off at the very worst. 
So uh, it would have been weird at the final table to have the second biggest stack blinding off. And of course, that also ends up uh, mattering in the play because everyone's trying to steal the blind uh, stack when it's in the smaller big blind. So that's another problem. That adds a new strategy implication here that really shouldn't be there at a six-handed final table. They were trying to figure out what to do. The other problem was that uh, Joe McKeon was the chip leader, obviously a very good player to a World Series main event champion. Joe McKeon was the chip leader, and without having the second-place person to contend with, that would give him even more of an advantage. He has to worry much less about being damaged by another big stack. So they were really seriously discussing delaying this, at least for a little time, to see if uh, maybe this isn't as bad as Fedora's making it sound. A severe emergency operation implies it'll be days, which obviously they couldn't wait. But uh, the question is, uh, could it possibly be that he's just going to the hospital over what looks like it might be a severe condition, but maybe it's not. Maybe he'll be back soon. So they, they were trying to figure it out. They ended up agreeing to push back the final table an hour. They wouldn't say anything further. People were really curious after this, after Fedor's tweet. Remember, the final table was to start at 1 p.m. on March 9th. They were, the, people were like, okay, well, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> Are you delaying it? Is Roland just going to be blinded off? What's happening? Like, they, the WPT just didn't say anything. And after a few more hours passed, the WPT stated that all six players were in their seats and ready to play. So they basically just said nothing until it started, and then Roland was back. So I guess it wasn't an operation. You're not going to have an operation and be back out of the hospital and playing poker within a few hours. So I think that uh, Fedor was exaggerating, or maybe his English just wasn't good enough to explain it. But it turned out that this wasn't as bad of a crisis as it appeared to be, and Roland ended up being able to play normally, and nothing was blinded out. But that would have been interesting, what they would have done. But it really looked like they did not want to make a public statement about this until they saw what was really going to happen with Roland. And I understand that, because let's say they got the news that Roland needs a major operation and won't be out of the hospital for days or weeks. Well, then it's easy. He gets blinded off. Let's say they're saying, okay, he's going to be a little bit late. Okay, then they have to decide, do we delay it more than an hour? How long? And at what point do we just start and start blinding him out? Maybe he can join in progress. Like, uh, they have to make this decision. So, like, let's say they said he'll be six hours late. Do they delay it six hours, or do they uh, delay it maybe four hours and then start start it off and start blinding him? Like, uh, they have to decide what they're going to do. If they say he's going to be out nine hours, they probably just have to start it and blind him. So, they kind of wanted the information first, presumably. And Roland must have called them at some point and said, hey, you know, I'm actually going to be able to make it. Just can you give me a little time? And they said, well, we already delayed it an hour. Yeah, okay, I, I can be there by two. And then he, he got there, and by two, he, they were playing. So Disaster averted, but it was close. What is my opinion that they should do? I think they should blind him out. I don't think it should be delayed. It sucks, but I think you got to stick to the schedule. And that part of the game is being able to show up and play. And if you happen to suffer a medical condition that makes you unable to play, then that's part of it. It may not be your fault, but that's part of it. 
Similarly, if I come down with uh, a bad illness and I go down to play and I can barely see straight and make bad decisions, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate for me. But I can't say, okay, you know, I've, I got a really bad cold here, guys. Can we delay this a few days? Like, I couldn't say that. It's just uh, your health is part of it. Do they delay the NBA Finals if uh, LeBron James gets hurt or is sick? No. So they shouldn't do it in poker either. In any competition, personal health is part of the game. And if you happen not to be healthy when the event comes up, it sucks, but tough luck on you. And that's the way it should be. And it applies to everybody fairly. So maybe you'll benefit from it. Maybe your opponent with a lot of chips, is is going to be uh, unable to make it or won't totally be himself because he's not feeling well and you'll benefit. Other times, maybe it'll hurt you. Or very possibly, this will never affect you. Very possibly, uh, you'll never be in that situation. It's part of the game. So, kind of sucks when it happens. But you see, there's also the implications for the event itself and... High-profile events like the WPT, they really don't like it when there's a missing person there and a big stack blinding off. It's just a bad look. So if they did delay it, believe me, they would be be doing it for the brand and not for the player. That's very important to know. It's one thing to be doing it to help a player. It's another thing to be doing it to help the brand. (laughs) They're doing it to help the brand. Uh, delaying an hour, eh, whatever. Like I, I don't think that's horrible. An hour is relatively short. I've seen hour delays for dumber reasons. I've seen it where they're just disorganized and the thing doesn't start for... Like you should see the World Series, how many times there's been delays there for stupid reasons. So an hour delay, whatever. If just, just for the look of the WPT, they want to delay it an hour to let a guy get back from the hospital. I'm not going to go, no, this is unfair. Come on, guys. Like I, w- I wouldn't object to that. But if they said they're going to delay it a day, I'd object to it. I would say, no, that's part of it. But good thing he got to play. Uh, how did he finish, you may wonder? What did, what did uh, Roland Rokita get? Remember, he was uh, second in chips. He finished in third place. For three hundred sixty-three thousand two thirty-five, so nice money. Even though he didn't finish first, only finished uh, a little behind what his uh, chip stack place was, which of course you know often doesn't hold. But just coming in, he was second in chips. In fact, uh, Joe McKeon also moved down one. He was first in chips and he finished uh, second in chips. Apparently, heads up, he just ran really bad. From what I read about the uh, event there. And the winner was uh, Quing Lu for 752000 Jared Jaffe, in case you're wondering, finished appropriately eighth. <laughs> With all that talk about eight people left, he finished eighth. So he actually was. And I, I have a feeling that's what pissed him off, too. Because remember, when the decision was announced, there were 10 left and he was doing well in chips. But he did go out eighth when they had eight left, obviously. So they were split four and four when he busted. He was the guy, which means he was short then, presumably. So I have a feeling that's why he went home so mad, where he he went home thinking, had we combined with eight left, I could have done better, maybe. I would have had more time to make a move. 
I'm sure that's what he was thinking. I'm sure that's why he was so angry and, and was so passionate about this. Even though the decision was made when he wasn't short-stacked that it ended up screwing him when he was short-stacked. Exactly what he feared might happen to him did happen to him. So that makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's move on to our next subject here. Let's talk about Parlay Pats. It's a weird story, really weird story about a young sports better who definitely should not be gambling. This is a guy who should not be gambling for a living. He just doesn't have the temperament. And uh, now he has gotten himself arrested. So listen, listen to this crazy story. Benjamin Pats, P-A-T-Z, who calls himself Parlay Pats in the sports betting world, pled guilty this week to a count of transmitting threats in interstate or foreign commerce and could face up to five years in prison for sending death threats, really, really detailed death threats, to professional athletes. Parley Pats made a name for himself somewhat in the sports betting world for being someone who was winning Big parlay bets. For those of you that don't know, a parlay bet is where you bet on a bunch of teams to win and that every single one of your bets has to win for the parlay to win. So if let's say you have a 16 parlay. If you win five of the six bets in the parlay, the whole parlay loses. You might as well have won zero. But if you hit all six, you get a very big payout. You get a lot bigger payout than if you made six separate bets on the events. Why? Because... You, are, you have this restriction that you have to win every single bet there in order for the bet to pay. Now, if anything ties, then it's just taken off the ticket. So a tie doesn't kill you. But if you lose a single bet on a parlay ticket, no matter how well you do on the rest of the ticket, it becomes worth zero. Whereas if you're just betting straight up, if let's say you won five out of six, you had a great day. So that's why when you do hit a parlay, when you hit all of them together, you make a lot of money. Parlays are very popular with degenerates because degenerates uh, are always looking for the big hit. It's not that exciting for degenerates to win uh, moderate amounts of money. So parlays allow you to win a lot more money compared to your bankroll. You don't have to risk large sums of money to potentially win large sums of money. So let's say you have a strong feeling on five games that are going today. If you place all five in a parlay, you're going to get paid very nicely if all five hit, even if you don't place a very big bet. If you just bet all five straight up, you'll have a decent day, but you're not going to make big money unless you bet big money and you're risking big money. So this is why degenerates love it, because especially degenerates who have gone broke or close to broke is that this is a way to kind of rebuild a bankroll by hitting lightning in a bottle. Uh, the downside to parlays is you could do a great job picking and still just lose because if you if you miss one of them, which is going to happen most of the time, then you're going to get paid nothing and you keep losing, 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 losing. So it can be very frustrating placing parlays. Imagine you, you do like a 17 parlay, hit six of them, you lose one, the whole thing's worth zero. So that's, that's why parlays can be very frustrating. Anyway, Parlay Pats, real name uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Tucker Pats, only 24 years old. Two years ago, when he was 22 years old, had uh, sent direct messages on Instagram to four Tampa Bay Rays players. That's a baseball team. Uh, they were the Rays were playing the Chicago White Sox on July twentieth, two thousand nineteen. One of the messages he sent 
to one of the baseball players on the Rays after the Rays lost to the White Sox that day. I will enter your home while you sleep. I will cut up your family. Wow. I mean, it's, it's not, this is worse. I'm just going to kill you. It's like, I'm going to enter your home while you sleep and cut up your family. He's threatening the family too. And not just to kill them, to cut them up. He would write these messages not just because he was a psycho, though it does sound like he's kind of a psycho, but because he was a sore loser. So whenever one of the teams that he had in a parlay would lose and ruin his whole parlay, he would blame the players that didn't perform well that caused the team to lose, which of course is part of sports. Whenever you have a team winning and another team losing, someone didn't perform well on the losing side. So uh, it's not that like these players did anything terrible or intentionally lost. They just didn't play as well that day and, and lost the game. So uh, this was not the only time he's done this. Apparently, he's also sent threatening messages to players with the Atlanta Braves, the Washington Nationals, the Kansas City Royals, the Cleveland Indians, the Baltimore Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays, and the, Sea- the San Diego Padres. So he's, he's sent a lot of uh, messages <laughs> to baseball players, and I think to other sports as well. I think it wasn't even just baseball. He also included some racial slurs in the messages, which those are not illegal, but uh, that make the whole thing look even worse. But really, the threats were much worse than the racial slurs. He was threatening to kill them and their families. Uh, There were articles on gambling news websites. I don't know if these are accurate or not, but they claimed that he had won more than a million dollars in sports betting in November and December 2019 via his parlays, that he was a guy who claimed to specialize in parlays and knew when to put money, decent money, on uh, a parlay. So he'd have a strong feeling of games on a certain day. And say, I really like these you know, these five, six, seven games, put some decent money on them, and then they'd pay big parlays. That's why he calls himself, uh, himself Parlay Pats. The problem was he couldn't handle it when he would lose a close game that otherwise would have completed a big parlay. He would just flip out. Now, obviously, it's very disappointing. Obviously, it's it's very easy to uh, get really, really frustrated when you have when you're that close to winning, and then at the last second, it's taken away from you because a player blows something. But that's that's part of sports. There's a lot of times that you're going to lose a close bet because a player doesn't play well or does something stupid or or whatever, or they blow a lead, whatever it is. So he just couldn't handle it. This was just someone who didn't have the temperament for gambling. In order to be a professional gambler, you have to be able to lose without it just ruining you. You have to, and I'm talking about psychologically, also financially, but you cannot let losing uh, make make it to where you flip out and can't handle it. Otherwise, you should not be a professional gambler. And there are people who could not handle losing when gambling, and those people just should not gamble. Here's some here's some things he wrote. He wrote uh, to one Rays player, I will enter your home while you sleep. I already mentioned that. And sever your neck open. I will kill your entire family. Everyone you love will soon cease. I will cut up your family, dismember them alive. He wrote to a Tampa Bay player, 0 for 5 against the White Sox isn't going to cut it. 
because of your sins, I'm going to behead you and your family. That's, that's pretty bad. Apparently, he also sent some threats to women. That He sent them to a uh, Swedish women's national soccer team after uh, they defeated the German team 2-1 to one in the FIFA Women's World Cup. So I guess he also was threatening uh, players on opposing teams. It looks like the baseball threats were aimed at the players on the losing team. He also wrote to one player on, uh, I think it was on the Rams. Oh, no, no, it was to the New England Patriots. It's the New England Patriots when he lost uh, money betting on the Rams to win the Super Bowl. He sent to the to two Patriot players some threats, including one said, uh, I will brutally rape and murder your family. Wow. So basically, he would just flip out. By the way, the game in question that involved the Rays and the White Sox, the White Sox beat Tampa Bay on runs in the top of the ninth and 11th innings. So this is what infuriated him so much, was that he had a parlay that was in line to win on July 20th, 2019. And going into the ninth inning, Tampa was up one nothing. So he was feeling great that he's going to win this parlay. And then the White Sox tied it one-to-one. So he was already frustrated. Then it went into extra innings. And in the 11th inning, two innings later, the White Sox scored again and won two-to-one in 11 innings. So that, he, he couldn't handle that. So it was kind of like, it was two hits to him there in the same game. One, them blowing the lead and going to extra innings, and then losing in extra innings. The United States Attorney's Office in the Middle District of Florida put out this press release on March 10th, 2021. It said, uh, Benjamin Tucker Pats, a.k.a. Parlay Pats, 24 from Napa, California, today pleaded guilty in transmitting threats in the interstate or foreign commerce. He faces a maximum penalty of five years in federal prison. A sentencing date has not been set. According to the plea agreement on July 20, 2019, the Tampa Tampa Bay Rays baseball team lost a home game to the Chicago White Sox. That same day, four Rays players, as well as a player from the Chicago White Sox, received direct messages on Instagram from Pats, which he threatened to carry out acts of violence against them. Pat sent the messages knowing that they would be viewed by the player and his family members in a true threat to injure the person or uh, the person of another. Now, he, I don't think he was ever going to do this. I think he just uh, would be so mad. He was so mad when these things uh, didn't win and, and his parley was ruined that he just like felt like he had to threaten somebody. He also wrote to someone, I will sever your neck open, you pathetic, you pathetic cunt bag. You may wonder what his parlay pats look like. He just looks like a, a skinny little non-threatening young white guy. <laughs> he doesn't look like this uh, scary, violent guy. I don't even think he is a scary, violent guy. I think this guy just has a temper and then writes terrible threats to people. Now, I'm not minimizing what he did. I think he should get uh, prison time for what he did here. I mean, these are really serious threats he's writing there. It's it's worse than just saying you're going to kill someone. I mean, he's, he's given details. I'm going to 
kill your entire family. Everyone you love will soon be ceased. I will cut up your family, dismember them alive. I mean, this is really nasty stuff. And as a professional athlete, you will get psychos writing things to you sometimes. So that's one downside of being in the public eye like that and where people really put a lot of their identity into sports, either as a fan of the team or betting on the team. And yeah, I've I've had sports bets where I get frustrated when someone doesn't perform. In fact, I had that happen today. I lost a one-point game for the Memphis Grizzlies where they missed the final shot. They missed the final layup. It was frustrating. So yeah, I was disappointed with that athlete for not performing there, but I, I didn't think the stuff like this. I know that's part of the risk I take by betting on it. And the funny thing is he was winning. I don't know if he's winning overall, but he, he hit some big parlays apparently, even later in the year. But he just could not handle when it, something was in line to win and get him big money and then something would happen at the end to screw him. But that's sports. That's sports betting for you. But he pled guilty. I wonder if he's going to have if he's going to get paroled at some point or get probation at some point and we'll have to agree not to sports bet anymore. I bet that's going to be something like that. It seems like he can't handle it. Now they can't stop him from sports betting once he's fully released. Basically on parole or probation they can state whatever they want and you don't have to agree to it. You can say, "Okay, never mind, I don't agree, put me back in jail." But uh once your sentence is over, then you go back to having most of the same rights as you did before the whole thing occurred. So he can resume sports betting at that point, but uh, well, on probation or parole, then I have a feeling they won't be letting him do that. But he was doing this for a while. Now, apparently they didn't take action until this thing with the Tampa Bay Rays. Apparently, they just let it go. I don't know why. I don't know why it took this long to do something about this. But the Tampa Bay Rays contacted law enforcement on behalf of these threatened players. Basically, these players brought it to their team. And I guess this one player, the White Sox, did too. Anyway, the Rays made a complaint, and they must have reached someone in a position of influence who was able to get this investigation going. And they quickly found who did it, which they can usually do pretty quickly. That's why it's so stupid. I don't know if he even took any care to send this anonymously to where he couldn't be traced. I have a feeling he didn't. I have a feeling this is like an action he just did without thinking about it too much. Because you think if he really was putting a lot of thought into it, he wouldn't have sent these messages. He did this out of rage. So I I think the Tampa Bay Rays blew that game, and he thought of all the money he could have won if they didn't blow the game. And he just fired off these messages. I don't think he put a lot of premeditation into this. So it's usually pretty simple. They just have to get a warrant from the company that serves the email to get his IP address and then match his IP address with his identity, which they can do through his internet provider. So usually it's, it's pretty straightforward to find out who's doing this. And I assume that's what they did. But I'm surprised... It took as long as it did. I, I know right now he's pleading guilty, so they didn't just arrest him. But still, I'm looking at the plea agreement now, and it says that count one, which is uh, transmitting a threat in interstate commerce, which is the only count it looks like, has a maximum term of imprisonment for five years 
and a fine of not more than 250000 and a term of supervised release of not more than three years. So it looks like they, the most they could put restrictions on him is for eight years, where he could be in uh, prison for five at most, and then supervised release for three. And then it shows him initialing these things, because this is the agreement. So it says, facts, at all relevant times, defendant Benjamin Tucker Patz was the user of Instagram account, account at B8, B82HS9, kind of a weird account. Uh, also, the user the Instagram account at Parlay Pats and the email address Ben period Pats at Yahoo.com. So, okay. It looks like they she went to Yahoo and said, uh, give us the IP address and, or match the IP address of who this is. And there's his name right there. That's pretty simple to identify him. And, uh, it said that records from Instagram showed that an IP address associated with T-Mobile and Sacramento, California, which is located approximately one hour from Napa, where Pats was known to reside at the time, was logged for at B82HS9 on July 20, 2019, at approximately uh, 9.22 p.m. Eastern. Rex- records from Instagram also show the same IP address was logged in for Parley Pats on July 21, 2019, at approximately uh, 3.25 a.m., Records from Yahoo show that the same IP was logged into Ben Pats at Yahoo. So that's, they did exactly what I said. They just looked up IPs. So no, he didn't try to hide it. <laughs> he didn't at least try to go through a proxy or an anonymizer, nothing. He just went right onto his Yahoo account and his Instagram accounts and just fired off these messages. It was just, just an act of rage. Maybe he thought... I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Like, Did he really think he could send these type of threats to professional baseball players and just like have no consequence? Like, What was he really thinking? He did this... It wasn't like one time he let himself slip and thought, oh, I better not do this again. Like, He kept doing this. Like, like He'd lose and then he'd send these messages. Like, It's so weird. How is he not realizing that at some point they're going to arrest him? Maybe he did it a few times and nothing happened. He figured he could just get away with it. Maybe he figured they get these messages all the time, so he, he can just send them with no consequence. It's really strange. You'd think you it's one one thing to do this once out of rage and then catch yourself and go, oh, shit, I better never do that again. <laughs> He's doing it over and over. You're just sending it to the Swedish women's team. And then, yep, the FBI comes a-knocking one day, and you're facing up to five years in prison. I don't think he'll get five years because he didn't actually hurt anybody, but... I think he'll get something. I think he'll be seeing the inside of a prison cell for some time. So good old Parley Pats there hit some hard times. 775-FRAUD55. 775-372-8355 is the number to this show. I'm going to take a break. I've been on a while. I haven't had... Much of a break here in talking because there's not much where I could just sit back and relax. I played a few short clips, but that was about it. I don't have a co-host. I'm going at it alone. So we're going to do a little break here. going to play the Eric Benzamokin ad. I may cut him a new ad soon, by the way. I know some of you guys are getting sick of this ad. Maybe I'll cut him a new ad soon. But in the meantime, I'll play this ad. And I'll be back soon, and then we'll continue with the rest of the topics of this show. We have a number of things to still talk about here.
We have six poker and gambling topics, and we have three coronavirus topics. We have nine topics left here. We have only covered four. That's not a lot of progress here in close to four hours. And I thought we wouldn't have enough to talk about after six days. Ho <laughs> ho, was I wrong? Okay, we will be back. Talk to you soon. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California, you can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we are back, and let's move on to talk about the my bookie situation. And look, Bart Hansen was really spot on when he called out my bookie for being shady because they are they have a bad reputation if you google them my bookie reviews you will see a lot of complaints about them i would not trust them no matter how slick their advertisement is no matter how enticing the bonus is that they try to get you to deposit for do not do it you'll be sorry you should stick to the Sports books with good reputations, or at least decent reputations. Ones like Bet Online, ones like Heritage Sports, even Bet Any Sports, which is the kind of new five dimes, at least seems like they are reputable. I'm not saying your money's guaranteed safe on these sites, but don't go with ones that are known to be unsafe. So 
Interesting story from Jess Wellman, who is a longtime uh, poker and gambling industry figure. She discovered something which is pretty disturbing. So she wrote an article on uh, PlayMichigan.com and said this, Android using sports bettors were thrilled to hear they would finally be able to download apps directly from the Google Play Store. However, bettors are going to have to be careful what they download because there's an imposter on the loose. Two different apps in the store claiming to be the BetMGM Sportsbook app are actually downloads of the MyBookie app. MyBookie is one of several offshore sportsbooks that accept American bettors, even though they are not legally permitted to do so. So she showed a screenshot of the Google Play Store, which you're not going to run into if you're an iPhone user. There, of course, use the Apple App Store. But the Google Play Store is something you would be using on your Android device. And uh, looking at this screenshot that was provided by uh, Jess Wellman, you can see that uh, here's, here's what's listed. If you search BetMGM, there's uh, MGM Resorts that says it's from uh, MGM Resorts International. Then uh, Cashman Casino, which nobody would confuse what that is. Uh, DraftKings, again, that's pretty obvious. Then Live App BetMGM Mobile Online Sports from Flashcom. Now, doesn't that sound like that's uh, BetMGM? Live App BetMGM Online Sports. And the little uh, avatar for it says BetMGM Sport. That sounds like BetMGM Sports to me, right? Well, it's not. That's fake. Then there's FanDuel. Then there's uh, another one. Very suspicious looking. Mobile Sport for BetMGM Notifier app from Vamos Games LLC. And then there's two others that aren't related to this. So uh, neither of these are legit. Both of these are not BetMGM apps. Once you uh, download the app, it's it's very clear to my bookie. So Jess went and downloaded the app and provided some screenshots of that as well. So even though it says live app BetMGM mobile online sports, once you click on it, it immediately brings you to my bookie and it says bet on anything, anywhere, anytime, my bookie. So it's very clear it's my bookie. Uh, and then there's, of course, that other one, the mobile sport for BetMGM notifier app. And when you open that, again, you get my bookie. They even have a Lion logo, which is very similar to the MGM logo. It's not quite the MGM logo, but you know, you know about the MGM Lion that uh, comes from those MGM movies from a long time ago. So <laughs> it's actually uh, this BetMGM app that's called a Mobile Sport for BetMGM Notifier, which is kind of a weird name, that, uh, that actually has that Lion on there. So this is very, very shady. On March 12th, which is today, of course, they were finally removed from the Google App Store, but presumably only because of this article. So I guess, uh, I'm also guessing if maybe Jess herself complained, but, you know, once this was brought to Google's attention and someone looked into it, they probably removed him. But boy, that's, that's pretty shady. 
Now, I will say it's possible that my bookie didn't do this directly. Now, Jess does not touch on this. In fact, I think I'm going to message her and let her know this. But uh, I have seen examples of this with other sites that aren't necessarily behind this. And you may say, well, who would ever do this? Who, why would someone put in a MyBookie app when it's, uh, and, and disguise it as a BetMGM app when only MyBookie is going to benefit from it? Well, there's someone or something else that could also benefit from it. Who might that be? Oh, yes. Tying in with our original discussion topic, an affiliate. Yes, yes, yes. This might have been done by affiliates, and that's why there may be two of them. These may be shady affiliates of my bookie to where if you download either of these apps that uh, you're going to be signing up with my bookie under their affiliate code if you're not signed up yet. Especially because the English is really bad on both of these. Let's do this again. One of them is called Live App BetMGM Mobile Online Sports. And then the other one, worse, Mobile Sport for BetMGM Notifier app. So I'm suspicious. Not that BetMGM, not that uh, MyBookie is a US-based site. Obviously, it's not. But I would think if this was done internally there, it probably the English probably wouldn't be this bad. This kind of looks like something that uh, someone who didn't speak very good English uh, on their own made up and didn't have others to proofread. So I really am suspicious that maybe this is just a, an affiliate thing. Now, this doesn't excuse my bookie, and I have a feeling if you complain to my bookie about this, they wouldn't care. They just want to get signups. In fact, they'd probably be happy, especially because they could just blame it on affiliates. But to me, this looks like maybe an affiliate did it. And in fact, it's not even that complicated to make an app like this and then just make it a direct link to the MyBookie website, because this isn't even necessarily a MyBookie app. This may just be uh, opening up a browser and directing it to the MyBookie mobile site. It's hard to tell from the screenshots I've seen here. And they're no longer here, and I don't have an Android device, so I couldn't get them anyway. But this does look to me like, especially because there's two of them from different companies, one being Flashcom, the other one being this uh, Vamos or Vamos LLC. This really looks like affiliate stuff. This, again, is a problem of affiliate stuff because affiliates can act shady. Affiliates can... uh, be very shifty, especially with trying to misdirect people into downloading the app, and then the company itself has to hold the bag. And I've seen this before. The average customer doesn't understand affiliates. The average customer doesn't really know what an affiliate is. In fact, we just had someone calling the show a few weeks ago. Remember that uh, woman who called up Mary, who was not being paid on ignition, because her affiliate did something wrong. And she's like, I don't know what an affiliate is. I just clicked on some link to download Ignition. And I was telling her she should talk to them about this because it's not the customer's fault if they signed up through an affiliate who screwed Ignition in some way. So similarly here, I think these may be affiliates that are behaving in a shady fashion. But my bookie itself is shady, as we've heard from multiple sources, especially uh, Bart Hansen. And that's why I actually took it upon myself, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 
to email Ben Shapiro for the first and only time in my life. I'm not the type of guy who likes to uh, email celebrities. So even though I watch Ben Shapiro's show, I've never felt a need to email him. I, I don't even tweet at him. Like, I, I just watch his show, and uh, and that's that. I know, know it for what it is. I know he has a very large following. I know he's not interested in hearing from randoms who watch his show. Otherwise, he'd be spending all day and night responding to emails. So I don't bother him, but I did feel the need to write to him about this because uh, I hadn't seen him ever take any ads before from gambling sites, but he must have decided to start doing it around Thanksgiving. And I thought, oh, no, like I'm sure Ben Shapiro knows nothing about the gambling world. So (laughs) to him, it just seemed like, okay, I'll I'll advertise one of these sites. I had explained to him, not only is it not licensed and illegal, but... Also, it's shady and cheating people, and he probably doesn't want to be associated with that. So sure enough, we never saw the ad again. So I can't say for sure it was my doing, but there's a good chance it was. It's a good chance. So I told him, don't just trust me. Google it. Go take a look. I, I directed him to resources to read about my bookie and things they've done and the complaints about them. So I have a feeling someone received this and said, oh, we screwed up. Never mind. Let's take this down. And I even kind of understood. They didn't respond to me, but I kind of understood why they didn't because, like, they don't know who I am. They don't know what my intentions are. They didn't know if they're going to respond to me and then I was going to use it against them. Like, they, uh, the, the safest thing for them to do is not answer me and just quietly remove it so there's no big deal made. So they're not admitting they ever ran an ad for a shady site. They're just not there anymore. So I'm sure that's the reason they didn't answer me. And that's fine. I wasn't looking for acknowledgement. I was just looking for it to come down because I didn't feel that uh, my bookie deserved such promotion, even if they pay for it. I didn't want to see additional people get cheated, whether they're uh, other Ben Shapiro viewers or even if they were viewers of a left-wing show, I would send the same warning. In fact, if you see any ads for my bookie in major, any kind of major media, even online media, let me know. And I'll send the same email to them. It wasn't just because it was a conservative show. I just don't like seeing a site that is not acting ethically doing uh, mass marketing to a a big group of new people who probably don't know the difference. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, shady. (laughs) Pretending to be bad MGM. One thing you can do to make sure you're not getting the wrong version, because I bet what you're wondering right now is, okay, how do I make sure if I ever download one of these apps, I'm getting the real BetMGM? Like, I guess in this case, it was obvious because it opened up to my bookie, right, when you tried to open it. But what if one is, is better at disguising itself? Well, what you can do is you can look at the company that is publishing the app. So, for example, in uh, Jess Wellman's screenshot, the first site that comes up, or the first app that comes up when you search, Bet, search BetMGM is the MGM Resorts app. Now, this is not a betting app. This is just uh, book hotel rooms or whatever. But it says MGM Resorts. It has the clear MGM logo, not just the lion, but the MGM lion. And then it says MGM Resorts International. That's the publisher of it. So if MGM Resorts International is publishing it, then you can be pretty certain, not 100%, because maybe someone could have made a fake MGM company, like MGM Resorts INTL. Maybe they could have gotten that by the Google Play Store, but it's probably harder to get that done. It's probably harder to 
you know, get get to be a publisher on there under a misleading name like that. So if you see something like MGM Resorts International, then it's much more likely to be legit than if it's something like uh, Vamos Gaming or Flashcom. So it doesn't always mean it's fake if it's by a company you don't recognize, but it should give you some pause. It should make you say, wait a minute, is this really legit? And look into it more carefully. But if it's from the company itself, then you can feel pretty good about it. I don't think this was any attempt to steal people's identities or their credit cards or bank account info. I don't think it was anything like that. I think it's just affiliates trying to get you to sign up to my bookie when you think you're downloading the MGM app and they hope you don't notice what you're signing up for. So interesting thing that uh, Jess Wellman discovered there. Good report on her part. And I think I'll let her know about the affiliate thing. I have an update on some hacking, the Venmo hacking, the ongoing Venmo hacking. Why is nobody talking about this? Why is this not a huge story in poker? Why is this not a bigger story than whether Vanessa Cade has her affiliate money? Because poker Twitter is more concerned about Vanessa Cade and her affiliate money and much less concerned about this Venmo thing. Now, I admit it's more fun to talk about Vanessa Cade and the affiliate money and Dan Blazerian calling her a hoe. I admit that, but it is very consequential to poker pros what is happening on Venmo and really, really disturbing because you are helpless if they decide to target you. If you have money in your account, or maybe even if your bank account is linked. So again, if you are a poker player or you have any dealings with poker players, I really suggest you completely unlink your bank account and credit card from Venmo and 100% take every penny you have off of Venmo. Do not leave any money on Venmo or it can be taken from you. Very, very important. Do not leave any balance on Venmo because once the hacker gets in, they will take your money. So we have two victims uh, to add to the list for what happened on Venmo. To review, what seems to be occurring is that somebody gets a weird request for a small amount of money. You can send a request on Venmo to have a person send you money. So someone will get a weird request for a small amount of money, sometimes from a, a name they recognize in poker, which may or may not be that person's account or it could be a fake account. Whatever it is, they get a request for a small amount of money, like $6. And then shortly afterwards, their account is completely broken into. So there must be some kind of relation to that. There must be some sort of uh, method to this, which requires that first step of sending that request. It must be some sort of exploit. And then there's nothing you can do to stop it. You can try to change your password. You can try to set up two-factor authentication. You can try to set up a PIN. Nothing will work. Once you see that happening, once you get that weird request, that means the hacker is about to get you. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. When I say nothing, I mean absolutely nothing. So the only thing you can do at that point is unlink everything. Get all your money off of Venmo, unlink your bank account, unlink your credit card. Then there's nothing they can do. They can get into your account, but there's nothing to do with your account other than impersonate you. So that is what I would suggest if you see that. But right now, if you have any dealings with poker players, 
any money you've ever sent to poker players or received from poker players, I would suggest you delink your credit card and your bank account and definitely get all money off there. Now, if money is stolen from your bank account or your credit card through Venmo, then you do have some recourse because you can call up your bank and say, I did not authorize this transaction and the bank will do an investigation and probably give you the money back. But if it's your Venmo balance stolen, then it's up to Venmo to return it to you and it seems like they're very non-responsive and often uncooperative. They have not fixed this. This is not a matter of people being fished. This is not a matter of people being tricked or picking a bad password. This is a matter of a backdoor way into accounts that someone knows how to do. Maybe a Venmo insider. Maybe it is a hacker. But it's someone who knows how to do this and knows how to break through all Venmo security procedures. Sidewinder who's a member of the forum, wrote tonight, no way these are hacks, something nefarious is going on. Given how horrible the human beings are at eBay and PayPal, expect this to never end. Well, uh, I could go either way on this. It, it could be an inside job. I don't think this is being done from the highest level. Like I don't think the companies are approving of this, but I, I could believe there's an insider at Venmo who is pulling this off. In fact, that's probably the most likely explanation, but it is possible that a hacker found a way to exploit something because remember, there's this first step that always happens where they have to send this weird request for money. So it would seem like an insider wouldn't have to do that unless an insider knew about this vulnerability and then they're exploiting it, which that's very possible. Like they, Somehow someone discovered this. It's even possible someone discovered this on accident where they, they sent a request and then they found accidentally some way to get into people's accounts. And now they're targeting poker players. But it's definitely poker players being targeted. So here's some names before I go into who was uh, nailed this time. But here's some names that I know of that have been hit so far. Daniel Negreanu, Eric Seidel, Vanessa Selps. We've talked about all this on, on uh, previous shows. Then uh, Mike Matisau, Justin Bonomo. Uh, OAS Ahmed. And now we have some additional people to add to the pile. I'm sure there's more than this because everybody who gets hit doesn't necessarily come out on Twitter about it. Tim Kramer, who's on Twitter as TCRAMES88, T-C-R-A-M-E-S 88. Tim Kramer was hit. He wrote on March 12th at 10.47 a.m. My Venmo's been hacked. Don't do any trades with me unless you get video confirmation. And then he jokingly said, and for anyone who wants to send me free money, send Bitcoin here and give an address. So he's basically saying, uh, if you send me money on Venmo, it's going to go to some hacker. So if you really want to throw away your money like that, just send me Bitcoin. <laughs> so then someone asked, uh, why don't you just set up a pin? And then Joe Kata. Yes, that Joe Kata. World Series of Poker main event champion Joe Kata, who also uh, has won other bracelets and done very impressive things with poker tournaments. Joe Kata wrote, I got my Venmo hacked with a pin. And Tim Kramer said back, I had a very good password, multiple symbols, capitals, numbers that I change frequently. They, st they still got me. It's because it's a social media app and not a finance app. What, what he's saying here is they didn't set a very good security because it was uh, kind of like a combination of uh, social media and, and payments. And 
he feels like if it was a pure finance app, they would have been uh, better security. He might be right about that, but that's just theorizing. But he did say he had a very difficult to guess password, and they got right past it. And he kept changing the password. But I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with your password. They're, they're getting in a different way. They're not entering your password. And Joe Kata had a pin. Didn't help him. Then Joe Kata gave a little more detail. He said that he did a $2,000 transaction with Nick Eunice. And that they both got instantly hacked at the same time. And then Tim Kramer said, yeah, some weird shit happened with me and Garrett Greer, too. Well, Garrett Greer then went forward and said that he got hacked twice in the same month. Well, let me explain this. Let me explain why some of these guys who are associated are getting hacked. Does it mean that uh, maybe Nick Eunice is involved here or Garrett Greer is involved? No. No, very unlikely. The hacker can see when you make transactions with other people. Remember I described on a previous show that Vanessa Selps saw this coming because she had seen what happened to, to Eric Seidel and the others and that microtransaction or that request. So she got a weird request and then she knew it was coming. So she tried to get her money off by sending it to her wife and then her wife got hacked and they got the money stolen anyway. Remember that story? Well, that's what the hacker does. He gets in there and then he takes a look at all your transactions and anyone you made a transaction with is also a potential victim. So Joe Kata sent money. Uh, I don't know if he sent or received 2K with this Nick Eunice. And then the hacker got in and saw that uh, not, you know, probably targeted Joseph Kata because he's a high prof- profile player, but uh, got into Joe's account and then saw that he had just done a 2K transaction with Nick Eunice. So he's like, okay, well, sweet. I see somebody else to hack now, too, and nailed Nick Eunice. So he got them both. Same with Tim Kramer. He did a transaction with Garrett Greer, and obviously the hacker said, oh, look, Garrett Greer, okay, he must have money here, too. Okay, I'll get him as well. So that's how the hacker is finding people to nail, is that he goes after the obvious targets, the high-profile players who you would guess have money, you know, think of who think of who's been hit. Negranu, Seidel, Selbst, Matisau, Bonomo, Jokeda. And then they kind of go from there. They see who they're making transactions with, and they figure these people have money too. It's it's not rocket science. It's very clearly w- what's going on here. How they're doing it, I'm not sure. But they're not doing it by guessing your password. They're not doing this by brute forcing your password. They're not like trying a million tries for your password. They're, they're not getting through your password. They're getting it some other way. Setting anything else won't help. You, you have no way to stop this. That's why you have to just disable everything. And the reason why I'm saying you need to be careful, even though you're not as famous as Joe Kata in poker, or Eric Seidel, or Daniel Negreanu, the reason you have to watch out is because if you have ever transacted with anybody else who's been hacked, they may go after you. So let's take uh, Garrett Greer, for example. He's not a really well-known poker player. He's a poker player. He's not super well-known. I bet you don't know who Garrett Greer is, do you? Garrett Greer got hit twice in one month. Why? Because he did a transaction with Tim Kramer. So what if you did a transaction with Garrett Greer? Let's say Garrett Greer is just some guy you, you know and you did one transaction with him. You may have totally forgotten about that. But... Because he did a transaction with somebody else who was being hit, they hit him, and then they're looking at his account, they may hit you. 
So if you've never done a transaction with anyone in poker or gambling on Venmo, then you're probably safe, provided you're not a known player yourself. So if you're like a recreational poker player and you don't, you have not made any transactions with anybody in poker or gambling on Venmo, then the hacker is unlikely to hit you. I agree. But if you have made any transactions with anyone in poker, then you are vulnerable. I am vulnerable. I, I have de-linked my stuff. If this does happen to you, if they steal directly from your bank or your credit card, immediately call the bank and complain, and you'll get the money back. You should still delink them, but there you will get the money back eventually. If they steal your Venmo balance, good luck. And apparently Venmo is very, very bad about responding to people. Justin Bonomo uh, posted about this last week where he complained about everything that was happening with him and how Venmo was so terrible about it. Actually, it wasn't last week. It was last month, but whatever. This is something that's ongoing. It's been happening, to our knowledge, since November, maybe even before that, but Negranu and Seidel first reported this in November. So look, we're in March now. This started in November, and it hasn't stopped. And it's not going to stop until Venmo takes this seriously, figures out what's going on, and closes the hole. But the thing is, they're so big, they don't care. They don't care. They're not going to look into it. It's a big bureaucracy over there. And if this was hitting, like, many thousands of people, they would do it. But because it's only hitting people who are in poker or poker adjacent, it's a very small percentage of their customers. And people get hacked all the time on there for in different ways, from phishing scams, from bad passwords, mainly phishing scams. But there's a lot of hacking going on on Venmo. So they they just kind of group this in with all that. It's hard to convince them at Venmo, especially since you can't really communicate with people well. It's hard to communicate to them that this is different. This is not a phishing thing. This isn't a weak password thing. This is something really nasty where someone is getting access through the back. Someone is just able to gain access to any account they want at will, and you cannot stop them. That is really disturbing for a major service like Venmo. I'm considering contacting the uh, FBI agent. I don't want to bother them too much. That's why I'm not going to just automatically do it. But I'm considering contacting the FBI agent that I do have some contact with and referring this situation to them because this may be of interest and maybe they will get an investigation going and put a stop to it. The problem is they're going to wonder why Venmo hasn't called them because really this is... The combination of Venmo's responsibility and the victim's responsibility to report. But as far as their system being breached, see, the problem is the FBI, they're going to dismiss this probably of, okay, well, this is just phishing. We get this all the time. We're not going to touch this. But it's not phishing. I know it's not phishing. I mean, Vanessa Selp saw what was happening and tried everything she could to stop it and couldn't. And for all my criticism of Vanessa Selp, she's not dumb. I, I, other than sending it to her wife, which was a mistake, given the way this all goes down, other than sending the money to her wife, I believe she did everything right in trying to prevent this, and she was unable to stop it, because there's no way to stop it. So that's an update there. I'm sure we're going to have more updates on these Venmo hacks as time passes. All right, I'm going to do a little segment here now about skills again. S-K-I-L-L-Z. We've talked about them before. They are a real money app provider for so-called skill games 
on mobile phones. And I have played some of these games, especially their main one, 21 Blitz. You've probably seen ads for these if you've played other games in your phone. You've probably seen 21 Blitz ads popping up, and there are other games. They have uh, some kind of solitaire game that's similar. They have a number of these games that all have general similarities to each other. They're all kind of like card games that you're playing for real money against real people. And I first became aware of these skills games when I was playing uh, other mobile games on my phone. I kept seeing the ads popping up over and over and over. They're spending a lot of money on marketing. And finally, they got me. Finally, I downloaded 21 Blitz. And when I tried it, I said, oh, you know what? This is the type of thing that I could learn to get better at and maybe beat people just as I did in poker. I started thinking maybe this is an opportunity like poker was for me two decades ago. Maybe... I will learn how to get skillful at this and be better than most people. And I can move up stakes and I I can beat people and make money. Now, I saw the rake on this thing was terrible. And that was already a consideration that maybe even if I'm better than most people, like it's going to be hard to win long term. And then I gave up on it when I discovered something about it. And that is that they have a matching algorithm that always attempts to match you to someone of equal skill level. So no matter how good you get, it's always going to match you to someone that it thinks is equal skill to you. And then I also started to suspect they were going beyond that and even controlling when you win or lose by matching you with already completed scores that are unusually good or unusually bad. So it's not even always about the skill of the person. Maybe they're just matching you with someone who had a, a really good game that just lucked into a good game. And then I have to beat that score if they want me to lose. And then the reverse, they can match me with a, a bad score if they if they want me to win. And these are things they can do. And there's no way to have any visibility into their process because they don't give it. So I determined the whole thing's like kind of shady. And they were not transparent at all about the way they do things. And I determined that it was probably either unbeatable or mostly unbeatable. Well, I was partially wrong about the mostly unbeatable thing because there actually were a few people who were beating it. And I, I always wondered what 21 Blitz, and we covered this before. I'm just giving a quick rundown again before I get into the update with this 21 Blitz story. I always wondered with 21 Blitz, when I saw people on the leaderboards who were playing at high stakes or semi-high stakes there, like who these people were, if they had any association with poker or advantage play gambling, if maybe I knew who they were, you know, they had screen names, so there's no way to tell who they were. Some of them had like pictures, but the pictures aren't very big. You can't really see much. So I was wondering, like, maybe do I know these people and how much are they really winning? Or is it maybe that they're losing and they're just on the leaderboard because they spend a lot to win? It, it was unclear. But two names I saw a lot on the leaderboard at the time I was playing were Liz Nico who was supposedly like a 19-year-old girl from Vegas, a 19-year-old pretty girl from Vegas, which really I didn't expect to be winning at the high stakes there, and and uh, like also like a sometimes online poker player. And then someone named Prignum, a dude who kind of looked like he was in his 30s. Anyway, it turned out that uh, Lesnico and Prignum were eventually banned from there, and they claimed that they were cheated in various ways. I won't get into the whole story again. You can go... Uh, Check out the episode I did. I did a long segment on this in September of 2020 on this show where we talked about the 
lawsuit that was eventually filed by Lisnico Prignum and a third person who was actually a fish on the site who lost a lot of money and claimed that they were misled about their chances to win. And the attorney who was doing this, presumably on contingency, was Mac Verstandig. Yes, that same Mac Verstandig who takes all these poker cases. So that was especially interesting to me. So to me, there were two big interests in the case. Number one, I actually played the game and, and knew of these people. In fact, I had even talked to Liz Nico on there a little bit. And second was that Mac Verstandig was someone I was very familiar with. In fact, I've communicated with him before and talked to him a number of times before. So this was very interesting to me, this 21 Blitz thing from a personal standpoint. And just in general, I found the whole thing interesting, including that the lawsuit mentioned some things that I had noticed, such as the very misleading marketing they were doing, where they were really marketing toward middle-aged women, or not even middle-aged, just housewives, young and middle-aged, who want to make him some extra money. And they imply in the ads, they don't directly say it, but they imply the ads that you just got to put the time in it, and not even much time. Like you can play these short games and reliably make uh, a few hundred dollars a month extra money you're going to make so it uh in fact they even show these women that are like keeping the secret from their husband that they're really making this extra money stuff like that like it's my secret no one's gonna ever know well in reality that's not what's going on even though list nico was able to win even though prignum were able to win was able to win and by the way list nico admits that she even lost 50k off the bat before becoming profitable which raised the question how a 19 year old came up with 50k in the first place to lose but let's put that aside uh, whatever it was, it, I did see a video of Lisnico showing her balance shortly before she was banned, where she had like 29k on there, and uh, Prignum claimed that he had over 200k confiscated. So obviously these people were winning, but they were among the very few. Most people lose on there because the rake is high, and they are constantly trying to match you with people of your same skill level, and they are also. Uh, possibly matching you with scores that are good or bad to try to make you win about 50% of the time to where they just rake you to death. So this whole thing's very shady. It needs to be regulated. These type of games should not exist. They should not be legal without uh, real regulations setting down what they can and can't do. The reason it's legal is because you're playing with the same deck. It's considered not gambling if two people play against each other with the same deck because it supposedly takes the chance element out, and without chance, it can't be gambling by law. It's a loophole. It shouldn't exist like this. This is gambling. And there are elements of chance, even if the deck is the same way, because if you make a slightly different decision, then the way the deck is configured after that affects you. So you don't know what's coming, and then you make a decision, and the decision you make, uh, the next cards that come out, you wish you didn't make that decision, and that is a matter of chance even if it's the same deck you and your opponent use. So anyway, I, I don't like any of this stuff, and I feel there needs to be regulation, and, and the way the law currently stands uh, doesn't protect anyone, and it allows companies like this to take advantage of people, and also the misleading advertising is terrible that implies that just any person can just deposit money on there and win when almost everybody loses. So th these are my problems with Skills and 21 Blitz. Skills is the company that puts it out. The lawsuit opened up a lot as far as uh, what I learned about the company, including about the CEO and other stuff. We discussed this in the show. Uh, what happened with this lawsuit? It looks like it's dead in the water because there's a terms of service everybody agrees to, 
when they sign up, and even though it's uh, a small link, not very prominent, and you know nobody reads these things, you're basically agreeing that if there's any dispute, that you have to do it through arbitration, not through a lawsuit, and that you're limited to fifty dollars that you can recover through arbitration. Yeah, so I think that shouldn't be legal to have a real money gaming app for a lot of money that you could potentially be uh, out if you're screwed and that you're agreeing beforehand that the most they'll ever owe you is 50 in the case of a dispute. But that's technically what you agree to the terms of service. And so this went through the court system and it was ruled in Nevada that the arbitration is indeed where they have to go. So Mac was unable to continue the case. They have to go to arbitration. They cannot have this in Nevada court. The $50 thing wasn't ruled on, but the arbitration was, so I think this is probably dead in the water. I don't think it's officially over, but it's pretty much over, in my opinion. But anyway, we're not really doing this to talk about that case. That, as I said, is pretty much done, and I reported this when I did an update in December on this story. But a Poker Fraud Alert listener brought something to my attention about skills itself, because they have since gone public. They are uh, SKLZ on NASDAQ. You can look them up. They're a public company, Skills Incorporated. S-K-I-L-L-Z is the way you spell the name of the company, and then the trading ticker symbol is SKLZ on NASDAQ. A company called Wolfpack Research did analysis on Skills. Wolfpack Research is a company that does analysis on stocks. Uh, If you go to their About page, their mission statement says, Wolfpack Research is a global financial research and due diligence firm dedicated to protecting investors by ensuring the natural balance of the financial ecosystem. Wolfpack's team works tirelessly to uncover differentiated information on individual companies that investors can use to generate alpha, regardless of market conditions. To us, success is continually challenging the consensus and actively encouraging market participants to pursue the truth. We strive to be an agent of change for the greater good. Now, that's a lot of bullshit, but uh, I'm sure you understand. They, they basically uh, have a website that analyzes stocks. I'm not sure how they make money because I I was able to read everything they did on skills without paying a penny. They provide everything for free, but whatever. That's uh, not my concern here. So on March 8th, they did a report on skills. And it says, skills, it takes little skill to see the spectacular disaster coming. And uh, then you can either read their summary or you can download the full report they did on skills. Now, again, I want to, before I do the segment, I want to make something clear. I am going to tell you the report, the content of this report from Wolfpack Research. I'm not saying I have verified any of this. I have not verified anything that Wolfpack is claiming. And they make a lot of claims that they spoke to former employees and people in the industry. I don't know if this is true. For all I know, they could be making it up, or maybe they're misleading, or who knows. Or they could be telling the 100% truth. I don't know, because I don't know Wolfpack Research. I just found them this week. But I'm going to tell you what Wolfpack is putting out, and then I'll just give my opinion, which is not based upon any further research. It's just my opinion 
after reading what Wolfpack had to say. So this, everything I'm going to be telling you here is from Wolfpack, not from me. And this is publicly available on Wolfpack's site. And it does not require any kind of uh, subscription. So this is uh, just a report they've put out. We are short skills because its top games appear to be stagnant to declining, leading us to believe its revenue projections are farcical. Now, what they mean by we are short skills, they're saying that uh, skills is going to go down and they recommend shorting this stock. Our research, including conversations with former employees, employees of skills as two largest developers and independent third-party app download data, all show us that the growth projection skills and its SPAC sponsor continue to present to investors are entirely unrealistic. We found that Skill's top three games, representing 88% of its revenues, had already plateaued by quarter three 2020. What's worse is that Skill's growth story is falling apart in quarter one 2021. While Skill's is projecting 12.3% sequential revenue growth and 61% year-over-year growth in first quarter 2021, third-party app data shows that Skill's total installations are down double digits through the first two months of 2021. While skills may very well eke out its numbers for the end of 2020, concerned investors should be seeking answers regarding the beginning of 2021 guidance on Wednesday's earnings call. So basically, they're saying here, if it's not obvious from that description, that uh, skills is projecting a very rosy picture for 2021 that doesn't seem to match what's really happening the first two months that have passed of 2021. Remember, they put out this report on March 8th of 2021. Skills has a history of announcing deals and partnerships, which have historically amounted to very little or nothing at all. The latest of which was Skills' conveniently timed announcement of a purported partnership with the NFL, which pumped its stock to 25% to uh, or pumped its stock 25% to all-time highs just days before filing an S1, allowing insiders to sell millions of shares of stock at these inflated prices. Now that's really interesting. They're claiming that they filed something called an S-1 to allow them to sell their own stock at its current prices, which just right around that time happened to peak because they announced their NFL partnership. But what about this NFL partnership? Let's read about that. Smart Money seems to have figured out very quickly that, like so many of Skill's past deals, this NFL partnership won't amount to much, if anything at all, likely having seen what we saw. And then they said this, Skills Developer Portal currently shows no evidence of an NFL dealer contest being held. A site search of NFL.com does not even register the the term skills. We were unable to find any reference to this purported partnership from the NFL side other than Skills' own press release. Showing a complete lack of skill, an email requirement, an email inquiry, sent to the email address referenced in the PR from our developer profile on the skills platform, bounced back to us saying the email address did not exist on the day of the announcement. (laughs) They asked for comment from the email address in the PR from skills, and uh, it bounces back saying the email address doesn't exist. That is funny. So as you can see, this is already... uh, Suspicious. So uh, going on here, by the way, the SPAC they're referring to, and they're about to refer to again, is is, uh, referred to as a a special purpose acquisition company. 
And uh, basically, those are shell companies that raise money from investors through uh, stock market listings. So anyway, going on here. This appears to be another SPAC preying on retail investors by assigning a ridiculous valuation for the SPAC merger based upon self-serving projections. As we all know by now, traditional IPO prospectuses require historical financials and rarely include any projections, as forward-looking statement protections do not apply to them. However, forward-looking statements are protected in SPAC proxies, allowing them to use whatever projections they want for investor presentations and even to determine a valuation for the business. This allowed skills to obtain an SPAC valuation of $3.5 billion based upon a multiple of projected 2022 revenue when its most recent private equity valuation was only $725 million on August 30th, 2019, exactly one year before the SPAC. So basically, they're saying these numbers are being fudged. And that there's there's nothing that can be done through these uh, SPAC proxies to stop that. Uh, aggressive projections did not sit well with all employees at Skills. Former employees we spoke to commonly referred to Skills numbers as smoke and mirrors. And Skills recently settled a lawsuit with Eric Cooper, Skills' former head of finance and administration, who claimed he was fired for not going along with CEO Andrew Paradise's unattainably aggressive financial projections. By the way, he's the one, Andrew Paradise, who is alleged by uh, Mac Verstandig in that lawsuit to have tried to get Liz Nico, 19 years old, to, to meet him in Vegas and hang out with him. <laughs> If none of what we've said matters to you, you can always purchase independent third-party data from a number of respected data providers, and you will see what we see coming in the first quarter of 2021. It's just a pretty little piece of ice in the water until you hit it and find out it's an iceberg. So then they put out uh, various summaries regarding skills as numbers that I admit don't seem to look very good. Third-party App data shows installations of the three games responsible for 88% of their revenues declined substantially in the quarter number four of 2020. The first quarter of 2021 is in full freefall, showing that January and February 2021 are plus two and minus 20% respectively. That is in installations of their most popular three games, which are... uh, uh, 21 Blitz, Solitaire Cube, and uh, I think a bingo game. Anyway, yeah, Blackout Bingo is the third one. But the, basically, they're saying that uh, in February 2021, they're down 20% in installations compared to February 2020. We found that all three games responsible for 88% of skills revenues in the first nine months of 2020 had all peaked by quarter three 2020. Downloads for Skills' full lineup of games began to show overall declines at the beginning of 2021, while the company has projected 61.4% year-over-year growth in quarter 20, first quarter of 2021. Third-party app data shows that installs of 21 Blitz, Solitaire Cube, and Blackout Bingo all declined 52%, 40%, and 20%, respectively, in quarter 4 2020. Wow. As of March 3rd, 2021, those games were on track to continue their declines in quarter one, 2021. So basically, you're saying that there was a decline of 52% in their biggest game, 21 Blitz, in the final three months of 2020. Third-party user data shows that total installs of Skills platform were up only 2% year over year in January 21 and were down 20% in February 2021. 
Skills relies heavily on three games made by two developers, Tether Studios and Big Run Studios, for 88% of its revenue. We conclude that revenue from Tether's top two games began contracting in quarter three 2020, just as Skills was preparing to go public. Tether Studios is the developer between the, uh, behind the games that make uh, 63% of Skills' revenue, Solitaire Cube and 21 Blitz. Based on careful reading of Skills' prospectuses, we estimate the revenue of these games declined almost 6% in the quarter three of 2020. We spoke to a former Tether employee, remember this is a company that makes one of the games for Skills, who independently corroborated our estimates by telling us that the top-grossing Skills games right now are Solitaire Cube, which is a Klondike Solitaire game, and 21 Blitz. That one's been trailing off for the past year. While Blackout, while Blackout Bingo's viral success masked the other two games' declines in 2020, hits like these are extremely rare and unpredictable, and it exacerbates a critical risk for skills, customer concentration. Further, based upon download data from January and February 2021, all three of its top games are declining at an increasing rate, and we see nothing the current data indicates another breakout success. So, so basically, this is saying here that this third game, Blackout Bingo, had a big rise while the their two bread-and-butter games, uh, 21 Blitz and Solitaire Cube, were already falling, but Bla- Blackout Bingo was doing well enough to make up for the decline in popularity of the other two, but now Blackout Bingo is declining too, so 2021 is looking uh, not very good. That's according to this uh, report here by Wolfpack. According to former employees and industry experts, we spoke to skills is not taken seriously by gaming in- industry players while Google removed it from the Google Play Store years ago and appears determined to keep skills off its platform. And it mentions that... Uh, while Google is allowing betting apps like DraftKings back on Google Play after removing all uh, Google after removing all gambling apps from the Google Play Store in 2013, that they have written an exception that seems directly aimed at keeping companies like Skills off of Google Play. So it looks like they're saying Google Play just doesn't want apps like this on their store, which, by the way, is the right move. But they're they're, they're basically trying to keep these type of apps off their store. And uh, they're only keeping apps on there that are like uh, legalized uh, gaming apps like DraftKings. So basically, Google's taking the position, if you're a legalized and regulated gambling app, come on back. If you're not, if you're kind of one of these quasi-legal apps that's technically not against the law but isn't regulated, uh, get the hell out of here. So they're saying that's a bad sign for companies like Skills. The former said that fear of missing an opportunity to cash out was what drove CEO Andrew Paradise to rush to go public via SPAC, despite his platform being too manual and not sustainable. Skills platform lacks critical capabilities, which immediately turn off larger developers and have relegated skills to propping up no-name developers who build basic, easily clonable board games. The main issues are... The skills platform cannot handle basic elements like asynchronous play, which is a sticking point for game developers of real size. Average game length is less than one minute. That part's not true. It's actually less than two minutes, but whatever. Uh, extremely limited ability to handle cross-border play due to, due to uh, cu- currency issues. So I understand these points. These kind of make sense to me. You may wonder, what do they mean by asynchronous play? So asynchronous play is defined as players being able to interact with one another. So uh, such as uh, two players being uh, 
connected in some way where they can uh, go back and forth. So uh, they're saying that they can't do this on skills, uh, which is which from what I've observed is true. The way you play games on skills is you you're basically playing by yourself, and then it matches you with somebody else who has uh, either already completed their game or they match you with somebody who uh, is either in the process of playing or you've already completed before them. But you cannot ever communicate with somebody while you're playing, and there's no interaction back and forth, even if you're not connected simultaneously. So asynchronous uh, multiplayer is what these games are. That but, or That's what they were hoping these games are, but they're really not a real asynchronous multiplayer, is where uh, you can communicate and you don't have to be connected at the same time. A good example would be like a chess game where you make a move, then your opponent makes a move, and you can send a message to your opponent, and when they open the app again, they can respond. That, that's that's uh, asynchronous multiplayer. Uh, a good example of this would be like a baseball game, where uh, you and your opponent may not be connected at the same time, but you each play you play one inning, then they play one inning, and and the and and you go back and forth. Like it, it's like that. So, uh, or the chess example is another one, like I just said. So this report says that they do not have this capability, which, from what I've observed, is the truth. Because I have I've I play by myself on all these uh, skills games that I've tried, and then it just compares my score to somebody else who played by themselves. That's basically all it is. So this report is is saying that this is a big limitation, that no one's taking them seriously because their platform cannot even do this asynchronous gaming. And I never thought of it that way, but that's a good point. They said, a former employee with a decade of experience in the gaming industry told us that the sales team struggled tremendously with any established developer because they employed mostly young people with no experience or relationships in the industry. I don't know why that really matters, who they're employing or their age. Uh, I don't know what sales team they're talking about because it doesn't look like they're advertising in-game. It looks like they are making money by people making real money deposits. I don't quite understand what they're trying to say there. But let's go on to the NFL deal thing. This is this is uh, interesting because we're, let's talk about the history that they allege that skills has with hyping up uh, partnerships that didn't really amount to anything. So skills conveniently timed NFL deal much like its other big partnerships, is unlikely to generate anything of value. We made a developer profile on the skills platform and made no evidence, found no evidence of an NFL deal or contest being held in the developer port- portal. If this was a big multi-year deal, why wouldn't there be any documentation or details in the developer portal? A site search of NFL.com does not register the term skills. Skills purported, purported partnership with the NFL announced only by skills and not the NFL during the week of the Super Bowl is consistent with skills' long history of boasting about big partnerships, which have amounted to nothing of value. Now, that's very interesting that the NFL did not announce this partnership. That skills said, hey, we had an NFL partnership. The NFL did not say, hey, we have a skills partnership. So it is possible. I'm just theorizing here. I'm just guessing. But it is possible that the NFL agreed to some sort of partnership in theory, but not to any kind of projects. Maybe they said, okay, we'll, we'll have a partnership, uh, pitch us some projects, and we'll tell you if we like them. 
And then Skills is like, hey, we have a partnership with NFL. NFL is not going to say, hey, we have a partnership with Skills because nothing's been planned yet. They'd look foolish. And, of course, the NFL doesn't have much to gain by announcing a partnership with Skills when they don't have anything that is on the table right now to do with that partnership. So that's why they wouldn't announce it and Skills would. That's just an example. So it says, in 2013, Skills announced a partnership with Glue Mobile, GLU Mobile, which never actually materialized. GLU Mobile is a big mobile game maker. In fact, uh, they just got bought by Electronic Arts, EA. And in fact, they make the popular uh, tap sports baseball game, Glue Mobile. So this is saying that in 2013, Skills announced that they're going to be partnering with Glue Mobile and it never materialized, nothing happened. 2014, Buck Hunter, Part 1. Skills announced a deal with Buck Hunter back in 2014, and the CEO, Andrew Paradise, made it sound like this would be huge, but nothing ever came of the deal. And this was a quote, uh, We are excited to partner with such a well-known and storied brand, said Skills CEO, Andrew Paradise. Now everyone around the world can compete for cash and glory with a big Buck Hunter mobile app powered by Skills. Then uh, in 2017, Skills reported a partnership with Beeline Interactive, a division of Capcom, which owns the Street Fighter franchise. However, because Skills could not host the live one-versus-one games, nothing ever became this big partnership either. In 2021, they claim that there was a Buck Hunter Part 2 failure. Uh, Skills announced another purported partnership with Buck Hunter on January 28, 2021, wherein Mr. Paradise referred to Buck Hunter as, quote, a cultural icon for 20 years, but never mentioned the 2014 purported partnership. So so basically, they're very doubtful that this Buck Hunter partnership, this is referring to the uh, big Buck Hunter app that... uh, some people uh, have downloaded it. They're saying basically this is something they keep claiming is going to happen and isn't, and they've been doing this for seven years. So I'm not going to read the rest of this. There's criticisms of Andrew Paradise, the CEO, and that, that a lot of uh, previously uh, previous employees there have criticized him and said he's unprofessional. There is the claim that there is a lot of uh, turnover among executives at Skills. So I've never attempted to independently verify this stuff. But I will tell you that uh, reading this report, which is a 16-page report, it does not look good for skills. It does look like some of what's being said here, or maybe all of it, or maybe most of it, has some validity, in my opinion. So you may want to look at this stock if you like shorting stocks you may want to look at this one and i'm not giving you investment advice that's why i said you may want to look at it not you may want to do it so don't if you short skills and you lose your ass here don't blame me i said you may want to look at it and decide for yourself but when trying to find something to short if you're shorting what everybody else is trying to short you may get screwed i mean you may get screwed in any case but when you're investing in the market The people who make the big money are the ones who get in before everyone else notices something. If you get in when everybody else is doing the same thing, you're not going to make very much money. So skills is not a very well-known company. This is not something that everyone's going to be looking to short. And this could be one of these under-the-radar short opportunities 
Now, taking a look at the stock of SKLZ, in the last year, it peaked on February 5th. Or not, yeah, it peaked on February 5th. But it did go up a lot. So on uh, April 28, 2020, it was uh, $9.90. Now, I'm not sure when it went public. So uh, presumably it was after that. So let's, let's, because it was kind of stagnant for a while. So when, uh, let's go to September 2nd, 2020. I see it was uh, 1402. It went up as high as uh, $22.00 on December 17th and went down a little bit, but then went all the way up to the all-time high of uh, $46.30 on February 5th. And then it crashed down all the way to $24.45, almost a uh, 50% haircut by March 8th. And then it started to go back up. So when they released this report, it was at its low, recent low point from the crash from the peak when they announced the NFL partnership, which, remember, they announced uh, Super Bowl week. It's uh, since recovered. If you look at the five-day chart from the low on March 8th of 2318, it's since recovered back to 2932. So had you uh, shorted it right when you read this report on March 8th, you wouldn't be doing very well right now. So the question is, will this continue going back up or is this a good short opportunity, especially if you have some patience? So you may want to look at this. However, it is possible that they will have more tricks up their sleeve to get the stock price back up. So this is not a company circling the drain. One that I wish I had shorted, one that I knew was going to go into the toilet and did, was that uh, movie pass company. That was a complete mess. That one, I saw no way that it was going to ever come back. With skills, you never know, because it's mobile gaming. It's something which is still growing. It's still, that whole thing is a pretty immature industry and has a long way to go. So who knows? You know, all skills needs is another game that breaks out or something that makes it seem like they're going to have a great breakout game or maybe if they can get this NFL partnership to really materialize or maybe if they can get this Buck Hunter thing to happen that they can get some investors excited again. I guess there's some reason why it rose back from 23 whatever to 29 in the past few days. But I'd watch this one. I'd watch it if you are interested in shorting stocks. I do agree that if it does appear these games are in the decline, then there's only so much they can do. Because it's not trivial to come up with a game that really captures everybody's attention and everybody wants to play. So they, they managed to get it done with uh, 21 Blitz and Solitaire Cube and then this Blackout Bingo. But this is unreliable. You can't just say, well, they'll come up with a fourth one that's going to do well. They, they may not. They've, they've released other games that haven't done that well. They've tried. I've played some of their other games that don't have many people on there. They all have some similarities. But it's not just trivial. Okay, we'll come up with another game and it's, it's going to do well and it'll replace whatever we're losing with 21 Blitz. It's also possible that they have kind of exhausted their customer base for things like 21 Blitz. Remember, most people lose there. In fact, almost everybody loses from what I've observed. So 
if people lose and they'll come back, there's only so many people who are going to try it. When you run these ads and run them all the time on mobile, you're going to get the people who are most interested doing it first. Then you're going to get some people with moderate interest, and then it's hard to get to the rest of the people who are just never going to try it. And if the people you got to lost money and don't want to continue playing, then that's that. It's different than other games where people aren't losing money. And when your marketing pitches play this and make money and people are getting their ass handed to them, then they're going to quit. And that's the difference between their games and games where you're not playing for money, but where you're expected to spend money in order to do well at the game. There's a lot of those type of games out there. A lot of the games where they're free to download and free to play, but if you want to do really well, if you want to be one of the top players, you have to spend a ton of money, in some cases, uh, tens of thousands of dollars a year, as strange as that sounds. But there are games like that. In fact, I play some of these games. I don't, I don't spend anything. Or if I spend anything, it's like less than $20. But there's some people who will spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to be the top players on these games just to be the top players in these games, not with any kind of reward. So at least those games, even the people spending a lot of money, are getting what they expect. That is, they are the top players in the games, and they're spending a lot of money to do it. But when you are spending money in order to make money, and you don't make money, and you lose money, then you're going to get frustrated and quit and never try again. So that's a battle skills has to win, and they have to keep generating a lot of new players into the game rather than these other games, which have a lot better retention. So that is the challenge there. They have to constantly recruit new people, constantly recruit new suckers. I don't know what the future is here. I don't know also if eventually people will get sick of this. If It's not like if you've gotten sick of 21 Blitz because you're losing, you're going to w- want to go play Solitaire Cube or, or Blackout Bingo. It's very possible you're going to be sick of all these and say, you know, I, I don't even want to try these other ones because I, I lost with 21 Blitz. Uh, screw these other ones. It's all pretty much the same thing to me. So they may not have much of a future. Very interesting. I, I sent a copy of this via Twitter to both Lisnico and Mac Verstandig. Lisnico favorited it. Uh, Mac did not respond. I'm surprised Mac didn't respond. I thought he'd at least like... I haven't seen much from Mac recently. Is he even, like, tweeting? Maybe he's not tweeting. Let me see. Um... Well, yeah, he hasn't tweeted anything in four days. In fact, he's not been very active on Twitter, which is unlike him. He used to be like super active on Twitter. Now I'm I'm going through his Twitter, and I see he's tweeting like one thing on average every five days. So he may just be kind of pushing away from Twitter. I have a possible theory of why Mac might be pushing away, and that is people were bashing him after the whole uh, Stones thing. There were some people that were uh, pretty critical of him for various reasons I won't get into again. But uh, prior to that, you know, people were very positive towards him. He had a, had a lot of respect in the community. And he still does to some degree, but th- there were some critics who said some pretty harsh things. So social media may not be as fun for him anymore. And that's, uh, that's the nature of social media. You know how it goes. Everybody can like you one day, and the next day, they can hate you.
a crime occurred, a very serious crime, in fact, the most serious crime possible at the win, a murder took place in the employee parking lot where one employee killed another. Some of you may not know that major strip casinos do not allow employees to park in the regular parking lot. They are simply not allowed to do it. They can get fired if they do it. They are told under no circumstances may you park in the main lot, which is the more convenient lot. Instead, they must park in the employee lot, which requires a longer walk to get to the property. This is actually common practice of many businesses. I remember in 1990, when I worked uh, temporarily as a box boy to fulfill a stupid requirement at school, they tried to tell me I cannot park in the lot of the supermarket, which was ridiculous because it was a giant lot and it was a lot that served tons of different businesses, not just that supermarket. It was like a mini mall with a huge lot and they're telling me I can't park there. I'm like, okay, well, where can I park? And there's like, you can park on the, on the street nearby. Well, there, there wasn't much street parking. It was pretty far to walk. It, it was hard to find parking on certain days. I just said, you know what, F them. I'm, I'm just going to park out of visibility where they can't see me parking and getting out of my car in the lot and F them. I think like one time they saw me doing it and told me not to. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, I won't. And then, of course, I still did. It, it was stupid because, you know, there wasn't even a problem in that lot. That lot was never full. It was just the street parking around there that was full. Anyway, back to this. Employees are told of these casinos they have to park in the employee lots. So the Wynn employee lot had an incident. And it was an incident between two employees. And uh, it involved a murder, a murder-suicide, in fact. So here is what happened. There was an employee named uh, Yosef Almonte, who was 31 years old. He was a security guard at the Wynn. And he was killed in the parking garage. This is on March 9th. Reggie Taggett, who is 42 years old, is also a Wynn employee, or should I say was a Wynn employee. And he shot Yosef Almonte before shooting himself. Uh, it's not clear why Reggie Taggett did this. They said that Taggett did not show up to work the previous two days. Then he arrived on property. He pulled into the parking garage and that it triggered security due to his recent absence, which is interesting that uh, if you just don't show up to work and then suddenly show up there after an absence like that, security goes over and uh, asks you some questions. I never knew that. So anyway, Taggett parked his vehicle on the fifth floor. This is the employee parking. And uh, Almonte, remember, who's a security guard, went up to go check on Taggett and basically say, why didn't you show up for work the last two days? And we got this alert. Is everything okay? Now, he wasn't there to detain Taggett. He wasn't there to do anything hostile to him. He was just there to ask him as his company protocol. And when he approached the vehicle, Taggett just shot him. Shot him multiple times and he was dead. Then Taggett shot himself dead. He walked away from the vehicle and just shot himself once 
and killed himself. There was nobody else around when it occurred. It was in a remote part of the garage, which is why there's nobody else around. So Taggett apparently uh, went to some part of the garage where nobody was, and when he's approached by security, he shot the guard dead and shot himself dead. CEO Matt Maddox of The Wind said, We are deeply saddened by the tragic incident that occurred this evening. We've reached out to the families of our two employees to offer our condolences and assistance during this difficult time. Now, you may wonder, is it possible that Taggett did this on purpose, knowing that Almonte would show up and then he could shoot him dead? Maybe he had an issue with Almonte. Or maybe he already had a problem with Almonte when he saw that he happened to be the security guard showing up, he shot him. It is believed by police that this is not true, that there was no link between them, that they may not even have known each other, and that this is very standard that uh, security officers go check on an employee who had been absent, who had been absent without uh, announcing he would be absent when they show up on property. It is not known at this time why Taggett behaved in this way, why he would not show up to work and then show up after two days absent and then shoot the security guard who approaches him before killing himself. The police said that this was an isolated incident of workplace violence and that this has nothing to do with uh, what happened on October 1st, 2017, which to me is pretty obvious that with the uh, shooting Stephen Paddock did. And he said that this property has an exceptional security response. They handle this extremely well with their own internal response. As far as Metro, meaning the police, anything that happens, we're going to bring as many resources as we need to make sure the citizens and tourists are safe. I believe there's no further danger. I think this is some crazy guy who did this, and now he's dead. Really weird. Obviously, this Taggett guy was going through something. And I don't know why he came to work with a gun. I wonder if perhaps he was considering going into the casino and killing people. And then once security approached him, he realized that he was going to be seen with a gun and questioned. And, and he's asked, crap, I forgot about this. I hadn't shown up for two days. And now security approaches me. Maybe he wasn't even aware of that procedure. And then uh, just decided to kill the security guard than himself. I don't know why he killed the security guard. You would think if his little plan to kill people was foiled, he'd just shoot himself, but maybe he wanted to kill someone. Like, maybe he was mad at the workplace and uh, wanted to kill people there, and then he felt that if he didn't shoot the security guard that he was going to be stopped. Now you may wonder why he didn't kill the security guard if this was his plan, and then go into the wind and do something before they realized what was going on, but you you can't know what's in the mind of a psycho. It's even possible that uh, he went to the win maybe thinking about going into work. I don't know if this was his shift or if he just happened to come in two days after missing two days or what what time he came in. I don't know, but it's possible he came over there kind of not knowing what he was going to do. He even brought a gun with him. And then uh, he was kind of sitting there thinking and then the security guard approached and he kind of just got spooked. Maybe he didn't know of this procedure and he thought the security guard was coming to get him for bringing a gun in there and that he felt he had to stop him. And then once he shot the guy dead, he's like, oh crap, what did I just do? You know what? I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail. I'm just going to shoot myself dead. Could have been something like that. 
Like, obviously the guy wasn't thinking super straight, or he wouldn't have done this, but I don't know if he was just in pure insane mode where there was no logical thoughts firing in his head, or if he just uh, was set off by something. Obviously showing up to work after missing two days with a gun and parking in a remote part of the lot is already not a good sign. Obviously the wind doesn't like this being publicized. They don't want people being afraid to go there. I'd be much more concerned right now about the bad element coming into Vegas that's constantly coming in there right now with the cheaper prices. Now, maybe, maybe this is going to reverse soon now that COVID is uh, starting to improve. But that's who you're in danger from, not a former employee who shot himself dead after killing a security guard. I mean, it's a tragic situation, and it really is too bad that this security guard who looks like he was completely innocent just doing his job just got shot dead. It's really crappy. And the guy's only 31 years old. So this It wasn't even like two employees in, in dispute. Not that that would justify killing, but this is, this is a guy who looks like he was just killed by someone who doesn't even know him just because he had to approach him. That's really too bad. It seems like every so often there's these incidents of workplace violence involving casinos. There was the case of a uh, Bellagio dealer who stabbed another dealer because of some uh, love triangle. In fact, that, that dealer had actually dealt to me before. She, she wasn't very nice. It was a very surly dealer who had dealt to me blackjack before I remembered her. And uh, I wouldn't say I would think she was going to murder someone, but uh, she was pretty crazy. And she did seem just kind of rude and unfriendly when she had dealt to me. Then there was this guy, I forgot which hotel it was. Maybe the Venetian or maybe the Wynn. One of these major strip properties that went to an employee picnic and shot people. So there there was, uh, and that, that was aimed at executives that he felt had wronged him. There's been a number of these over the years of people who work at these casinos that just are totally nuts or go nuts and commit acts of violence. It's very sad. I'm not sure why this happens at casinos. Maybe the casino industry attracts that type of person. I'm not saying every casino worker is like that. I'm saying that maybe on average you get more psychos attracted to the casino industry than typical jobs. That's what I'm saying. Maybe we'll find out more about the guy's motive, but good chance we won't if he left no note or anything. And I'd love to know what was going on with him at work. Like, Was he having issues there? Or was he doing his job just totally normally and everything was fine and just he stopped showing up to work and then showed up two days later and shot a security guard dead? Very strange. Well, let's talk again about the Las Vegas Strip. But now I want to talk about resort fees and how there's a lawsuit against the MGM at the MGM Hotel, but the MGM Corporation, over the fact that they charge resort fees at all. A consumer group called Travelers United has filed a lawsuit against MGM, and this is being reported on in a number of places, including the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Travelers United is a nonprofit travel advocacy group, and... They filed suit a month ago on February 18th 
accusing MGM of violating Washington, D.C. consumer law. And I'll get to in a second why it's Washington, D.C. The group claims that resort fees are deceptive and they violate D.C.'s Consumer Protection Procedures Act. So the reason they're probably involving D.C. is because D.C. probably has stronger laws against this sort of thing, whereas other states don't. Now, this is not about properties in D.C. This is about D.C. residents going to Las Vegas properties and being charged the resort fees, which allows the jurisdiction for it to be uh, a federal lawsuit involving uh, D.C. Actually, I'm not sure if it's filed federally or in Nevada, but I'm guessing it would probably be federally. The lawyer for Travelers United is Lauren Wolf. Lauren Wolf has been on this show before. We had her on one time. She's the one who runs the group Kill Resort Fees. She is an anti-resort fee crusader. And I asked her why on this show. I asked her, why did you decide to crusade against resort fees? And she claimed she was just on a vacation and saw they were being charged, thought it was bullshit, thought it should be illegal, thought it was deceptive, and that she decided to make it a mission of hers to do away with them and to help consumers avoid paying them. So she is the one who is bringing this lawsuit. And that's not surprising at all. Now, I bet a lot of you don't understand resort fees, even though you think you do. And I'm not trying to say this in a condescending manner. I'm just saying that these are widely misunderstood. Now, nobody likes them, and everybody thinks they're bullshit. But usually the complaint about resort fees is that the resort fees are for certain amenities that you may not want. So... You will ask them, why am I being charged a resort fee? And they will tell you, well, you're being charged this resort fee to pay for parking and the spa and the gym and the pool and uh, local calls on on the the room telephone. And uh, yeah, so they'll name off a bunch of things and you'll go, wait a minute, I, I don't need local calls. I have a cell phone. I don't need to make local calls. This is in 1985 and I'm not going to use the spa and I'm not going to use the pool. I'm not going to use the gym. And if, you know, I'll park elsewhere if necessary, like take it off. And they'll say, no, it's a mandatory charge. And you go, but wait, I don't want these amenities. Too bad. You're getting them anyway. <laughs> you're paying for them. You're getting them anyway. And you cannot get out of this charge. And this has been the case for about uh, 15 years. In fact, in some places, more than 15 years. And they've gotten more and more common as time has gone on to where uh, just about every hotel has them now in major areas. And the resort fees have also gone way up. Originally, they were like $7, $9. Now you're seeing them as $45, $50 in some places. It's crazy. So um, most people think that resort fees are hotels forcing you to pay for amenities you don't really want or need. And that's what pisses everybody off. That's what gets them so mad. And secondarily, they think, well, this is also bullshit because uh, this is in addition to the hotel price, which makes the hotel way more expensive, expensive, especially when you're getting what seems to be a cheap hotel room. So you're, you're getting what you think is like a $49 hotel room only to see that the resort fee is $45 and it doubles the price. But there's a lack of understanding of what this really is. Are they really charging you for amenities? 
No, it's not amenities. That's the excuse. That's what they claim they're charging you for. That's not what they're charging you for. They have to tell you they're charging you for amenities because they, they have to come up with a reason they are charging it. But I'll tell you the real reason, and I'll tell you why it's so deceptive, but believe it or not, resort fees are not causing you to pay any more for the hotel room than you would if there were no resort fees. And you may say, how is that possible? If the resort fee is $45 a night, how are you saying I'm not out any money? I'm paying 45 extra a night. And my answer is, no, you're not. Here's what they do. Let's say a hotel is $150 a night normally. But they don't want it to appear like it's $150 a night. So instead of charging you $150 a night, they change it to $105 a night plus a $45 resort fee. Still equals $150, but if it's $105 plus a resort fee, then they can advertise it as $105 a night instead of $150 a night and attract a lot more people who might be turned off by a rate like $150, but would be okay with a rate like $105. But in reality, the rate is $150. They just cut out part of it and make it look like it doesn't exist until later on. So it is a trick. It is a trick to make you believe the room is cheaper than it is, and more importantly these days, to show up in search engines where you're searching for a certain price range and it shows up there. So it shows up uh, earlier in the search results if you list it by price, and if you eliminate certain prices that are too high, that it'll still show up under that price where if they disclosed the real price, it would not. Secondarily, they also get to screw travel agents because travel agents tend not to get permission on resort uh, commission on resort fees. They tend to only get commission on the base price. So they also get out of paying commission for part of the hotel room price and they save money there as well. So those are the real purposes of resort fees. The point of a resort fee is to deceive you as to the real price and to screw travel agents. The point is not to force you to get amenities you don't want. The point is not to tack on extra money to make extra money. That's not what they're doing. They're charging the same price they'd otherwise charge, but just lying about what they're charging you. So while this is not costing you extra money, this is extremely deceptive. If you see an advertised room for $105 a night, You should be paying $105 a night plus whatever the government taxes are. You should not be paying the company $150 a night for a $105 a night advertised room. That is false advertising. That is deceptive. And any, quote, resort fee should be something that's optional. So if they wanted to say it's $105, but $150 if you want all this stuff, fine. But not $150 no matter what you want or don't want. You cannot check in unless you agree to pay $150 when we're advertising $105. That should not be allowed. Now, originally, there was an easy way out of these. When I say originally, I mean like 15 years ago. And that is you show up and you just say, no, this was never disclosed. I'm not paying it. And they would actually have to check you in. They could not kick you out and say, well, if you won't pay it, we're not letting you check in. They would have to let you check in. Sometimes you get a moron at the front desk who wouldn't let you. Then you'd ask the manager. The manager would uh, argue with you and then reluctantly agree. And I did this. And I did this because it's deceptive bullshit. And I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to go for this. So 
I and and legitimately they wouldn't disclose the resort fee. I just get there and they say, "Oh, uh, here's a paper for you to sign. You're paying a twelve dollar night resort fee." And I go, "What? Yeah, twelve dollar night resort fee, and this is for the the pool and the coffee maker and local calls." And I said, "No, I'll do without this stuff." And the truth is, I didn't have to do without it because they didn't have a mechanism to stop me from using it. But uh, most of the stuff I wasn't using anyway. But whatever they tried to say, I would have an answer. They'd say, oh, it's for parking, too. I said, okay, it's fine. I'll, I'll park across the street. Well, it's, it's for the coffee maker. That's okay. I, I, I don't drink coffee. Uh, it's for the pool. That's okay. I want to use the pool. So, like, th- they try to get me to back down. When I won't back down, they finally take it off. Well, they got around people like me by then disclosing it before you hit the button to book. Where somewhere in the fine print, it will mention you're you're also agreeing to pay a resort fee of of whatever twelve dollars at the time now now forty five dollars. They would put it somewhere towards the end. Now maybe you're going to say, okay, fine, they're disclosing it. What's the problem? Well, because you get all the way through the booking process and then you find out the bad news, and it's in the fine print, and you may miss it. But even if you don't miss it. Now you've wasted your time getting it all the way through and you've got to make the decision either do I bail out and have wasted my time or, uh, or do I just agree to pay it? It's not fair. They're, they're enticing you to start the booking and entering all your info, believing you're getting it a certain price and then after you've committed your time to it, up, oh, guess what? You're actually going to pay more. Okay, you still want it? That, that's crappy. And they're, they're, not, uh, they, they're not even that transparent about it. They just buried in the fine print and, and claim that they've disclosed it to you. But, but once they've buried it in the fine print, then you're stuck paying it. Then they can point to that you were informed. So I could no longer get out of it anymore by saying you didn't inform me. Uh, if there was any kind of problem with the room, even a small problem, then what I would do is before checking out in the morning, I would call up and ask the manager to take it off and say, can you take off the resort fee as a result of such and such happening? Because I, I heard the, the sink dripping all night or the AC didn't work well or uh, yeah, the water pressure was bad, whatever it was. Something that was legitimately wrong with the room that wasn't expected. And I had pretty good success with getting that taken off. So like, I couldn't just go say, hey, take the resort fee off. I don't like it or I wasn't expecting it. But I can say this room had X or Y problem. Take it off, especially if they could verify the problem. Because sometimes there's something they actually come and fix. Like you know, they, they'll come fix the sink. They'll come fix the toilet. Whatever it is. And the, they'll come fix the lock on the door. Whatever it is, they'll, they'll know they came and fixed it. And they'll know it was a problem. And they'll say, okay, can you take resort fee off for this? And they'll do it. So uh, that's a little tip for you. It's one thing that they tend to be willing to take off if you have a reason to take it off. Not just, I don't want to pay it. Because they, they train all the employees in these hotels to say no when people say they don't want to pay it. So if you just say, I don't like this or I wasn't expecting it, every employee at every hotel has been told to say no. But if you have a reason why, why something wasn't as expected, then they're willing to do it. I have always felt this should be illegal. This is deceptive marketing. It's deceptive business practices. It's deceptive advertising. They are doing this specifically for the purpose to deceive the consumer. I have always said that any business engaging in behavior to trick or deceive the consumer is unethical, and you should never feel bad about attempting to get that reversed or get what you were expecting or get the price you were expecting. Don't be a terms of service monkey. Don't be a chump who just because you technically agreed to something that you didn't understand because they were trying to trick you 
say, well, okay, I agree to it. I guess I'm going to give up. No, no, no. If, if it's clear that they were trying to deceive you and trying to get you to agree to something that you didn't understand, and they were purposely doing that, just not just because you were stupid and missed it, then you should push to get them to reverse it. This is in general, not just with hotels. So with resort fees, you can't just push it based upon that because they've trained all the employees to say no, but I feel this should be illegal. This should be very, very illegal. I'm surprised that this has not happened yet because nobody likes these resort fees. Something that is universal is everybody hates resort fees. Like if you asked 100 travelers, what do you think of resort fees, good, okay, or terrible, you'd get like 99 out of 100 saying terrible. I'm not kidding. Like they're universally hated. But all the hotels do it now. So what do you do? Like just not travel? So this has become so common that everyone does it and people just deal with it and pay it. And it can be a big pain in the ass because sometimes it's hard to figure out what the resort fees are. And in fact, when you're using an online search tool, it's impossible to figure out. So you can list them by price, but then that's only the base price. To see the resort fee, you have to go all the way through the booking process. And you can't do that if you're trying to sort like 20 different hotels. You're not going to want to go through 20 different booking processes to figure out the resort fees. And this is on purpose. This is to leave you with question marks over your head as to what the real price is for all these hotels. So you can't just easily pick the cheapest one. So the whole point is to deceive you. The whole point is so you don't know how much you're going to be paying for something until you're all the way through the booking process. This should be illegal. This is very, very immoral for the industry to be doing. And probably thanks to lobbying money, politicians haven't gone after this because this really needs to be made illegal. Anyway, is this lawsuit going to change anything? I don't know. This lawsuit may not even be successful. Basically, this lawsuit is seeking damages, claiming that this violates D.C. law. And they pick D.C. because D.C. probably has the law that's uh, strongest against this. And I hope it's successful. But basically, this lawsuit is claiming that D.C. residents booked hotels in Vegas and were charged resort fees, and the resort fees should be illegal based upon D.C. law. And I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if the case has merit. Obviously, MGM is going to defend it. And if this works... This uh, probably at most would cause them to stop charging this to D.C. residents. But anywhere else with consumer laws that are not strong enough to stop this, they'll continue charging it. And D.C. has a tiny population, so I wouldn't expect much out uh, out of this lawsuit changing the way MGM behaves. With that said... I really do hope that this lawsuit succeeds because if this succeeds, then other lawsuits will take place like it. And then these, there may be laws that follow that actually make it illegal and other groups, maybe even Travelers United again, will sue in other jurisdictions. And then maybe finally they'll be giving up. Maybe there'll even be class action suits about this. So I hope this succeeds. And anyone defending uh, resort fees either doesn't understand them 
or is just being disingenuous or just isn't very ethical because there, there really is no defense here. Now, speaking of defense, I posted this thread on my Vegas Casino Talk site. Remember, I run another forum called VegasCasinoTalk.com. So I posted this on Vegas Casino Talk, and a user named The Boz, who is a regular poster, he has over 2,000 posts on the site, he said, I believe too many people get upset over this, and it isn't a big deal. It more shows the overall stupidity of the average American and their inability to read details or easily fall for something too, too good to be true. Caesars was promoting $9 rooms a few months ago to try to get people to go to Vegas. Did anyone with common sense really think not to read the details on it? I understand people wanting to be a consumer advocate, but this is the hill to die on? Think about it. How many idiots are lined up at H&R Block or other tax prep firms willing, willingly paying 200% interest rates to get the refund faster and paying a firm to file a simple 1040? You can't fix it when they're too busy to get off their phone and learn basic finance. As long as the resort fee is posted before you click before the room, it's on the buyer to do the math in, any, in my worthless opinion. And it's not a Vegas issue anymore. Almost every decent hotel I stay at across the country charges a resort fee, along with a parking fee in most larger cities. Okay, the last part of what he said is true, that it's not just Vegas anymore. I mentioned that already, but he, he's right about that. But it, because of the search engine issue and the part that you actually put out effort to make a booking before finally clicking book now to see that there will be a resort fee, that's what makes it deceptive. Because the results coming back from these search engines are incorrect for that reason. And it's impossible to use them properly because of these deceptive resort fees. And it's impossible to see a side-by-side list of everything, of all these different hotels and what they charge in resort fees and the total of what it's really going to cost. So you have to put out effort to look at each hotel, a lot of effort, to even see what you're really going to be paying. You can't just get a list. It's to deceive. The whole point is to deceive. That is the problem. So it's not just about Americans being gullible or lazy. It's about that this puts a burden on you, an undue burden, when you just want to find the best hotel hotel deal and book it. That you can't find the best hotel deal because they purposely make it impossible to do. And they put up a false price. They report a false price to these engines. You can't even blame the search engines because they're just reporting back what the hotels are telling them. That's my problem. That's why his criticism doesn't make sense. In general, I don't like victim blaming. In general, I don't like when you say, well, if only the average American were smarter, then this wouldn't be going on. That's... It's not okay to cheat the dumber or more gullible people in the population. The reason consumer laws exist is to protect everybody. It's to protect greedy corporations, or any greedy people, corporations or not, from cheating or misleading other people. It does not require everybody to be smart or... uh, aware of these sorts of tactics. So everything should be clear and upfront in every kind of business transaction. There should not be major details hidden in the fine print that make something more expensive. There just should not be. If there is, then it is some sort of scam. It is some sort of deception. 
It is unethical. It shouldn't happen. Now, should you be a smart consumer who always looks into these things? Should you be careful before you agree to something and read the fine print? Yes, you should. But if you're not, this does not excuse the company for ripping you off. And I've always hated the, hey, you should have been more careful. You shouldn't have let this happen. And I've had this argument with companies many times before. And I, when I'm arguing with them, I ask them, do, do you think most people would realize this? And if they say back no, I say, okay, if most people wouldn't realize this, wouldn't this mean it's your fault for not making it clear to them? <laughs> and, and they go, oh, crap. Like, it's hard for them to answer that. Because if most people, or if even some people, are going to be deceived by it, and the company is still trying to present it the same way, then they want people to be deceived. And any time a company wants people to be deceived, it is unethical. It's just like when someone gets scammed. You blame the scammer. The people who fall for it maybe should have known better or should have put more effort into avoiding being scammed. But that doesn't exonerate the scammer. The scammer is really the one at fault. Even people who fall for very obvious scams. It's still the scammer who's at fault. You can't say, well, if this person wasn't so stupid. No, it's the scammer's fault. It's the same thing here. Resort fees are pretty much a scam. A member responding to the boss, a member named Mr. V, said it would be easier to defend and live with the idea of resort fees if they were only charged and owed by patrons who actually use the service in question. But charging a fee for a service someone never used or wanted to use is unfair. We should have the choice to opt out of the fees at the time of booking or have them deducted at checkout if we never use the service. Yeah. Now, this is still believing that it's it's actually an amenity they're charging you for, which they're not. That's just what they claim. But yes, if they were to say that certain amenities are optional and you're just buying the base room and if you want these extra things, you have to pay extra, that would be a lot better because you could opt out. Now, there's a certain point where it's ridiculous. Like they could say, okay, the basic room is this, but if you want to be able to flush the toilet, it's, it's this much more. Well, that's not fair because being able to flush the toilet should be a, a basic part of the room. Or if you want to have a blanket on your bed, it's this much more. Like, yeah, There's certain basics that should be part of every hotel stay. And you could argue that uh, certain things that they charge for, they shouldn't be charging for. Like a coffee maker in the room. If it's something you can have them bring to the room, fine. But they, for them to say that uh, there's a coffee maker in the room and we're charging you for using it, that's... Uh, that's already getting kind of questionable. But, you know, if if they want to be clear about certain amenities that are optional, like gym access. Most people don't use the gym in the hotel. So if they want to say, okay, the gym is this much money to access. Okay, fine. Or you can pay a resort fee to get to the gym, the pool, this, that, fine. Then that's like a package you're buying on top of the basic hotel stay. I could live with that easily. I, I don't use gyms in hotels, but even if I did... If they wanted to break out the charge for people who don't want to use the gym, don't pay for it, that would be totally fair. I, don't, I wouldn't expect others at the hotel to subsidize uh, my gym usage when I know most people who go to a hotel don't use the gym. So that'd be fine. But that's not what they're doing here. It's just a smokescreen. So let's hope this works. I don't know if it's going to change very much. Probably won't. But even a small victory over the hotels involving resort fees is a good victory. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can text or call 
I got a text from the 609 about uh, Parlay Pats saying, what a degenerate. Who even thinks that, let alone what's put in writing and sense of someone? I will sever your neck open. I suspect the issues lie a bit deeper than losing some games. Guy clearly needs help. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, he definitely does need help. They'll probably give it to him in jail. Okay, so uh, Electronic Arts, we talked about them very briefly earlier, about them acquiring uh, Glue Mobile recently, but this has nothing to do with that. Electronic Arts is facing a scandal right now, and this is the first scandal they've faced, to my knowledge, and they've existed for a long time. I I played Electronic Arts games in the 80s, and they may even predate that, but that was the first time I heard of them in the 80s. And look, I'll give them credit. They have survived a long time in the gaming industry, which has rapidly changed over the years, and they've kept up with it. So they are a well-known game producer, uh, they don't have a stellar reputation because in recent years they've been known to produce games that are money grabs. In fact, Benjamin knows this. When I told Benjamin that uh, Glue Mobile, which he's aware of, was bought by EA, he said, EA, oh no, these games are going to be even more of a money grab now. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> so if a 10-year-old is going to say something like that, you know EA has a reputation, but at least they hadn't faced any major scandals that I know of, but one has happened now, and it is interesting, and there may be some consequences here, and definitely some consequences to the reputation. In fact, it's already being called EA Gate because of uh, all the chatter that's going on in social media about this whole thing. So they have a game that's called uh, FIFA Ultimate Team, and it's part of uh, the FIFA soccer series that's been very successful for a very long time. So they have uh, these things called loot boxes, which are already controversial and are very common in games all over the place, not just EA games. But loot boxes are where you pay real money to buy a box that you open and it will give you one of various items. And usually you'll have a very small chance of getting a very valuable item and uh, a small but not tiny chance of getting a a fairly good item and then kind of a a moderate chance of getting an okay item and then the biggest chance is you're going to get some shit that you don't really want. If this sounds like gambling, it's because it is. It is gambling. You're not winning money but you're gambling on getting an object in the game, an in-game object that is valuable. So this definitely is gambling, just not with any kind of a monetary reward. There has been a lot of controversy about this because a lot of these games are played by kids, and this is being said to be gambling that is aimed at minors because kids buy these loot boxes and then they don't get what they're looking for, and then they it can be just as addictive as regular gambling because uh, people keep chasing. So let's say there's a certain rare object you want, and you go, I want to get lucky. So you buy this box for real money, and then you get crap. You go, okay, let me try again. Ah, damn, I didn't get it this time. Let me try one more time. Ah, shit, I didn't get it. Okay, just one more time. One more, I really want this. Maybe this time I'll get lucky. Ah, no, I didn't. So people keep spending. 
So it said that minors, they don't have the maturity to, to stop and that uh, this is getting them addicted to gambling in something that isn't supposed to be gambling. And of course, minors can't gamble, and yet this is a form of gambling that is uh, being given to them, where they're paying for something they don't know where they're going to get, and it's chance that's dictating the value of what they're going to receive. And th- I understand that. That's a very good point that's being raised. Anyway, that is not the scandal here, though. That's been a controversy that's been going on for years across uh, the gaming industry. The problem here is that uh, what if there were a way to acquire these items that normally you have to buy these loot boxes to try to take your chances and get in a rare shot? What if there were a way to bypass all that and just uh, buy these directly from shady employees there that will sell it to you? Employees that will... Uh, Grow through, go through the back channel to just give you these items if you pay them a certain amount of money. Well, everybody wins, don't they? The employee gets extra money. You save money on these boxes. Uh, you don't have to take any chances. There's no gambling involved. You just you just get these items. Now, EA gets screwed and the other players get screwed because you get better stuff than they do. But, uh, you know, that's what happens. Well... What if this were to occur? Well, apparently it has been. So, this week, the term EA Gate started trending on Twitter. And uh, rumors started to fly around that shady EA employees were selling what are known as Icon Moments cards in uh, FIFA Ultimate Team for real money and these account these cards were put in people's accounts if they paid off certain employees who would offer it to them by the way these icon moments cards are not uh, cards that can be traded between players there are objects sometimes in these games that players can trade with each other these cards you have to get through loot boxes and if you don't get them then there's no way to get them you can't get them from somebody else you have to either win them or you just won't have them So, first of all, someone got very suspicious when there were certain accounts on FIFA Ultimate Team that very quickly came up with all three of the rarest Icon Moments cards, which are very, it's very hard to get one. So, can you imagine, like, these super rare cards, you had to get super lucky to win through a box very quickly, certain players had all three? So some people are already scratching their heads going, hmm, how is this possible? How is this possible? One person on uh, Twitter who's actually a, uh, a player on, on FIFA who goes by uh, Hectic Juquez, and he's apparently one of the best players on, on these FIFA games, he said he posted a video to his Twitter and said that the player that... Uh, he saw that has all three cards is the luckiest player in FIFA Ultimate Team Pack history. And uh, he was, of course, saying that sarcastically, that he thought that uh, something shady was going on here. Then some screenshots started to appear that pretty much verified that this is really going on. So there were some screenshots that were posted by an account named F-U-T Arcade. 
and these uh, screenshots show this. Someone saying, people are paying 2500 US dollars for R9 moments and 1000 US dollars for Gillette moments, whatever these are, uh, just listed them in the market. Uh, then this, So that was a, an employee who was messaging a player. The player back said back, sounds good. Could I just ask how you provide the cards? Because that wasn't very clear. He says, the employee says back, I just need your, your EA ID and we send them every Monday. So he's just saying, hey, give me your ID on the game. <laughs> Let's put the cards in your account. So then the player said, I won't risk any ban, right? They're coming straight to EA. And he says, and then he sent some pictures of the people receiving the card. He says, there, you have some pictures from happy customers that after they received. No risk. Can't tell you exactly how for security reasons. At the moment, we have two packages, and they are three icons or uh, three I- icons plus two T-O-T-Y. I'm not sure what they are. And then the player says back, wow, which prize for them? Or I think he meant the price, not which prize, but... What, what, I think he's asking what's the price for them. So the employee says back, the price for three is 750 euro and the price for three plus two TOTY is a uh, thousand euros. But as I said to whoever yesterday, the name was blocked out, I can give his friends the same price as him. So 600 for three or 850 for the three plus two TOTY. So this is basically a negotiation. I don't know if the person who was the player in this conversation was just setting up the employee to explain all this and was capturing this to provide proof or if somehow someone's friend got a hold of this. I'm not sure exactly where this came from, but this was a, a player who supposedly was interested in buying this who uh, was having the conversation with this employee who, who at first was saying it's it's a, a thousand it's a 750 euro or a thousand euro depending on what you want and then he said well I'll give it to you for 600 or 850 uh, because you're friends with such and such guy who got the same deal. So that, that screenshot surfaced, and that was uh, already making people very concerned. Another Twitter user claimed that this has been going on for a while. He said, uh, FYI, this icon stuff and EA thing has been going on for a while. And then he posted a uh, screenshot showing... Uh, from uh, February 23rd. Uh, hey, how you doing? There's a guy I know. He claims he has a mate who works at EA. He can load any player to your account. Obviously, he charges. I verify the, le- the legitimacy of these accounts by jumping on SharePlay. He's shown me the first owner on each player and each player almost the same amount of games. What do you think about this? And then showed uh, like a screenshot of an account with, with tons of these uh, players loaded into his account. Someone responded to this expose by saying people are out here getting banned because they want to buy coins and then EA employees are making thousands selling cards to people. Joke. Now, what he's referring to is uh, that people were selling uh, coins that you can use in the game, I guess, on the black market to each other and that it's against EA's terms and they were banning people and they found out that uh, this was going on and yet their own employees are, are, are selling these rare cards for far more. So this this guy, Stuart Porter, responding to that was really pissed. That was just a player of the game, but a lot of people feel that way. A number of uh, FIFA streamers have criticized EA over this. Nepenthes, who's an EA, uh, who's a FIFA streamer, 
said a lot of people are excited that EA are in the mid. I'm not sure what he means, but then he said, I'm just sad. I'm sad the game we love has come to this. I'm sad you have to buy icons illegitimately to ever have the chance to use them. I'm sad the game is so geared towards FP that nothing else matters. I don't know what FP means, but uh, this person who's a FIFA streamer is now mad that uh, this has pretty much taken over the game, that the only way to get all these icons is to uh, cheat and to buy them on the black market. EA had to respond to this because it blew up on social media the last few days. So EA Sports FIFA, the official account of FIFA on EA Sports, it's uh, at EA Sports FIFA, said, We are aware of the allegations currently circulating within our community related to FIFA 21 Ultimate Team items. A thorough investigation is underway, and if we identify improper conduct, we will take swift action. We want to be clear, this type of behavior is unacceptable, and we in no way condone what is alleged to have happened here. We understand how this creates concern about unfair balance in the game and competition. We will update the community as we get more clarity in the situation. This is posted on March 10th. I wonder if they've known about this for a while and just didn't feel like doing anything about it until this became a big thing on Twitter. Like when all these popular FIFA streamers and other influential people who play the games are now publicly complaining about it then, of course, EA has to address it. But it's hard for me to believe that EA was blindsided by this. I think they may have known and didn't feel like putting the investigation in to stop it. But you would think it would be easy to find. Like, you'd think it would be easy to find that certain players just have an insane number of of these uh, icon cards that are super rare and say, hey, how's this happening? But it's very possible that they're getting these complaints and this don't feel like putting out the effort to investigate it. Not that they're okay with it, but just like, ah, you know, this isn't a priority. This always happens with large companies. You would think it would be easy. They have the resources to just do a quick investigation and root this out and fire the people who are doing it. And that's that. But the problem is the bigger the company, the harder it is to allocate resources to do this because every department has its own, uh, list of objectives and assignments and deadlines and it's not as simple as just saying hey you over there look into this it's like they they have to take someone else off something uh, off what they're doing and then assign a certain department to this and like it's just not priority they're just thinking well what'll make us the most money and assigning people to investigate the cheating isn't going to make them more money so what they'd rather do is just kind of ignore this until it becomes a big problem. So I'm sure they've received complaints about this before, but they just weren't interested in investigating if this is true or not. They probably suspected it, but they, they just don't feel like putting out the resources into looking into what's really going on here. And and this is very problematic in general with, with big companies. This is what happens. is that There's so much bureaucracy that even the smallest things are hard to fix. You might remember, it may sound completely unrelated, but it's not. When I was talking about Zappos after uh, Tony Sieg uh, had that overdose and, and died, and I talked about how Zappos had this annoying bug in their system for years and years and years involving using gift cards, and that uh, it would not pay for the tax, and you'd have to put a credit card in to pay for the tax, or you'd have to you know, redo the whole thing and hope it doesn't do it that time. And for years, they admitted that they knew about this bug, 
And being a programmer myself, I can tell you that it would have been very easy to fix, especially because I knew exactly the steps one would have to take to make it happen. So I knew a certain way you would do things on the website would make that bug happen, and a certain ways you would do a certain way you'd go through things, it would not happen. I figured this out as a user of the site over time on Zappos. So I called Zappos one day and I said, hey, I'd like to give your developers this information. I don't want any money. I don't want any credits. I just want you guys to know it and fix it because it's annoying for me. So because in order for it not to happen, I'd have to go through a very specific way of doing things, which was kind of a pain in the ass and I'd forget to do it sometimes and I had to go redo everything. I just wanted to fix the damn thing. Also, sometimes my girlfriend would order and she wouldn't do it and then she wouldn't know what to do. So like, I, I, I just thought that I'd love for them to fix it. I don't even want anything. Like, yes, I'm being like an unpaid consultant here, but I just want them to fix the damn thing. So I called up and I, and I told them and the customer service rep said, oh yeah, we know about this. We've known about this a long time. I go, okay, well, why don't you fix it? And the customer service rep said, we'd love to fix it. We get calls like yours a lot and we've gotten these for years and we hate it. And we go to the programmers and say, can you fix it? And the programmers say, no, we don't feel like fixing this right now. <laughs> and unfortunately, that was the type of company Zappos was because they, they didn't like telling their employees what to do. They gave them too much freedom that this allowed the programmers just to say, no, we don't feel like doing it. But you think this would be like super easy. Like they, really they can get this knocked out in a short time. Like if you, if you brought me there and gave me access to their code, I could have fixed this real quickly. But they just didn't feel like doing it. They didn't feel like getting off what they were doing. They didn't feel like getting off their normal tasks to take the time to do this, even though it's only a short time. It's just a nuisance to them. They didn't feel like doing it. So it didn't get done. But even in companies that don't give this freedom to their employees, this is an issue because someone has to take ownership of the problem. Someone has to assign it. Someone has to make sure it's done. And they just don't feel like it because they think, well, what's in it for us? We're not making more money from this. So they only address it once it's a problem. So that's the way big companies work. They, they tend to only address things when they become a crisis. And then sometimes they will over-address something and then underestress something similar that's much worse. So that's what it looks like is going on here. There were, eventually, they realized there were complaints about these EA coins that were, that were being traded or sold in the black market. Maybe it was affecting the profits. People weren't buying these coins on their own. And so that they decided to take issue against. And they decided to go after. And they decided to ban people who were doing it. But then the much worse thing of selling these super rare cards in the black market, they, uh, they let slide. Typical. Anyway, uh, this news is getting around quickly in the gaming community, especially in the FIFA community, which, is, you know, this FIFA game has been around since like the 90s. So believe me, they do not want the FIFA game's reputation trashed. And so now that this is becoming something they call EA Gate on Twitter, they do not want this. So I have a feeling they're going to root this out and fire the employees who are doing this, but it's a little bit too late for this. It's been going on for a while. Okay, so I guess we're up to the coronavirus stuff. We have three coronavirus topics, though, so we're nowhere near the end of the show yet. The CDC is under fire for nonsensical safety recommendations for people who have already been fully vaccinated. Now, 
I want to define what fully vaccinated means. Fully vaccinated means you've gotten the two shots, if it is a two-shot vaccine. I know the Johnson & Johnson is only one shot, but that you've gotten whatever number of shots you're supposed to get, and you've waited the proper amount of time after the last shot until you're considered fully vaccinated. I think it's like two weeks. So if you're in that state, if you've gotten all the shots and you have waited the amount of time they told you to wait, then you are considered fully vaccinated. And the CDC put out recommendations, and these are like strong recommendations. These are not laws. You're not required to follow these, but these are put out to people to guide them what to do. And people look to the CDC for guidance because they're supposed to be the experts. They're supposed to be the infectious disease experts. They're supposed to know more than you. They're supposed to know more than your buddy. They're supposed to know what to do and what not to do. They're supposed to give you helpful and reasonable recommendations. So they were putting out the following recommendations. If you are fully vaccinated, it is not recommended that you travel. (laughs) If you are fully vaccinated... You can spend time with others who are fully vaccinated. However, you should restrict it to only small groups of people. (laughs) That is small groups of other fully vaccinated people. And if you are fully vaccinated and want to spend time with other people, that everybody hanging out together who's fully vaccinated should socially distance and wear masks. (laughs) <laughs> seriously this this was the advice they were putting out if you were fully vaccinated and you're an older person your grandmother or grandfather and your grandkids come over you should not hug them <laughs> seriously the cdc was putting out this advice Now, you may say, well, why not? Better safe than sorry, right? Like, the vaccines are not 100% effective. And we don't know for sure if you can still transmit the virus, even if you've been vaccinated. Maybe you're not going to feel COVID. Maybe COVID won't harm you any, but maybe you can still transmit it to other people. So, yeah, maybe this is good advice. Maybe better safe than sorry. No, no. First of all, listen to what they were saying. They if you want to spend time with other fully vaccinated people, that number one, you can't be in a large group of them. And number two, you actually have to wear a mask and socially distance from them. This is you who's fully vaccinated and others who are fully vaccinated. We're not even talking about people who haven't been vaccinated. We're talking about people who've been fully vaccinated together. They must still wear masks and they must still socially distance and they still must keep it to a small group, not a large group. You know, because maybe the uh, the virus uh, in a large group will decide to come infect everybody. But a small group, it's okay. A small group, the virus will say, oh, okay, it's, it's only a few of you. Okay, we're not – I could still get you guys sick even though you're all vaccinated, but I won't. A large group, oh, yeah, perfect. Like, what? It's either safe or not safe. What's the result of this? Well, first of all, people started to have enough. People started to get pissed. People started to really question their trust of the CDC. Now, keep in mind that there have been people such as myself 
who have been saying for a long time that the CDC is full of shit and the CDC has become very political and the CDC is not being honest with us. And it's sad. I wish they were honest with us. I wish they were apolitical. I wish that the CDC did not give a crap about what Trump thinks or what Biden thinks or what Kamala Harris thinks or what Nancy Pelosi thinks or what this is going to do to certain proposals that are on the table. I, I wish the CDC had no care of this stuff. I wish the CDC didn't care about racial equity. I just want the CDC to tell me honestly what is safe, what is recommended, what my real risks are, what the real data is. That is their job, not to be political, not to do what their political overlords want them to do or say. But unfortunately, that's not where we are today. Unfortunately, they've become very political. So the CDC has decided in 2021 that they are going to take the overly cautious position. And you may say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with being overly cautious? Aren't you overly cautious? Well, the problem with being overly cautious is that it's not always the smartest decision for your life. I always bring up this example. If you drive no more than 25 miles per hour, you will never get in a fatal accident provided everybody else around you is driving 25 miles per hour. Like if everybody in the U.S. drove no more than 25 miles per hour, if if cars were restricted to never go over 25 miles per hour, if if cars were made to never go faster than that, we would have almost no auto deaths in the U.S. We would save tens of thousands of lives per year in the U.S. Don't you think that's worth it? Save all those lives? You ready to drive 25 miles per hour? No? Why not? Because it's very inconvenient. Because it's a quality of life issue. Because to go 75 miles will take you three hours. To go 250 miles will take you 10 hours. Because nobody wants that. Because it's awful. Because you're willing to take some risk to get somewhere in a reasonable amount of time. That's why. To go uh, 10 miles would take uh, close to half an hour. So that's why you drive faster than 25 even though driving faster than 25 does risk your life. So the correct decision is not always the safest decision. Similarly, uh, if you never want to get in a plane crash, you should just never travel anywhere that is far away. Just don't, don't ever travel anywhere far. Then you're not likely to get in a plane crash. In fact, you won't. You won't ever get in a plane crash if you don't ever take a plane. And you're much less likely to get into uh, an auto accident if you just uh, barely drive anywhere and barely have anyone else drive you anywhere. Just, just stay in your home. Just stay in your home for the rest of your life. And a lot of dangers from traveling will go away. Sound good? No? Why not? So you get where I'm going with this. What needs to be suggested is what is practical. Not what is the absolute safest thing to do, but what is practical. And by practical, I mean, can you live your life normally with minimal danger? Not no danger, but minimal danger. Because we lived with danger before. Some years we had 80,000 people die of the flu. You didn't hear anything about social distancing or mask wearing or not hanging out with your friends or family. You didn't hear any of that. Now, this is worse than the flu, but we are now getting to the point where when someone is fully vaccinated their chance of dying of COVID is very low. 
because what has been found with these vaccines is that once you're vaccinated and once you've waited the proper amount of time, that not only are you not likely to get symptomatic COVID, but that if you are unlucky enough to get symptomatic COVID, that it is going to be mild or moderate, that it is not going to be something that puts you in the hospital or kills you. So it's got a very good record so far, these mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines. They have a great record so far for keeping people safe. And this should allow people to return to normal life. Now, just like the flu, there may still be a risk that you will get COVID and that it will damage you and it will kill you. But if the risk is small enough, then much like other things in life, you just have to take the risk because you take risks every day. Every time you get in a car, you take a risk. Every time you get in a plane, you take a risk. Uh, every time you engage in any kind of physical, physical activity, outside or inside, you're taking a risk that something will happen. You'll, you'll fall down and uh, hit your head and die. There, there's a lot of things that you do that have a risk that you don't even think about are a risk. You can't make risk zero. The goal here is to make risk minimal to where it's acceptable. It's not to stop all of life until COVID is absolutely 100% completely gone. So the recommendations coming from the CDC should be, what can you do that is mostly safe? And they're not doing that. So they're saying, don't travel. Why? Why should someone fully vaccinated not travel? And if, it's, if not them, then who should travel? <laughs> who could be safer to travel than someone fully vaccinated? Then who should travel? Should we just have no travel? Should all planes get grounded? Should people be barred from driving outside their own city? Like, what, what do they even mean here? What do you mean don't travel? But they, they actually put out the recommendation, don't travel. Bart Hadson, who is, has been a big critic of, of those on the right and the people on the right's uh, reactions to COVID, even he put out on Twitter that he was disappointed with what the CDC is saying. It doesn't make sense to him. And that's right. It doesn't make sense. So why should a fully vaccinated person not travel? Well, because they're not sure that a fully vaccinated person can't transmit it. And someone may transmit to a community that doesn't have a big COVID problem and will bring COVID to these communities. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Oh, and uh, maybe there's variants that could be brought to these communities that don't have these variants of COVID yet and traveling might do that. <laughs> I mean, talk about a stretch. First of all, there's nowhere in the U.S. that doesn't have a COVID problem. Every part of the U.S. has been hit by COVID. There's a, you can't go to any city to run away from COVID. That, that, that hasn't been the case since almost the beginning. Everywhere got hit by it because it's very contagious and people just naturally move around and uh, once it's even one person has it, it's, it's going to spread. So if a place is hard hit or not that hard hit, uh, some people traveling there who are fully, fully vaccinated are not likely to change that. And as far as the, the variant, same thing. If a variant is in the U.S., it's going to spread. If the variant is going to dodge the vaccine, which we don't have any evidence that it is. In fact, we, all the testing on the variant so far is that the vaccines do well against the variants. But if these COVID variants, if these mutated COVIDs can get around the vaccine, then they're going to spread anyway. It's destined to happen and we have to react to that. But 
stopping people from traveling is not going to do it. So it's outrageous to say that people who are fully vaccinated can't travel because they they may transmit COVID, especially because if you're vaccinated from, from what we've seen so far from studies elsewhere, which we'll talk about a little bit later, you're much less likely to transmit COVID if you are fully vaccinated than if you are not vaccinated. So the ones who should be traveling should be the ones who are fully vaccinated. The ones who shouldn't be traveling are the ones who have not been vaccinated. They have it backwards. They're saying if you're fully vaccinated, you shouldn't travel. What are they talking about? So that's completely idiotic. And a lot of people are criticizing this, even some on the left. The right was really jumping all over it. But even some on the left were going, no, this doesn't make any sense, guys. No. No, if you're fully vaccinated, you should travel. And and what if uh, what if there's always going to be COVID vac- variants? Does this mean we should just never travel? Travel's over? And enjoy the traveling you've done because you're never going to do it again? Like, what are they saying here? What, what if COVID ends up like the flu and it just never goes away and always has different variants and we have to keep getting different vaccines like with the flu every year? What if that's the case? Should we just never travel again? Travel done? Travel's over? I guess that'll be good to eliminate resort fees, but that's the only uh, positive we'll get out of that whole thing. I mean, what kind of recommendation is this? If you're fully vaccinated, don't travel. And what about the, the getting together with fully vaccinated people? You got to wear a mask? Why? Why? So let's say you can transmit it, which again, it's said so far, it really looks like that if you are fully vaccinated, you will not be transmitting it much. But Let's even say you do transmit it. Well, you're going to be transmitting it to somebody else who's fully vaccinated, so they're not going to show symptoms anyway. So what's the problem? If you have 10,000 fully vaccinated people, you should all get together and breathe on each other. It should be fine because if you're vaccinated, you're vaccinated. So that's absurd. Saying you have to keep it to small groups, that's absurd. The whole thing's absurd. How about, how about don't hug your grandkids? What? Why? So you're worried that you're going to give COVID to your grandkids? You mean like kids that are not really susceptible to any harmful impacts of COVID? You mean kids who can't even be vaccinated because it's not approved for anyone under 16? And the reason it's not approved for anyone under 16 is because it was determined that kids under 16 are so unlikely to have severe COVID that the vaccine is probably more dangerous for them than the disease itself. Those kids, you're not supposed to hug them? Why? especially because you're probably not transmitting it anyway. What are they talking about? This is insane. This is insane. This is from the CDC. This isn't from some crackpot. This isn't from morons on YouTube or on Twitter. This is CDC putting this out. So they're under major fire about this. So they've backed off of some of these things. They've since modified some of these recommendations, but they really put out all these recommendations I'm, I'm mentioning, and like fairly recently, like in the last few weeks. So there's already a backlash to this. Now, you may wonder why. Why, why would they do this? Are, are they idiots? Like, how, how are these people doctors? How, how do they ever get their doctorates? Well, it's political. First of all, they are under pressure to make it look like that Trump screwed up. Trump was irresponsible. Trump caused 500,000 people to die. And Biden is very responsible. Biden is very careful. 
Democrats in general want you to live while Trump didn't care and wants you to die or doesn't care if you die. And the way you do that, the way you make sure that the fewest people die is by being as restrictive as you can. So just in case, just in case the small chance that someone who's fully vaccinated transmits the virus somehow to somebody else who's fully vaccinated and that second person's vaccine doesn't work right and that person gets sick and then they die of covid well if they don't get together at all or if they're wearing a mask the whole time and social distancing then maybe that won't happen and it'll save a life so what they're trying to do is they're trying to restrict your life you can't go back to normal so this way there's the highest chance that we'll have the fewest number of deaths and then Biden can look good compared to Trump. Like, that's why they're doing it. Because it's easiest to always recommend the most cautious approach. It doesn't take a lot of bravery to say, be super careful. So if you're wrong, then all that happened is that uh, people couldn't live their lives the way they wanted to, but nobody gets hurt. But that's not the right way to approach things. People want to live their lives. People want to do things. People are tired of being cooped up. People want to live normally. And if there is not a real danger anymore for them once they are fully vaccinated, they should do that. That should be the recommendation. The recommendation should not be, what if this very unlikely event occurs, so you better not do anything. So it's political. It's totally political. They're not, they're not that stupid over there. It is political. And it's sad. And in case you think, well, maybe maybe they're just very cautious. Maybe they're just trying to save lives. Well, how come every other country is not doing it this way? How come every other country is saying, if you are fully vaccinated, go, go, go have fun. Go live your life. Go back and do the things you have not been able to do for the past year. How come every other country, including countries that are far more left-wing than the U.S.? Countries with very left-wing governments in Europe are still saying, get the vaccine, go out, have fun, return to life. That's the right message. How come every country except the U.S. is doing that? Because the U.S. has an idiotic CDC. That's why. An idiotic political CDC that is putting politics over what is the right thing to do for people to return to life. And there's also another possible explanation. And that is that... Democrats are trying to put through some uh, transformational bills. They already, the, the, the COVID uh, relief bill that passed, uh, that's, that's already transformational in some ways. But they want to do more. There's a lot of elements of basic life that some on the far left have wanted to change in the U.S. for a long time, but could never get the public support to get behind. But now with COVID... Now they can get some of these things changed. And some of these things will not be able to go through. A lot of these things are not going to have the popular support unless there's a reason for them. So we can't get any of these things going as long as we believe that the crisis is almost over. But if we believe the crisis is still here and it's going to be here for another year at least, then you can start to pass a lot of these uh, changes that people would otherwise have been against if there was no COVID. And unfortunately, that's probably some of it too. This shouldn't figure into it. 
The question should be, is it basically safe for me as a fully vaccinated person to return to normal life? Not 100% safe, but is it basically safe? If the answer is yes, then the response should be, then do it. Nothing else should be considered. No politics, nothing else. No overcautiousness, just is it basically safe to return? Yes, do it. Otherwise, we should have shut everything down decades ago because of the flu danger. There should have been no crowds, no parties, no hanging out, nothing. Because there's the flu, and the flu kills tens of thousands of people per year, and the, there's no vaccine for the flu that's all that effective. There's vaccines, but they're like 50% effective. It's not, nothing like the COVID vaccines, which are good. So really, why, why didn't we do this decades ago? Just stop all of life because of the flu. Why didn't we do that? It's insane. If you think about it, none of this makes any sense. And then you have to say, well, why is it happening? If it makes no sense, why is it happening? And when you think about it, and you come up with the answer, you're not going to like the answer. Okay, so next I'm going to go to another thing in COVID that I don't really like. And that is the demographics of vaccination. So who is, and I'm not talking about who they are saying should get vaccinated. I'm talking about who's actually getting vaccinated. So who should be vaccinated first? Old people, right? Old people are the ones most in danger. And we've talked about this before. And I had my complaints that certain people were given priority ahead of old people or equal to old people who then had a hard time getting COVID appointments and COVID, COVID vaccine appointments, not COVID appointments. But I have complained before that there are certain people who are higher on the priority list who should not be, such as what I call healthcare adjacent workers. That is, people who are in healthcare but are not working directly with people likely to have COVID. In fact, there's like hospital administrators that never interface with patients and never go anywhere that's dangerous, and they get it priority 1A, number one priority. You have uh, people who provide equipment for healthcare who uh, are in that same priority 1A group. You have uh, anyone who works in a grocery store, even people who work behind the scenes at grocery stores and don't ever interface with customers. They are priority one, regardless of their age. You have uh, restaurant workers where no matter what their job is or who they interface with or how big the restaurant is or whether the restaurant is indoor or outdoor, they get to be high priority. So you have a lot of groups that are competing with seniors for these vaccines. And I've complained about this before. And keep in mind, we're the only country doing it this way. Other countries are doing it by age. The U.S. is age plus all these other groups, which are way too large and way too broad. We also have people who once worked in a certain profession, but can claim that's their profession and show some sort of proof and, and get vaccinated as well. So even if they're not currently working, like uh, someone with a, a license to be a registered nurse, but uh, who isn't currently working in nursing, or uh, somebody who uh, once held a job at a restaurant that can show a pay stub from a few months ago. Forget what 
theoretically people could do. Let's talk about what's actually happening. In my county, I got to see the statistics that are very current of who has actually been receiving the vaccines, and it's by age. Would you believe that 40% of the people who have received vaccines in my county are 60 or under? And about 30% are younger than me. I'm 49, by the way. That is pretty eye-opening. Almost half, 40% are 60 or under. And about a third are younger than I am. I thought that old people are in danger. Now, you may say maybe these are people with major pre-existing conditions who are also very much in COVID danger. Well, some of them, but you know who most of them are? Most of them are in these very, very broad healthcare and food worker categories, some of whom should not be there. I know somebody who got the vaccine in the top priority group because they worked at a veterinarian's office. Why? Like, why, why should they be top priority? Because it's called healthcare. It's insane. This is really nonsense. Not only are a lot of people qualifying who shouldn't to get it early, but the ones actually getting it, probably because they're also more computer literate and better at setting up these appointments, which you have to do by computer, uh, you're having where almost half of the people getting it are not even seniors. Almost half of them are under 60 in this county. I'm sure it's like that elsewhere too. So this is the problem. This is the problem when you set up categories that are, quote, priority. You're trying to do the right thing. See, there were two reasons this was done. Number one is because healthcare workers, they were trying to protect them. And that's noble. You know, they're on the front lines. They're the ones who the COVID patients go see. They're exposed to COVID day in, day out. And you say, why shouldn't they get the vaccine? They're the ones in the most COVID danger, at least as far as being exposed to it. So even if they're relatively young, uh, let's protect them from COVID. The problem is most healthcare workers are not in that spot. Most of them are not dealing with COVID uh, patients. In fact, some of these healthcare workers are working in an environment where they'll, they'll take temperatures when people come in or other things like that and turn them away if they have COVID. So it's not like every, uh, every healthcare-related business welcomes anyone with COVID to stroll in there. A lot of these places will send you away if you have COVID. When I, had to get my, when I got my colonoscopy, I had to get a COVID test. And if it was positive, guess what they would have said? Uh, bye-bye. <laughs> You're not getting your colonoscopy. Come back later. So it's not like the, those healthcare workers there were uh, having to treat COVID patients. They, in fact, they were trying to not treat COVID patients, which is the right thing. I'm not criticizing that. But I'm just saying that uh, they're actually having tests for people not to enter the place if they have COVID. So these people shouldn't be getting a priority of the vaccine unless they are in a group that really is more likely to suffer the bad effects of COVID, meaning either very old or uh, with major pre-existing conditions. But if you just say, quote, healthcare workers, well, healthcare is a gigantic industry in the U.S. I think it's the biggest one. It's, it's a tremendously large segment of the economy. So that covers a huge group of people, many of whom 
don't even interact with other people for their work. Many of them work behind the scenes in billing or whatever. You know, like there's tons of people who work, quote, in healthcare who are getting the vaccine in top priority when they're not seeing COVID patients. You have doctors that only do telemedicine. They got it priority one. And then you have all these people who are considered uh, essential workers. And this was racially aimed. This was pushed because it was assumed, okay, well, these people are more likely to be non-white. So they should get this first in order to counteract uh, other uh, things that are at they've been disadvantaged with in life. So let's give them an advantage here, which is ridiculous. You shouldn't be using COVID to equalize other things in life that you feel as people have been uh, wrongly treated. You, you, you want to address those things where you feel that some life's unfair to them, then fine. But you don't use COVID to do that. You don't say, okay, well, life's been unfair to you, so we're going to make up for it. We're going to give you the COVID vaccine first. That's, that shouldn't be how it works. That's the only con- U.S. is the only country which is doing this. So that's the reason the, quote, essential workers were given priority. But again, this is extremely broad. So it's not just customer-facing people. It's not just customer-facing older or middle-aged people. Just anyone who can show that they work in one of these industries, which is a ton of people, regardless of their age, they can be 18, they can be 16, they'll get the vaccine ahead of me and equal to old people. So you see the result. You see who's getting the vaccines. In addition, people are gaming the system like crazy. Like a lot of people just aren't putting up with this and are just saying, you know what? I'm just going to go get the vaccine. I'm just going to go do it. And this is happening more and more. And part of the reason it's happening more and more is people are seeing what bullshit it is. If people looked around and saw that the only ones getting it are very old people, or people with major pre-existing conditions, or people who are like on the front lines dealing with COVID people, then I think other than some assholes who don't really give a shit about anyone else but themselves, I think we'd mostly have people cooperating with this. I think we mostly would have people who are not trying to game the system to get the vaccine ahead of the priority where they should be. But when your neighbor who's 32 years old who works in uh, billing for medical from home and they're in priority group 1A, uh, you see them get the vaccine ahead of you and you're 20 years older than they are and you, and you have uh, uh, other pre-existing conditions that, uh, that make it more dangerous for you and this healthy 32-year-old next door doing medical billing gets it ahead of you, you start to lose respect for the whole thing. And then it's a lot easier to justify why you're not going to follow the rules. And... This is happening big time. There is big time gaming the system going on. I'm sure you know plenty of people that have gotten the vaccine that according to the priority groups should not be getting the vaccine. So that's happening too. And that's happening as a response to the whole system being bullshit. Because when when people can't trust the system's fair, then the whole thing breaks down. Then people don't want to follow the rules. When people see that, that everybody... Is when they know tons of people who are, who are getting it that don't seem to really deserve to be high priority, they go, why, why, am I, uh, why am I cooperating with this? Why am I going without this vaccine, which could help me, which could keep me safe, keep my family safe? Why, why am I not doing this when others are getting this who really shouldn't be getting this ahead of me? 
and they look into ways to do it. I have not done this. I do not have the vaccine. I have not attempted to get the vaccine. But I see people around me. So that's what happens when you set up a system which is nonsensical and which is too broad and which vaccinates too many people early who should not be getting vaccinated early. And whenever you make exceptions to something, you need to be very, very careful. I'm not just talking about the vaccine. I mean, with any kind of law or any kind of rule, when you set up exceptions, you have to make sure the exceptions are super specific because otherwise the whole thing falls apart. I've talked before about gambling and I'm not against the expansion of gambling, as you know, but I've talked about what happened with uh, gambling on boats and what that eventually became. At first, it was uh, no gambling uh, anywhere except in uh, states that allow it, which at the time was only Nevada and then uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey. But then it expanded to, okay, uh, as long as it's on a boat offshore, like three miles offshore, then uh, there can be gambling on a boat. But what about uh, lakes? Okay, fine, on lakes too. Well, what about on rivers? Rivers, the problem is you can't be too far offshore because rivers aren't that big. Rivers aren't that wide. So uh, what do you do about that? You know, shouldn't people be able to gamble on rivers? Still a boat. Yeah, okay, fine. Fine, riverboat gambling is okay. Okay, but does the boat have to be moving? Like if, if you can gamble on a riverboat on a river... Why should it have to go up and down the river pointlessly where people don't really want to go? Why, why shouldn't it be able, to, be able to like park on the river somewhere? And you know, as long as it's still on the water, why does it matter where it's going? Yeah, okay, good point. Fine. You can gamble on a river boat as long as it's on water. But why does it have to be on water? Like, yeah, the, is there anything magical about actually being on the water as opposed to not being on the water? Like, why not just have it on a building that's next to the water? Shouldn't be that the same thing? Yeah, okay, so as long as the building's right on the water, then it can be a building. Okay, but why does it have to be, like, right next to the water? Why why can't it be, like, fairly close to the water? Like, maybe within a, a half mile of the water? Okay, fine. You can have gambling that'll be considered uh, riverboat gambling as long as it's within a half mile of the river. Okay, but if it's half a mile of the river, why why can't it be, like, a few miles from the river? I mean, is that much of a difference? Okay, fine, a few miles from the river. Hey, you see how this goes. So the, the whole thing gets perverted by the end. What was intended to be a good faith exception becomes completely changed and what you were intending to stop ends up occurring. So you have to be careful when you make exceptions. And same with this vaccine. This vaccine, they started making all these exceptions for this group and that group, and then the whole thing broke down. So it's a mess. And also, the, the fact that they are doing this in a lot of places, not strictly by age, and that, or that it stops after like 65 or 55, and then just from there, it's just everybody's in a general group is stupid too. Being 49 years old, I have much more of a chance of an adverse permanent effect of COVID, ranging from permanent damage to death than someone who is 25 or 35. I have a substantially higher chance than they do to have something bad happen to me from COVID. And yet, I'm not ahead of them. I will never be ahead of them. 
I am actually last priority. Now, there's many people who are tied with me as last priority, but there is no group that is going to be behind me, which is insane. I am 49 years old. How am I not ahead of anybody? But I'm not. I'm really not ahead of anybody. When I am eligible for the vaccine, there will be nobody who is not eligible for the vaccine. That's crazy. Younger people should be behind me. Fine, make some exceptions for younger people who directly interface with COVID patients or younger people who have major pre-existing conditions. But other than that, they shouldn't be ahead of me or at the same time as me. I shouldn't have to compete with 20-year-olds. There's no comparison between the COVID danger I am facing and what a 20-year-old faces. It's not even it's not even close. Many, 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 many times higher for me, the danger, than for a 20-year-old. So I should get it first. It, to say that I should get the vaccine at the same time as a 20-year-old is as absurd as saying I should get it at the same time as a 75-year-old. It's that stupid. Unlike the flu, there's a massive difference in, in COVID danger for being uh, in your late 40s compared to in your 20s. With the flu, it's all pretty similar. For the flu, I have about the same danger. But for COVID, way higher. So they really screwed this up. And you see the results. 40% 60 or under. 30% younger than me who've gotten vaccinated. Finally, let's discuss whether or not it's really safe to be around people who are unvaccinated if you are fully vaccinated. Because that's a big question. If you're fully vaccinated, are you still transmitting COVID? And I wonder this especially because my parents have been vaccinated. So the question is, is it safe for me to spend time with my parents now? Not for them, but for me. Can they transmit COVID to me? who has not been vaccinated. I have only seen my parents once in 2021. In fact, I've only seen them once since early December, even though they don't live that far away. And I saw them when I got my colonoscopy just because I got it near where they live and my dad drove me to and from the place. That's the reason I saw them. But other than that, I haven't seen them. Now they're fully vaccinated, but the question is, especially going out and about more, can they give it to me? According to a study from Israel, they probably can't. What Israel did is they had an agreement with Pfizer that if Pfizer gives them some extra vaccines, that they will do a study for them, that they'll actually do like a real-time study of their population. And one of the things that they said they would study would be whether COVID could be transmitted by those who have been fully vaccinated. And the way they were doing this, because it's, it's hard to tell if someone's transmitting COVID because it's, it's not like uh, they have a sign on their head saying, look, I'm transmitting COVID. Like, uh, and then if someone catches COVID, you don't know for sure where they got it. So how do they figure out if somebody is transmitting COVID? Well, it's an inexact science for that reason. But the closest way they were able to come up with that they could determine this is by seeing if people test positive for COVID after getting the vaccine and being fully vaccinated. 
So the assumption is if you test positive, then maybe you can be transmitting it. And if you test negative, then you're not. Well, Israel has found that uh, only about 10% of people are are testing positive for COVID and not showing symptoms who are vaccinated compared to those who are not vaccinated. So basically, you're you're about uh, 10 times more likely to test positive and be asymptomatic if you've not been vaccinated than if you've been vaccinated. So from that, they, they have determined that there probably is very little, if any, transmission of COVID if you've been vaccinated. Now, keep in mind, if you're testing positive for COVID and have been vaccinated, that doesn't mean you're transmitting. That just means that you're testing positive for it and you might be transmitting. But it is possible that if you are asymptomatic, that you simply don't transmit. And in fact, going back to last year, there were some theories, and I'm not sure where these came from, but I saw these being floated, that there was some belief that those who are transmitting COVID were not asymptomatic, that asymptomatic people were not transmitting it, that the transmission came from pre-symptomatic people. Pre-symptomatic meaning you have no symptoms yet, but you're about to. Asymptomatic means you don't have it now and you won't have them. I think this was determined initially by observing people who uh, gave it to those around them and that it was found that uh, if somebody had asymptomatic COVID, it didn't seem like uh, family members or others were getting it. But yet, uh, if they had pre-symptomatic COVID, that they were transmitting it. In fact, uh, it was found, and I believe this is accurate, that the most contagious time is when you are pre-symptomatic, when you're about to show symptoms but have not shown them yet. But asymptomatic, it is believed that that may not even be transmissible at all with or without a vaccine. So it is possible the vaccine is completely preventing transmission or very close to it. But the Israeli study at the very least showed that people are not testing positive for COVID for the most part once they've been vaccinated. And I'm talking about people testing positive yet showing no symptoms. So that's what one of the studies Israel was doing was was testing those who have uh, gotten the vaccine and feel totally healthy, and they test them anyway and see how many are testing positive. And they were finding it wasn't that common, and it was far more uncommon to be an asymptomatic uh, person testing positive if you had the vaccine versus not having the vaccine. And it, it wasn't just a matter of. Uh, they figured into it also the fact that just uh, having the vaccine makes it uh, less likely to get COVID at all. So anyway, it, it, it does look like if somebody's fully vaccinated, they're probably safe to be around, probably similar to how it was generally safe to be around somebody who already had COVID. When I had my root canal in November, the dentist already had COVID. And he told me that to make me feel better with how much time he was spending like right in my face that he already had COVID. 
that did make me feel better that at least I'm not going to get it from him. Maybe from the nurses around me, but or the assistants, whatever they are, but I, I wasn't going to get it from him. So that's good news. And by the way, that's what was assumed to probably be the case because that's the way most viruses work. Usually viruses transmit when uh, they are... Uh, pre-symptomatic and symptomatic, but not asymptomatic. Now, the swine flu, that did transmit when it was asymptomatic. That's why it's assumed to have uh, spread around so much, but most people didn't feel it. So there are viruses that do that, but a lot of others do not. As I've said, even the common cold, it's said that uh, once your symptoms are either uh, on the way down or gone that uh, you're not going to be transmitting anymore. That you can be transmitting the common cold when it's on its way up or, st- or kind of staying the same or right before you show symptoms. And the common cold does have some things in common with COVID-19. In fact, a lot of the common colds are coronaviruses. So we're not sure about this. I'm not saying if you spend time with a fully vaccinated person and you're unvaccinated that you're not going to get COVID. It is possible you'll get it, but you should feel fairly confident that you won't. So it's probably safe to do, and I'm seeing my parents for that reason. And, you know, if I'm unlucky and get COVID, then that's what happens. But I don't think I will. By the way, the numbers in the U.S. for COVID are looking better and better. California and Texas seem to still have a problem. But if you look at the other states, the numbers are way down, including some states which were really hard hit at one point. And a lot of these are looking very good, especially in the Midwest. Remember how bad it was in the Midwest? And now it's not bad at all there. So the numbers are way down. Even in California, where the death numbers are still not looking that good, If you look at uh, the new infection numbers, they're a lot lower, and that's pretty much what predicts what's upcoming, because uh, the deaths lag behind the new infections by a few weeks, since most people take a few weeks to die if they are destined to die from COVID. So the fact that the number of new infections is way down, even in California, is a good sign that a few weeks from now we'll see a lot lower death numbers. But other than California and Texas, the death numbers are way down. And everywhere, the new case numbers are way down. And this is with like 12% of the country vaccinated. There are some signs that the very harsh COVID winter we had in early January and late December, that between that and the other spikes we had earlier last year, that we have somewhat of a herd immunity thing starting to happen. Plus the vaccines helping too. So that all these factors may come together to really bring COVID down to a much, much lesser issue fairly soon. And that would be great. Because I know I am sick of all the restrictions. I am sick of myself restrictions. I'm not, I'm not just talking about what I'm not allowed to do by the government. I'm talking about what I'm not allowing myself to do. And that I would like to return to normal life. 
and that I'd like to do things again that I used to do. And I'd like to see some restrictions go away as well. I would like to dine indoors in a restaurant. Not today, because I'm not vaccinated, but once I get vaccinated, I would like to go into a restaurant and dine indoors, and I'd like to do it without a mask. And I'd like to travel without a mask. Like I, I would like to go play poker without a mask. Like I, you know, by the way, what's interesting is there's, there's one poker room. I forgot what it was, but there's one poker room, not in California or Nevada, but there's one poker room that is introducing a mask room and a mask optional room, which is actually a good idea. Because if you've been fully vaccinated, you shouldn't have to wear a mask. Or if you've already had COVID, you shouldn't have to wear a mask. Or maybe you just are willing to take the risk. Then fine, don't wear a mask. And then they can have that room, and then they can have the other room for people who want to want to be in a room with everybody with a mask. So honestly, I don't want to have to mask. I want to get the vaccine. I want to wait until I am considered fully vaccinated and wait whatever amount of time that takes. So it's like three weeks between doses and then another two weeks after that. So it won't be a quick process, but I'll wait till I'm fully vaccinated. And then I want to return to normal life. And I want to do so as much as possible without a mask and without socially distancing. I want to go back to real normal life, not fake normal life, not uh, pseudo normal. So the faster that COVID is deemed not a problem anymore, not a major problem anymore, then we can do that. And hopefully the Biden administration will not get in the way of that. Hopefully when everybody is vaccinated who wants a vaccine, that we can just pretty much open everything up and uh, return to normal. And of course, monitor things. And if there's a reason to go back to some kind of restriction, then do it. But open up and assume everything's fine. And I I hope that the Biden administration does that and doesn't play games for political purposes. And we will see what happens. And by the way, just take a look at other countries. That's all you have to do. Forget my opinion. Don't say, well, Druff, you're a Republican. You're trying to find a reason to criticize Biden. Okay. Well, look at the other countries. Pick a left-wing first world country that's not the U.S. and see what they're doing. And if we are being more cautious, more cautious than they are, if we are being more restrictive than they are, if we're being more restrictive than everybody, then we've got a problem. Then the Biden administration is mishandling it. The important thing is to prevent major issue, not prevent all issues. Anyway, I'm hoping this is done sooner than later. I know you probably are too. I know you're probably as sick of everything as I am. You know, I, I I will acknowledge that for me, some things are easier than others. I didn't have to go into a job every day and risk COVID. I did not have to worry about money. I was able to just stay home and not worry about uh, being employed or catching COVID at work or uh, anything like that. And also... I'm able to play online poker and I already spend a lot of time on the computer, on the internet. I can do all that still. Some people who are trolling me on the forums, I see your life hasn't changed. It's the same thing. 
you're just sitting home on forums all day. I go, no. See, there's a lot of other things I'd like to do that I can't haven't been able to do for the last year. I haven't been able to travel. I haven't been able to eat, eat restaurants. I don't even do takeout anymore. I haven't been able to see anyone outside of my family. I've just seen nobody. There's a lot of things that I can't wait to do again once this is over. But I'll admit for others, it's been a lot harder. Even people who haven't caught COVID. Oh my goodness, I picked up a co-host moments before we were about to end the show. Sorry, Trav. I passed out early last night. That's okay. I I didn't tell you we're doing it today. I I know I mentioned it on the last show, but I didn't remind you that we're doing it on Friday instead of Saturday. Yeah, I I forgot, and then I was out. Well, you can can be with me in the final minutes here, uh, Trader Ruski, but uh, I assume you haven't gotten the vaccine yet either? No, not yet. My dad got it. My mom didn't yet. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Your mom should be able to. It's, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier no, to I'm get sure an appointment. She, is. she just said she wants to wait. She, she has a friend that's a nurse, I think. Oh. She said when there's no lines, she can get her a, a, you know, an appointment to get in, then she's going to do it then. So. I don't know, at, that, at that age, I'd just be rushing to get it immediately. But I, I know. I try to tell her, but you know, we live in kind of a rural area. And she's, yeah. She doesn't go out much, so she's kind of cool with it. Yeah, well, whole thing's been a mess, but I, I hope it's going to be over soon, the whole thing, or mostly over, and uh, we can return to normal. Oh, here, here's a little bonus thing I want to mention. I forgot about this. A little bonus topic. Daniel Negranu claimed on, uh, I think it was on Dat's Poker Podcast, he, sa- he said it somewhere when I was listening to him, that as an insider to the World Series, which he is, he gets a lot of information we don't. As an insider to the World Series, he was told they're going to hold 90 events this year. Now, not necessarily 90 live events. Some are probably online. But that the World Series is going to happen. It's going to happen not during the normal dates. It's not going to start late May like it normally does. But it's, it's going to happen later. But they're planning 90 events and that uh, a lot of them are going to be live so he said he has more information he can't give the rest out right now but he's willing to say that and i believe him like he wouldn't make this up so the wsop is going to happen and keep in mind things are rapidly improving with covid and unless we get thrown a curveball here of like some variant that dodges the vaccine, which I don't think is going to happen. I just... We may have to eventually take another vaccine a year from now or something, but I I think for 2021, we're probably good for a while once we get vaccinated. So I really think that by the summer, it's going to look significantly better. And that's going to be even more encouraging for Caesars to hold the World Series. And you, you know they're itching to do this because there's a lot of money in it. So there is going to be a World Series... I have a feeling masks will be required, in which case I probably won't be participating, but there probably is going to be one. So plan on that. My guess, and this is nothing based upon anything I've heard, I'm just making a guess out of nowhere, my guess is it's going to start like late July, maybe like two months late. 
And I think the reason they would do this is because it's kind of, yeah, kind of sort of similar to the time they normally hold it. A little bit late, but it's not way late. And then it's still enough time for them to see where this is all going. And I know they would probably love to have people not wear masks because then more people will want to show up to it, myself included. Believe me, Caesars doesn't want to make everyone wear masks, but they, they will if they feel they have to or that they'll be facing some liability if they don't. So I, I think they believe that the longer they wait, the fewer restrictions they'll have. And also the fewer restrictions they'll have as far as the maximum people that can be in the room at the same time and the maximum people at the table. Just It's only going to get better as time passes, it looks like, even talking about months here. So we're here in mid-March, and they're probably hoping that like in four months that it'll be significantly better. So maybe they'll schedule the first event late July instead of late May. I will say that if I'm fully vaccinated by late July, which... I sincerely hope I am. And if everything is looking as expected with COVID and if COVID is way down and it looks like the, or if it just looks like my vaccine is likely to protect me, which it probably is. If they announce for whatever reason that masks are not required to play in the World Series, then yeah, I'll go. I'll I'll look forward to doing that again. It'd be great to go there and have uh, a normal time at the Rio. I would love that at this point. Even at the Rio. I don't think that's likely this year, though. I just don't think that there's going to be maskless events. I think it's too soon for them to be willing to do that or be allowed to do that. Probably next year. But this year, I don't know. So there's a good chance I'm skipping it this year, as I've said before. I skipped it last year but I'll be back as soon as I can play an event with no mask on that may be when I qualify for the seniors event next year got one year left I'm 49 anyway that's the little uh, bonus tidbit if you hung on to this show for uh, the time we're on a while here this is a pretty long show we started at, uh, yeah, really seven hours ago. Pretty long show. The next show should be next Friday. Next show should be on March 20th. March, sorry, March 19th. Friday, March 19th is when it is uh, slated to be on. Check uh, twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information. And I'll try to get it up there as soon as I know. Sometimes I don't know until we're getting close to it. That's it. Traders, do you anything you'd like to talk about? I, I'll listen to the show uh, once you get it up. And, you know, I'll be on next week. I'm going to take a nap. Okay. That's all right. You, you make it just about every week. And you technically made it this week. Just not much of it. Okay. So uh, that's it. We're done. I think, believe it or not, believe it or not, I'm going to actually make an attempt to get this thing in the archives like shortly after the show sometimes I I wait sometimes I'll go to sleep and then say I'll do this later sometimes I even get it up uh, much later like by the time it comes up it's like 24 hours since the show ended but I know that pisses people off people say 
the show feels old by that point, which is stupid because it's like one day, but people hate it. People, they, they, they want to hear the show soon after it's done. So, I will uh, go forth and uh, do the usual uh, edits to make this presentable. And slap this up, I think, uh, before I go to sleep. So maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. I hope so. So far, I have dodged it. So has Trader Ruski. I know some of the listeners here were not so lucky. Though, honestly, if I didn't dodge it, I'd be pissed off because I really put a lot of effort into dodging it. I really spent all day, every day at home for the most part. In fact, when I'd go out and drive somewhere to pick something up, I'd go, wow, I can't believe I'm actually leaving the house. I feel weird to get in my car and drive somewhere. Sometimes I feel good to just go out and pick something up because... At least I'm getting out. Alright. That is all for tonight, this morning. Happy Daylight Savings Time. And we'll be back in a week. If you have any affiliate deals, make sure not to criticize the site that's giving it to you. That's my one tip for you this week. Good night, and... Shalom.